Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Brothers and sisters of the leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate once again via live video to talk about the highly overlooked 1986 Arnold Schwarzenegger gangster classic, Raw Deal, while smoking the governor's private blend cigar from Gurkha, paired with a plethora of tasty craft beers. So, a 6 foot 2 inch, 250 pound Austrian former Mr. Olympia champion can infiltrate the Chicago Mafia with no questions asked, but yours truly can't walk into a Chuck E. Cheese without getting hassled by the man. Fuck justice. Anywho, it sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 117. Yeah. Is that right? 117? That is 117. We should have had Fritz do a uh, winger cover. Episode 117. 117. Um, it's silly for him to do that just for one episode. but um, We are, as always, here once again, folks, to party our collective asses off and then bring that party straight in to your eyes and ear holes uh but first there's something important i want to talk about uh okay listen up the big bang theory sitcom jeffrey dahmer chili's restaurants bigfoot erotica and the Cincinnati Bengals. What do all those things have in common? Hmm? The answer is simple. They were all founded or created by white people. So the very idea of white supremacy or the notion that we white folks are any better than anybody else is clearly flawed from the examples I just gave you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of talk and real action right now in America concerning race relations 
And as things tend to do in one way or another, the issue has trickled down into our little world, the culture of premium cigar smokers. Um, we're going to get right into the news tonight, boys. Tut, you got your media hat? Oh, oh hang, on, hang on. Guys, we, we can't talk about serious things without... Okay. Media. We're official now. We're official now. Um, in fact, this news uh, involves the brand owner of the cigar we're smoking this evening. How's that for time? I didn't plan this. We were going to smoke the cigar anyway, and boom. Uh, from my favorite cigar media news site on the interwebs, halfwheel.com, I bring you this article dated June 10th, bearing the high, <clears throat> excuse me, the headline, uh, Kaizad Han Sotia. Sorry if I don't. It's a guy's name. Kaizad Hansatia uh, resigns as chairman of Gurkha. I'm just going to say Kaizad from now on because I'm pretty sure that's correct. Kazid? Kaizad has resigned. Kaizad H. There, how's that? Okay. Kaizad H has resigned as the chairman of Gurkha Cigar Group Incorporated. His resignation comes after a tumultuous week in regards to statements made on his personal social media accounts that mocked the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement, for that matter, the murder of George Floyd, and other topics related to race and society. I had actually seen some of these posts uh, before they disappeared. Uh, basically, the typical stuff you see, guys, you know, why do Black Lives Matter only when white people kill them? Should they matter when all the, you know, the black people kill them too? Uh, talking about, you know, George Floyd was up all his giant criminal and just really, you know, slamming the, the victim of a murder. And then there was the classic one he retweeted or reposted, which had a picture of Ronald Reagan back in his black and white movie days, um, bottle feeding a monkey on some film set and it was like President Reagan uh, takes care of young President Obama. Um, those are just three that I saw. Um, well, following the revelation and the responses to those posts, imagine this, uh, the responses weren't positive uh, to his post. He said that his account had been hacked. That, that, that one. Uh, Gurkha immediately put out a statement, the company did, um, saying they believed his account had been hacked. He hadn't noticed it for a few days and he had deleted his account. Uh. Um, back to the half rule article, uh, Gurkha put out a statement from Kaizad H reiterating that he believed his account had indeed been hacked, but he also apologized for past comments that were made on his social media account. I can't vouch for that, but apparently a lot of people are like, this is nothing new for this guy. This is just the first time with everything going on in the world that people were vocally saying, speaking up against yeah. it. It's unclear whether Kaizad H is giving up any of his ownership in the company. A spokeswoman or spokesperson for the company has not immediately returned a request. Uh, the company said Jim Colucci, currently the COO and president, will assume the role of CEO. It's unclear whether there'll be a new chairman. Furthermore, the company is removing the Kaizad H branding from its products once existing supplies run out. His name is all over Gurkha products. Um, he's got his own, actually his own cigar with, named after him, and then you just see his name everywhere. So 
That'll be interesting. And then they released this statement. We are outraged and saddened at the content of previous posts made on Kaizad H's personal social media account, said the company in a press release. These in no way reflect the position or beliefs of the company, its founding mission, or its employees. We stand in solidarity against racism and for racial justice. We cannot and will not tolerate words or acts of hate, injustice, or oppression. We understand that because of the actions of our founder, we must work to regain the trust of our customers and cigar community. We look forward to working towards this goal together, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that was their statement. And, you know, I guess he's out, but I, I believe he's the owner of the brand. So I'm not sure how that works. But um, yeah, so one, we'll get to the hacking thing. And the, but here's what I want to know, boys. We've heard this coming from celebrities, sports uh, figures, figures in the news. We've heard this whole circus so many times before. And a lot lately, as more and more jackasses are having a spotlight aimed at them for past comments and or social media posts that they just couldn't help but put out there. And that's what fascinates me. It's like, for what? Likes? Hopeful validation of their racist bullshit by a small handful of other racist assholes? Like, I'm going to risk it all, my livelihood, my business, just to see if there's a couple other jerk offs out there that'll click that like button. I don't, I don't get it. And I want you three brainiacs to help me understand why someone would hit that post button, especially right now with what's going on in America, why they would share that meme on Twitter, why they would say that racist slur on camera when they know they're being filmed. They're risking it all and they don't seem to give a shit. They have to honestly deep down not know that it's vile, shameful stuff, right? Like they have to really think that it's not. And is the fact that they're thinking, saying, and posting the stupid shit, is that proof that they're just that? I mean, they're just really stupid people. And they really don't understand anything about the world and how it works. I mean, is that what it boils down to? Are these people that are getting busted every day and called out and saying they've been hacked and then apologizing and then trying to scrape it all back together? I mean, is it just, a, is it just an issue of being morons? Help me understand this, please. Any of you. There's, you know, there's a saying, you know, a person is smart and people are dumb. But in reality, though, you can't have dumb people if you don't have a dumb person. So as, as smart as the individual might be made, out, made, no, there are just, in fact, just truly true dumbasses out there everywhere. And we are finally able to live at a time to where we can hear their opinions even though we didn't want to yeah it's just amazing to me how many of them are still voicing them loudly with and with, more importantly thanks to the wonders of social media they can voice that opinion and not immediately be punched in the face that's true. There is the, the barrier of your computer screen or your phone to where you're not going to actually, they're not out on the streets talking this, this garbage. Correct. But I mean, 
do they really not have the the thought in their mind of repercussions when they post a picture like the Obama monkey picture or like do they think it's going to be like people are going to laugh or people are going to be like right on and like are those four or five people that that validate your post is that worth losing they they think that they're like our president that they can literally say anything and get away with it i mean he's setting an example right there and this guy he's owner of one of the most popular cigar brands in the world i mean his exact thought process is probably what are they going to do fire me oops i'm not sure there's a great answer cade um i, I don't doctor I, it honestly baffles me like i just cannot wrap my head around it me too. I, I don't want to take any political side in the matter. I, I agree with Yaks. I mean, it's a very cynical uh, opinion. Um, I, I have it myself. It's not a very Christian opinion, no matter what religion a person is, but uh, people are stupid and you encounter stupidity every day. Um, nowadays, a lot of us aren't leaving the house, so you don't encounter it as much. But so I, I certainly agree with Yaks. There, there's a good answer, which is just idiocy. But to your point, the, the part that's baffling, uh, human idiocy no longer surprises me. You, you see it all the time. But to your point, this is a man who founded a business. Um, he must have some brain cells firing. Social media is no longer new. It's still, it's still on a relative scale in its infancy, but it's not like somebody starting this two weeks ago, that a person, no matter what they actually thought or believed, whether they had uh, heinous racist beliefs or not, whatever they thought, that they would go put it out on the internet for all to see, um, you would think that somebody, you know, I could see if it was some toothless moron living, you know, in a, in a meth lab somewhere who did, who just really could barely read. But to think that this guy is actual business owner, you would think he has some smarts firing. It says they're, they're a huge brand. It's not even the point that, that like, okay, obviously he's a racist, but you would think he would have the wherewithal to keep that to himself. Uh, it is, I, I, I've, your choice of words, I can't improve upon it. It's baffling that someone would feel the need to share their beliefs, whether we whether we agree with them or not. And obviously, none of us agrees with it. It's horrible, but th that he would think that he could get away with it in any way is, is just doubles up on the idiocy. I don't think there's a real good answer for it. I mean, I think there's definitely a uh, a newfound um, what. No, and I don't get political either. He, but. he put it out there because he thought people were going to laugh at it and like it. That's exactly what he did. He it's was like, I'm smart. Funny. I've got this opinion. And there's people that agree with me out there. And I'm going to show all those libtard snowflakes out there that, you know, we're going to laugh at this. I'm not racist. I'm just being funny. And people are going to understand that and like it. So he puts out his racist bullshit. And next thing you know, they're going to tr try to strip his company away from it. Yeah, it, it's dumb. Hard. dumb. <laughs> Anytime you compare an African American to a, a monkey or an ape, it's it's hard to come out with the I my 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 words were misrepresented. <clears throat> that that whole bullshit. Uh... By the way, if y'all ever see me, my Facebook account have some racist BS, uh, you know, and it's up there for a couple of days. Can you like maybe call me like on day one and say, hey, what's going on? Maybe you've been hacked. You think? Uh, nobody's hacking anybody. Come on.
preposterous. Your backlog and years of social media activity also either bolster, you know, if, if you know, we're, we'll stick to the cigar world, you know, if, uh, let's pick a nice guy like a, a Matt Booth from Room 101 we just interviewed, nicest guy in the world, you know, if all of a sudden on his Instagram page, it just came up, you know, God hates fags. Man, he's never said anything like this in the previous 10 years. And he was like, guys, something bad. Okay, you know what? You got the benefit of the doubt. But apparently, and I, and I just throw out the most hurtful visual words. Yeah. But, uh, but no, apparently this guy's got a, a pretty lengthy history of, 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 you know, kind of charged comments and um, things lean that way. And then you had the flood of, you know, fuck Gurkha, I'm never buying another Gurkha, pictures of Gurkhas in the toilet. And then you had the opposite. You had almost just as many people. Uh, I thought this was a free country. I thought you're going to take the man's company away from him because he has a different opinion than you. And it, but you know what? I don't get into that because that's a whole nother. Uh, well, they took they took that Seattle guy's company away from him. They just uh, the CrossFit the guy who invented CrossFit just lost his. He had to resign uh, for some stupid ass Facebook post about George Floyd. Uh, like, this guy's got to have gazillion dollars and he couldn't keep his fucking fingers from clicking on stuff. I, I do want to say like my first instinct was this is the last because we we've, we've agreed to do it on the show. I'll do it. And then this will be the last Kirk I, I smoke. But then I got to thinking about it. And I was just like, knowing how many people are working in that factory and who don't agree with this bullshit and probably have never even met the dude. I mean, it sounds like I'm punishing them, but I mean, uh, and I don't want to do that. Well, do you really need to wrestle with it, Ted? Do you smoke that many Gurkhas? <laughs> no. It's not really a, a, a something you're going to have to wrestle with every day in your humidor. Dude, I was having a moment. Uh, there was the main themes here that are, are the cage, what you're talking about, the, the idiocy, the just baffling idiocy of somebody posting. Uh, their their racist meanderings um you know why what are you thinking you know even if that's what you believed why why would you why would you do that and risk your livelihood by posting it i mean it's just it's beyond stupid um and then the idea of of you know us believing that your last ditch effort to save your ass is that your account was somehow hacked is laughable at least at least have the the balls to own it and and you know immediately apologize and try that angle before you start spewing lies i just i wonder if maybe and we'll, we'll move on but we really don't talk serious too much around here but i wonder if this quarantine the lockdown over the last few months i wonder even successful people are probably getting lonely especially you know if you don't if you're not surrounded by a lot of people and i wonder if there's a kind of innate need for acceptance or communication or where normally they're busy, they're going out to eat, they're all yeah. over the place. And now they're in their fucking house 24 hours a day. And it's like, you know what? All they're doing is watching the shitty ass news. All they're doing is letting the little things that used to fester and some grow into bigger things. And I wonder if there's other people out there thinking the same shit 
I'm gonna I'm gonna test the waters, and then you know, a giant shit bomb goes off in your face, and you wake up, and everything you worked for for years is just gone. So not only not only are they stupid, they're also starting to lose their mind a little bit. Crazy stupid, yeah. People are interesting. Uh, one of my few heroes in the world, Mike Patton, had a great quote. He's like, you know, that's what I hate about people. They're people. <laughs> they're just, they're just completely fucking nuts, and you just don't know what you're getting. I, I, I just, I like people. Don't be racist. Don't be racist. Tuesday Night Cigar Club is anti-racism. Amen. I think we're very all, good about this. I think, I think we can all give the uh, TNC's hands on that. Uh, well, discrimination in any form. In any form whatsoever. And I thought up until today, boys, that this is where our conversation on this topic would end for now. Wait, but, it's not. But then out of the blue, something happened to a longtime Facebook friend of mine. Uh, and there was no way in hell that I wasn't going to ask him to come on the show and talk about it. So C.W. Harris, first off, thank you for joining us here in the Corner No Hope on the Tuesday Night Scar Club podcast, especially on such short notice. You know, it's been kind of a crazy couple of days for you. Uh, so why not make it a little bit crazier, huh? Hey, uh, a little background real quick. Uh, CW and I met online, and I didn't hit me till I sent him a Facebook message, and I saw some old messages we sent uh, almost a decade ago. Like when I first got on Facebook, uh, we were both members of a group uh, called Cats, uh, which is one of the kind of the first gathering places for cigar smokers to meet and talk. And uh, we quickly found out we we're both diehard Chicago Bears fans. Uh, CW is actually in Chicago, uh, so that. That was a check in the right direction. We both loved Liga Pravadas. Yeah. So that's kind of all we needed to know to know that we were all right. Uh, and we kind of just stayed uh, Facebook friends for the last 10 years. Uh, I've gotten rid of a lot, especially since I started having kids. You know, a lot of people on my friend list on Facebook, they were just cigar people that I didn't really have any connection to, didn't know. I've kind of weeded out hundreds of them over the years. But uh, I just uh, always liked uh, interacting with CW and talking and um, seeing pictures of your family. And you just you always just came across as a really solid dude. And I'm glad we stayed in contact. So bear down. Hey, and, hey. and uh, thanks for being what? here, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate those kind words. I feel the same way. And, you know, it just goes to show that this um, – Certainly with sports, too, but also as we're sitting here on a uh, cigar uh, podcast, that cigars can bring people together. So They are, and I'm going to talk about that um, once we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of what, what's kind of going on with you right now, because that's one of the beauty, the beautiful things about cigars to me, and it always has been kind of this unifier. Uh, when, you, when you go into it, when you go into it, hell, I'll say it now. We'll skip it later. When you go into a lounge, or you go to a, a you know big gathering of brothers and sisters of the leaf, whether it be fifty people or a thousand people, it just seems like there's just that unifying factor that you're all there sharing your your the same passion for cigars and it just kind of um, well I guess we've learned over the last two weeks you know there's always 
dark corners of any any subculture. But uh, it is, for the most part, been a beautiful thing in my experience. The people I've met and the people I've gotten to know, it, it wouldn't have happened without survivors. Certainly overall, yes. Um, and then this week happened. We, uh, we, we just got done chatting with the boys uh, before this interview about the whole Gurkha mess where their owner got into some serious hot water, to put it mildly. Uh, but what he posted, some racist stuff on his own personal Facebook page. But CW, this week, you were personally attacked by a cigar brand owner on your personal page. Yeah. Uh, that just, okay, we'll try to wrap our head around this one. Uh, CW, let's get right to it. Tell us what happened. Well, basically, I posted, um, put on Facebook, just talking about, you know, people are saying doing Black Lives Matter, and then people come back and say all lives matter. I personally just believe when people say that, they're just talking to say that I think most people, I don't think I know, most people know that Black Lives Matter means Black Lives Matter too, you know. So I posted it. I said, where was all lives matter for 400 years, you know, but that's what we're doing. <clears throat> and so he had just responded back. Uh, so what does this mean? We got it. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically, a, I think it was a meme, um, if I'm not mistaken, but basically came back and said, so what does this mean? We have to take down the pyramids too, because they were built by slaves. And I'm like, what? And so I basically, I'm pretty straightforward. So I told him, I said, that was a stupid comment. You know, he said, well, let's investigate that. I said, I think that's a stupid comment. You know, you can hit the unfollow button. Let's investigate that. And so yeah. then I, you know, pulled him up and I saw he wasn't even from America. I'm like, and your monkey ass isn't even from America. Now, monkey ass, I don't know if you guys use it, means silly. You know? I told Tuttle, uh, so so at this point in conversation, I actually printed it out, CW, so you don't have to paraphrase. Uh, the guy said, maybe we have to demolish the pyramids, too. They were all built by slaves. They did the little, hmm, yeah. emoji, uh, which I guess he's referencing that the fact that uh, so many people were wanting to take down maybe some Confederate statues, anything. Right. Okay, um, so he's being a smartass. You told him that's a stupid comment. See your way to the unfollow button. Investigate that. Right yeah. Back. And then you noticed, like you said, that he wasn't even from America. And you said, your monkey ass isn't even from America. And we, I, Todd asked me about monkey ass because that was a new one to him. No, it's not. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with it from The Rock. Uh, the Rock used to always call people monkey ass. Monkey ass jabroni. Uh, <laughs> well, I know it because I used to actually say it. I'm a movie guy. And... For some reason, in the movie uh, Last Boy Scout, Halle Berry's working at the strip club, and when Damon Wayans goes to take her off the stage, the little DJ guy uh, like starts to make him like to stop him or something. He's like, "Get your monkey ass back in the cage." <laughs> and I just always thought that was a funny line, so I would go around. But I, I, I never read anything other than because he was a goofy little like a like a, like you said a silly ass. It's a silly ass, you know. It's like just. Yeah, silly, goofy behind out of here. You know what I mean? That's what it was. And then, you know, he responds with, you know, basically. I uh, can tell you I can tell you exactly what he said. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. He said, that's not the tone I'm used to. Didn't your mother in the slum teach you some manners? 
when was the last time you looked yourself in the mirror? And that's the giveaway, you know? And I was just like, what? <laughs> so I think, I think it's safe to say that not just yourself, but 199% of everyone, the hundreds of people who read this interaction go down uh, on your page, and certainly Tut and I, when we read it, uh, read it as just a straight-up ra- racist. What? I don't know how. I don't know how you can. We talked about the Gur- you know, the the Gurkha owner and the trouble he got into, and he posted, you know, some memes: the all live, all lives matter, um, this and this. But one of the one of the memes they dug up that he that he shared was a, a young, youngish black and white photo on a movie set of Ronald Reagan bottle feeding a chimpanzee, I guess in some movie. And the meme was like, uh, President Reagan takes care of future President Obama. Oh, I didn't see that. And that wasn't recent. That was like, in, he had done that before and it had slipped through. Nobody was, nobody was gunning. And looking for that stuff, but apparently he's got you know he had a history of stuff like this. Wow. Um, so pretty much now this guy's foreign. I think he's in Denmark. Yeah. I would think it's not just an American thing where the minute you reference any kind of monkey ape in the conversation with an African American that it's straight up racist. Yeah, I mean, even with, you know, two things on that. You know, the whole uh, last sentence about, you know, have I looked at myself in the mirror lately? That's a dead giveaway before we even mm-hmm. talk about the slum stuff. But in addition, you know, if you look at some of the problems that have happened in Europe and soccer with African players over there or, or you know, uh, they might be English players, but people of, of African descent, black people over there playing soccer with people throwing bananas and stuff like that. Exactly. So, you know, they know. <laughs> And that's what, you know, Tut, Tut and I, I was, we were talking about, there's one foreign gentleman on there trying to kind of like, well, over here, the slums don't mean what they mean in your country. And come we on. And we don't think of, we, we, we would never make that monkey slur. And it's like, I thought the same thing. I'm picturing that soccer field with bananas come down. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, man. And, and I had a buddy of mine, uh, Louis Katsake is one of my college buddies. You know, I have... <laughs> I got people who just weren't having it, and that's what he was bringing up. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know, we, we've seen these things from these soccer games. Don't try to act like you have uh, cert- Certain racist things are so abhorrent and so obvious that they're universal, sadly. And yeah. so the, this, this guy, you know, good luck pleading ignorance on, on any of those. And you know, uh, just like what happened with uh, the gentleman from, uh, from Gurkha, there was a guy that came on um, – because you, you saw how long the thread became. I don't know how many comments are here now. But it was a gentleman, I believe he's a shop owner somewhere in one of the small countries in Europe. You know, sometimes you'll see where people are from. You're like, what? Like, I, I took geography, but I have yeah. the name of the country you're referring to. But good guy. I think he was of Muslim descent and, and Muslim uh, religion, the Muslim religion. And, you know, he pulled up some old comments that uh, got Jan, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and made, you know, about... Uh, Goat efforts. I don't know how much you guys mm. come here, so I'll keep it. Oh, up. you can go ahead and say oh, goat, goat fuckers. 
yeah, go fuckers, you know, they, they fuck their sisters or something like that. So yeah, if, well, he's apparently looking at his, his page, he, he's pretty open about his feelings about immigration and what it does to a country um, and, ha- and how much better off countries that, that severely limit their immigration are. But uh, yeah, one of his one of his comments, and this is on a completely different thread, but as far as, you know, good luck defending yourself, he said, basically referencing troubles in Denmark, he said, it's because we have the wrong immigration laws. We accepted goat fuckers from the mountains marrying their cousins, whereas Singapore demanded high education from their immigrants. Uh, and that's him. So there you go. Um, no, it got even worse because at some point he quit responding. And for some reason, hey, at least I don't want to give this guy any props, but at least unlike the Gurkha guy, he didn't delete his comments and he didn't say he was hacked. And it was someone else on his account. He, he just le- he just left the conversation. But I don't then, know if I feel any better about that. I, I, I guess that's just uh, that's an American thing where you say you were hacked and, and you didn't do it. But his wife got on there and yeah. his wife starts attacking CW. And <laughs> what? It's it's yeah. in it's all written in Spanish, so you're relying on translating software to read what she's trying to say, which is, is damn near impossible. Great. Now instead of coming back, I'm hacked. It's like no, it's wrong translation. <laughs> it's not, and this isn't me being 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 cr- cruel or ignorant. I don't think it was really hard to understand what she was trying to say. But she was basically accusing CW of sending her either some sexual. Uh, comments or messages and then saying that he deleted them yeah they, the, said they were sexist non-sexual and i'm like I, I don't even know who you are you know what i mean yeah you, you know out of 10 things man nine of those or 99 out of 100 i don't i've never in my life seen a woman anything like that well i don't even but know also, but also i don't care if you know she's from denmark i don't care if she's from alabama i don't care if she's from nicaragua Wherever she's from, that is straight out of the racist handbook. As far as you're in trouble, you you call out a black man with some sexual accusations of you know. In, in the old days, it wouldn't be a, that you sent me some sexual comments or some sexual. No, this is you whistled at me, this, Emmett Tillman style. So it's just this is all just racism one on one, and yeah, there's some there's some. Uh, murkiness lost in translation there between this guy's wife and you and probably the guy himself who knows uh i really have no interest in talking to him but let me ask you this so that's that's where we're at i mean the, your, your post blew up just you know four or five hundred uh comments a million people a lot of people shared it a ton of people went to his businesses facebook page which i had never even heard of this guy's cigars they are sold in the united states mm-hmm. um some by some big online retailers that I could tell, but a lot of people took up, you know, took up the cause and went in full force to call this guy out, which is what more and more people are doing. First off, as far as what he wrote, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. I hope you'll agree with me. My number one rule is if you're not willing to walk into a room filled with 100 strangers and say what you're about to type through a bullhorn, then you probably shouldn't type it and send it. And what we're seeing these guys do, 
and which before were just trolls, were just nobodies. But now in the last week, we've had two cigar brand owners do it. They're posting shit that there's no way in hell they would walk into a cigar lounge and say. And it just blows my mind. And we talked about a little bit of this before you joined a CW. What these guys are thinking. I mean, do you have any theory on what their end game, what they think they're going to to get by putting everything, their livelihood, their business on the line to just fucking smear somebody and to make them try to feel little in just a brief moment on the internet. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, uh, first and foremost, you know, it's sad that they even have some of those things on their heart. You know what I mean? To even have that inside of them, um, you know, even if they're harboring it. But I just believe that, you know, people can't help themselves, man. There's something addictive about social media. You know, there's a lot of things going on right now that get people riled up and they just can't help themselves. <laughs> you know, it's surprising as it relates to the guy I was dealing with. It's like, you're not even over here. You know what I mean? To, to the top of that stuff. So, is it that was it that much what you saw what I said that's really just you know that that was baffling the the part that and it wasn't like he was from a a country that's mired in social unrest and that he's been you know Denmark like <laughs> what's the worst thing in it like, you get some mud on your wooden shoes right exactly <laughs> I was just like so that that threw me you know what I mean from to have that and then um, somebody showed me because I think he blocked me. I couldn't see his page anymore. And he had posted something the next day of some black guy pushing like a little white lady. And I don't know what happened. I just, the picture that was shown to me was just, yeah, the person had done it yet, I don't think. And I took that to be like, so what are you just saying since you got into it with me as a black person, I represent this this black guy that pushed down this white lady, you know what I mean? I wasn't and, I wasn't blocked from his page. And yeah, it seemed like shortly after when once I learned what was going on with you and I checked out his page. Yeah, he, he reposted this clip of of this scene. I think it was in New York City or something where uh, yeah, American, nice. which a, a lot of people have actually it, it might be a bullshit clip, actually. Uh, really? But but I don't I can't speak on that. But, but that's how he was using it. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. that's what you're going to follow it up with something like that. Like, hey, you know, he's, he's just making one mistake after the other to me. And, you know, again, the, the sad part is just that he even has those feelings and he's in the, you know, it even has those feelings, period, that they were something that came out. But I just believe you're going to see more and more of it. Um, maybe not in big companies where they have PR people and stuff like that. You usually don't see it in those places now anyway. But those people are probably a little more yeah, intelligent. Gurkha is pretty big, my friend. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I come from, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now, but I come from corporate America, like, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, was about to, I was about to say, cigar, even, even though they're big in the cigar industry, the cigar industry is a little bit different than corporate. I was keeping it kind of cigar-centric, but yeah, sure. I got, I got you're not, you're not going to see uh, Bill Gates dropping a, a meme on somebody's timeline. <laughs> but I guess I guess I just don't get the mentality of, you know, you, you, you've worked hard, you're a business owner, CW, you work hard, you build your brand, you put all this work into it, and then it's late at night and you're on your Facebook and you just can't help but do something so stupid that 
basically gives you nothing in reward, except maybe maybe there'll be some ignorant ass out there who will like your comment. And you're going to risk it all to, one, make somebody, for just a brief instance, because you don't care about what this guy thinks of you. You're a confident guy. You know who you are. But just try to hurt somebody for a few seconds and try to get someone to like. That is just, to me, it's just, it's the definition of insane. I have a saying that I use um, that I've put up in my 49 years of life. And it goes in a few directions, but I say most people can't see beyond their nose. You know, one thing, and I'm not saying I've always made the right decisions all my life, but I've always tried to think if I make, if I do this, I push to send, if I say these words, if I send this letter, whatever it is, I've always thought to myself, what's the next step? You know what I mean? Yeah, I want to send it because I want to piss this person off. I want to send it because I'm mad right now. I always say, you know, what's the next step from that? Right. But most people, I just, I just, they don't see behind their nose. It's right in the moment. It's right here. And I don't see it over, you know, by making a move like this or making this comment, what's going to come back. Now, on the flip side, maybe up on the tangent of that is, yeah, I definitely think it's stupid for a business to do that. I definitely think it's stupid to harbor those thoughts. And, but, but, not and, but, you know, in some of these cases, it's good to see what these people think. That's what that's what I've been kind of wrestling with and thinking about is that you know it's it's good for me to see that it's there because I, I I just and I guess that's one of the conversations with you know white privilege and everything like that is that for us who don't see it on a day to day basis like I always I always imagine everybody is like I am we're just trying to do good and if you treat people a certain way. They're going to treat you a certain way and you try to treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. And sometimes you fail, but most of the times you don't. And then to see this shit is just fuck. What are you doing? Stop it. And you don't have anything to be miserable about. You're living the dream in Denmark, having a cigar company, just lighten the fuck up, have a beer. I'm a guy. That's how I feel, you know, and I, I um, sometimes like, on the like whether it's news stations here or some of the papers here in Chicago and they love to stir the pot on uh yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. on Facebook and stuff with the things I put it you know this this Confederate thing is coming down. What do you think? And you can just imagine the shit show that the comment sections are. But it always <laughs> it still catches me off guard sometimes. I'll see like a little white lady like out in Iowa somewhere. I like to look at this when people are talking trash I can see where they're from. And you know I pulled up a few times I'm like why are you mad? Like you live somewhere is ninety eight percent white in a three thousand people, but it's still Iowa. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, you know, but it could be anywhere really. It's just like you're not even, yeah. in it, you know, and you're you're sitting home just, you know, <laughs> like I don't, you know, that's just me. Well, to two things. Well, to follow up your quote, uh, which was a good one uh, that you kind of always keep in your back pocket. It it kind of goes in check with one I've always had which was everyone has to answer to somebody and maybe not now but a year from now no nobody is autonomous somebody the quote is be careful whose toes you step on today because they could be attached to the ass you have to kiss tomorrow kiss tomorrow that's right and that's right you know what he he stepped on the wrong toes with ucw because you've been kind of ingrained in, in 
the, the culture that is his business in the United States for a very long time. I don't think there's any uh, socially social media active industry guys who don't know who you are. And if they didn't know who he was, they do now. Um, so hey, that's on him. You know, he made his he made his bed. Do they sleep in beds in Denmark or is it hammocks? You know, so funny is a buddy of mine. I guess that the buddy of mine said it. He was like, bro, you know, that guy's probably got more notoriety, you know what I mean, and more eyes on this brand. Just that's, this. that's one of the so things that, that we kind of wrestled with is that, you know, do we do we uh, on one hand I'm like, call the call the fucker out. And then on the other hand, Kate's like, no, I don't want to give him any more notoriety than he's getting. I, you know, nobody knew who he was before this. They shouldn't know him after this. So it's kind of like one of those things like, man, hey, do, do you fucking call him out or not? Well, I had a situation where I had um, one of the big blogs got in touch with me about it and we went back and forth about it. And he was just oh, like, you know, there's moves that he's going to make against somebody. He's like, I'm not going to publish it because the guy not big enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the, I think what he was saying was that he didn't believe that the guy had distribution here, and that's why they were changing the name of the company or something. I haven't had a chance to go and look at that, um, but it was kind of like along the same lines of like. And then I had another friend um, who I went to co- uh, high school with, who writes for like Time and Newsweek and things like that over in Europe, and their branches and those pub- those levels of publications here and over there. And she asked that I want you know her to use the power of her pen. You know, and I thought about it, and I was—I haven't even responded yet to that. But you know, even with her, I was like, "Is he even big enough to to kind of go after?" You know, and I don't know. My whole thing is just that you know, certainly whatever happens or doesn't happen from this point on, I think people recognize the type of person that he is. You know, well, well, there you go. Now everybody's seeing you run your mouth, and you know, whatever comes out of that for you comes out of that for you. The posts are there on C.W. Harris's Facebook page. I, I, I sent Tut over there, so there are, it's a public viewable post. Yeah. Uh, go there and, and and check it out for yourself. Be prepared. Like I said, it's it's an uncomfortable read. Um, but you know what? Ultimately, that's kind of one of the good things about this movement we have going on right now, where you, these these guys aren't aren't hiding in the shadows anymore. Like you said, CW, they can't help it. They've got, they've, they've, they've got to do it. And for whatever reason, where guys like Gurkha weren't getting called out before posting heinous shit. Now people are calling them out and they're taking it all the way to their business pages. Uh, they're taking it every Avenue they can, whether it's a cigar media empire, like the Tuesday night cigar club, getting you on here, whether it's, your, whether it's your new, whether it's your whether it's your friend who writes for Newsweek. I mean, like, we're just like them. We're just like Newsweek and oh, over in the oh, There you go. Maybe not. No, but you know what, though? And I, I don't want to cut job on that, but I mean, that's the whole thing with social media. Like, I work in branding and marketing. And, you know, we can put out stuff just like anybody else can put out stuff. Me and my guys can design uh different graphics, infographics, different things like that, and put them out there and get just as many followers as some of the big brands can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the advent of social media has kind of leveled that. So, you know, with this and what we're doing here and on your podcast and everything like that, you know, people see it. People see it. You know what I mean? 
and just real quick, uh, uh, we are more the Jugs magazine of the cigar media world. Not, yeah, we are. Not Newsweek. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm mad. Let's go Mad Magazine. I mean, and I'm and I'm fine with that. It takes all everybody to reach all across the spectrum. Uh, hey man, you know variety is the spice of life, baby. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, well, let me let me let me go this way. Mm-hmm. In this moment in time, when the black community is hurting, struggling, and fighting tooth and nail for equality, at a level and an intensity that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Uh, when lives, actual beating hearts, are literally on the line, why would anyone, and a lot of what I'm talking about tonight is the psychology of these people, why would anyone knowingly add to that hurt and think that this will be a good look in any way for them? Like, this community is on a precipice of possible humongous change the likes we've never seen in our infancy of a country. It's a huge moment. There's been bigger changes with, you know, well, uh, slaves being freed in the civil rights movement. Well, sure. I'm sorry. I'm just talking about my life. What I've seen in my lifetime, this is a huge moment. And you're just seeing so much open sores. You're seeing so much revealed that people haven't talked about before. You're learning all this stuff, especially from, you know, your African-American friends that they never really felt comfortable telling you or they just, for whatever reason, kept things private and now they're sharing it. And now you're, as as a white man, digesting that and figuring out the best way to help, the best way to empathize. And while we're all going through these very human emotions and trying to work together and trying to, to just really come to a new a new level of enlightenment and progress, these fuckheads yeah. are, are slamming their foot on the brake with stupid ass memes and bullshit. And it's like, anytime these guys, and this, this stuff you see every day, the all lives matter stuff, yeah. any post in a cigar group that supports black lives matters, give it 10 minutes. You're going to see a guy post all lives matters. And at this point, if you don't get, like you said earlier, that once Black Lives Matters, then All Lives Matters, it's not an either or asshole. It's it's this has to happen before everybody wants all lives to matter, but this has to happen first. And here's, I don't know, a thousand reasons why that's not the case. Let's work on that. It's 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 so black and white, but they just, they're going to keep posting the memes. They're going to keep, they can't wrap their pee heads around such a simple concept. And those memes don't necessarily get the, the feet, the, the blowback that this guy's did. I mean, he came at you hard, man. And um, usually they, they, they try to take a breath and try to educate. We all do. They mean people on the right side of this. Someone posts an all lives matter thing, whether it's a relative or, you know what, let me just take a second and try to once again, explain this maybe in a different way and just try to give them a little bit of, of context here. Um, and then what was it like two months ago, these all lives matters people, they didn't give a shit when they were sacrificing grandma and grandpa to reopen all the businesses. Right. I mean, you can, you know, you can turn that thing upside down with how fake that is. You know what I'm saying? And I just believe that there's people out there that 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they get so scared of any type of progress. You know what I'm saying? And then the next thing is to lump, you know, we had the, um, the demonstrations from protests to rioting and looting that took place, you know, to try to lump all of that together, which is not true. There's definitely people who took, you know, as opportunists to do some of these things. I live on the south side of Chicago, which has some rough areas. There was nobody outside of those people who did that who were happy about that. You know what I'm saying? And nor do I associate those with people who are doing peaceful protests. Quite frankly, some of these people don't want to see any type of protest. You know what I'm saying? If somebody's kneeling, I don't want you kneeling. You know what I mean? If somebody speaks and just says, I want to talk, I don't want to talk about it. So it's just like, it doesn't matter how that conversation is coming. There are certain people that just don't want to have it. Sure. And I think that they feel like it's being forced upon them. But, you know, that's how growth is. I think that the majority of Americans, at least as it seems, we to find out more, I think, in November when people go to the polls, which is a whole other thing. But it seems like our country has come to a place where people want to move past and try to do the right things. And there's some uncomfortableness there. There's people who are making gaps and trying to do it. But I've just judged it that people are trying. Now, in a couple of months, I'm going to see if those people who are doing things today are following through with what they're saying, you know, because people can easily put a cool graphic up. <laughs> And say yeah. now with something, and then three months down the line, nothing's changed. So I think people's feet will be held to the fire. But my thought is, you know, with this great American experience, uh, experiment, some people call it what it is, to have so many different types of people that we live in the country together. Um, as a black person, I've <laughs> my people have certainly seen some of the brunt of the underside of that, but have even with that still believed in it, still fought for it. You know, my, my uh, uncle was telling me a story he fought in the Korean War. Behind my, the house that they grew up in, there's military barracks, right? And as a kid, you don't even think about it. It's like, oh, there's big builders back there with some military trucks. But they said that during World War II, this is in Greenwood, Mississippi, by the way, that there were German POWs that were brought to those barracks. And as kids, they would, like, play ball over the fence with them. And they said wow. the thing that would kill them was those German soldiers could go into more places in that city than they could as American citizens. Now, a lot of people say, get over that, this or that. Nobody gets over that. And that's not a long time ago. You know, um, that was my parents' lifetime. Yeah. You know, but I think that we sit here on the precipice of something that it looks like there could be some change made. And I'm, I'm positive with that. And I just think that there are going to be some people who are going to be kicking and stream, screaming against it. There's people who harbor things in their hearts that they're not going to be able to stop themselves because of the addiction to social media. It's going to come out one way or the other because either they're going to say it now or they've already said it. But you know what, CW, now that we've talked about it and I think about it, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Weed them out. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I'm thankful for it. Uh, I, I'm thankful for it. And mainly because what you said, what's going to happen in two months? Once the fear of this goes down, once the, the passion kind of subsides, you know, what's going to happen in two months? But people like this that keep fucking posting this stuff, Hopefully that keeps those embers stoked, and it's like, no, this is still here. This is still the thing that we have to do. Yeah, they're actually they're actually in a way hurting their own their own cause. Uh, which, hey, imagine that a guy from Denmark can't wrap his head around people marching for something. Man. How the hell are you gonna march in wooden shoes? <laughs> they do wear wooden shoes, right? Am I am I getting that confused? You might be getting. I think, isn't that, isn't that Sweden? That's the Netherlands, maybe. 
I've just, I've just alienated, I've just alienated all of our Danish Dane uh, listeners. Your email box is going to be full when you get off here, but you know. <laughs> hey, I like, I like, I like windmills. That counts for something, right? You know, I never had a beef with those people, and and, and actually, I just say I still don't. You know, that's I, I'll I'll put that on him. Um, that's how I'm with everybody, man. You that's know? very that's very big of you, CW. I. I'm not as kind. I'm I'm done with. Oh, don't don't ever get it twisted with me. I have I have a I, I have a square I maintain, right? And as long as somebody stays out that square, I operate inside my square. I'm like a bull in that way. I guess that's why I'm a Taurus. My horoscope. You cross that fence, then you know different things happen. Uh, that's a, that's a that's a good way. My God, I have a huge square. My. <laughs> don't you come in here? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with it. I mean, you saw what I, how I responded to him. You know what I'm saying? And there's just so many different ways. You know, when he even stepped to that, you know, stepped in that with me, I'm like, bro, I'm not the one. Uh, well, no, and and you 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 handled yourself actually with probably a lot more. Um, you probably handled a lot more calmly. Let me say that than than I I could ever imagine <laughs> myself doing. Let me ask you this: uh, we we talked the other day. Uh, Going back to the Gurkha thing, they've been when he when he first uh, they they found these these tweets and these Facebook posts. He said he was hacked after a couple of days. Then the company said he was hacked and they pulled it down. And then they said they were going to do a live town hall on Zoom and discuss. But they were sorry for they weren't sure what they were sorry for. But he didn't still had he didn't do it. And then the next day he resigned. And then the next big announcement came, and I didn't. I want to see if you were able to check any of it out. They did a town hall with Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew to try to. Uh, <laughs> and I, you, you, I missed that because when I saw the eight o'clock ripping and running, moving around, I was thinking uh, Central Time. I got the times mixed up, and didn't get a chance because I did want to see that and see what what happened in that. Yeah, I wish they had those that where you could watch them after the fact. I looked, they yeah. didn't. It was, it was their 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 crisis control team has has just done some really uh, interesting moves ever since this this broke. And bringing in Uncle Luke was, uh, I was really wanted to see where they were going to go with that. Uh, you know what I mean, because Luke doesn't play. You know well, no, I mean? and I and I've watched some of his you know his stuff. I mean, he's he seems like one of the more grounded kind of straight shooting yeah. uh, celebrities out there but i just i was very curious to see how i we, we did a show that night so i, I couldn't uh, check it out but i wish i would have seen it too man i thought about it, i looked at it and i'm like oh man i was like that already happened you uh, know, I was, i'm thinking, thinking I, I got the times wrong on that okay uh, i just wanted to see if you checked it out oh by the way tut if uh-huh. we if we get into any pr trouble on the podcast I'm going to be bringing in either the Fat Boys or Skilo to do some damage control for us. Uh, uh, as a guy who's that's also all, that's all our budget has uh, that we can we can go. As a guy who's also studied marketing, I would suggest uh, Chub Rock. I want Chub Rock. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. And it's, got a, it's got a softer side to it. And we can we can only afford one. Of, we can only afford one of the Fat the Fat Boys. Yeah, that's true. There's only two of them left. <laughs> oh, is there? Oh, that's that's sad. Uh, you know, it's funny that they're real skinny now. Oh, are they? Well, good for them. 
How about that? Okay. Yeah, the last yeah. two. The guy used to beatbox is gone. Buffy. He did. He didn't get skinny, so he had you know. Oh, you know what? That's the one I wanted. So we'll go with Skilo. We'll go Skilo. <laughs> that uh, makes me sad now. All right. Well, look. Our audience well knows after five years of listening and watching to us that we don't get political on here often, or at least not till hour three when we're nice and liquored up. Uh, but we, we try to keep things light here in the corner of no hope. Uh, after all, we're a party podcast. Yeah. And we like to have a lighthearted good time and share that good time with our followers. But I wanted to talk to someone tonight who was directly involved in some of this nonsensical social media vitriol. I wanted to put a human face on it. Because when I see friends of mine getting attacked, whether it's a social media friend who I'm just now having the pleasure to actually, after 10 years, talk to, like CW, or another, you know, African-American friend who's actually, you know, I don't know, social media friends. And then, like, I've actually hung out with this guy. Uh, (laughs) When I see see these people that I know get attacked, to me, that makes a big difference because now I've got – you can read the news all you want and you can read about hate and, and misguided negative energy all you want on social media. But until you see it aimed at someone that you know or care about, it really changes, at least for me, uh, it, it lights a spark and it really makes you think about some bigger things that maybe you were thinking about, but not hard enough. Because it's just it just it's just kind of a wake up that you know what this shit's serious and if there's something we can do if there's something that I'm not doing that I could do then uh, I should do it so I do a podcast and you were nice enough to come on so I thank you yeah you know I would just say that that's that's a great thought to have one of the things that I've said um, around some of the the recent upheaval and things in the country is while I don't go for looting and stuff like that. You know, I'm also thinking on the self, thinking about it in terms of why do things have to get so loud before people hear? You know what I'm saying? A lot of these things could be dealt with that if you hear someone, and a lot of it needs to be people coming together. Now, Black people, we have to engage the majority all the time, but the majority needs to engage and have friends and talk to your friends, even if it's uncomfortable. So you can see some of these things already. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't have to be, you know, days and days of protest and, and you know, the, the, the upheaval that you see to, to get things to move. Like that stuff has made things move, but it's like it didn't even have to go to that level. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This could have been handled in conversation, true conversations that I would tell you that black people have been ready to have. I think we got a freeze up. When I said it was was so poignant, <laughs> well, it was, and I was like, was like, was like I got all, I got all like thoughtful there, and then it was like silence, and I was like, well, crap, do I say anything? <laughs> uh, that, that's the biggest part of it. No, that's uh, uh I, I was, I was actually watching the uh, Sandra Bland documentary, and uh one of the things that she said that was really kind of hit home to me is that she was like, black people need more white friends and white friends. You definitely need more black friends. Yeah. And that goes, Oh no, we lost Kate. And that goes to it because those conversations can be had if, if we had more friends. Yeah. 
It's, and, it's, it's a real interesting time. I mean, people can, I, I've, one of the things that I've been very hopeful about is that listening to the voices of, and I need to, I need to watch Cade to see if he's going to come back, which he will, but I'll see if I get that message there. Yeah. He just said, okay, got to get back in. Uh, a lot of the old civil rights guys are like, we now see activation. We see a lot of activation that hasn't necessarily happened in the white community before. And that's giving film hope. And that to me gives me hope. I'm like, all right, well, hell maybe it's not going to fix itself. But maybe if we get, you know, 50 yards more down, that's awesome. Let's, let's, let's go for that. And then after we get to that 50 yards, see what happens from there. There it is. I mean, the whole thing is that, and I think that there can be quicker change. I think that social media allows some of these relationships to be made. You know what I'm saying? That even if you're in a cigar group with different people of different uh, ethnicities, that that happens. The cool thing that happened for me is I grew up in a diverse setting. Yeah. You know, um, a neighborhood that was diverse and had everybody there, high school, same thing, you know, and everybody was true to themselves and who they were, you know what I mean? But we all got along and grew up as kids together, so we have an understanding of each other, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, that's why you probably, a lot of the white kids I grew up in high school, to see that guy say, I came from a mother in the slums. They come out of my neighborhood, and then my mother was college educated. <laughs> you know, lived in a two parent, two story home. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, so I pissed them off. Like, what? <laughs> no, you come from that. But it's always given me a, um, and it's kind of sad to say this, but some, in some ways it's given me a step up that I feel comfortable in so many situations being myself and saying what I got to say because I've been around different kind of people my whole life. Yeah. You know and and I, I understand where people are coming from. I remember there was a comedian a long time ago said something that I knew was true and he was saying, uh, you know, for black people, white people aren't as corny as, you know, we make them out to be on TV. And for white people, black people aren't as jive as yeah. they're made out to be. You meet that. And, I've had, and I've had a situation where I've met with a new white person and they start, you know, trying to talk street stuff. And I'm like, well, I can understand the King's English. You got a college education. You might be, you know. But, it's, but, it, but it comes down to, like we were saying, is the conversations that need to be had. What you'll end up finding out is that while there are differences, that's just America, and there is a past that, you know, the things that happened in the past do be up to now. There is no forgetting that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I yeah. think that if you really look at it, the one thing I say about African Americans is that we've never asked for revenge on any of that stuff. All we've ever asked for is for the country to live up to what it put on paper. That was a quote from Martin Luther King said. I'm paraphrasing it. But just live up to what, what the flag stands for. Live up to what the, the, the paper stands for. You know what I'm saying? To say that all men are created equal and all the things that we go off of. That's all that's ever been asked. Yeah. Uh, I think my bromance, Matthew McConaughey, quoted Langston Hughes uh, on the Acho video. And he was like, uh, you know, the America, the great America that has not been but needs to be. There you go. And I was like, yeah. you miss me? I did. I did. We talked about it, you know. So we're going to hang in there until he gets back and there'll be no tear shed. I'm out, aren't I? You're the new host of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. <laughs> He's been uh, trying. We're, 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 we weren't going to just, you know, just announce that right now. We're going to have a conversation. Now. Hey, do you got an extra 30 minutes we can talk to you? He's been, he's been trying to uh, find a replacement for me for some time. And uh, 
<laughs> Here we go. And, well, and, it's finally, and it's finally happened. <laughs> he could have at least not gone with a Bears fan. <laughs> you know, I got a Bears shirt on, too. Oh, see, I almost wore mine. I almost did. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you guys – I. I'm having some internet things here. I hope you guys uh, had good talk while I was dropped out. Real quick, I will say this, and I don't know where you guys have gone, but one uh, point- Let's see. We talked to Sandra Bland documentary, Matthew McConaughey, and uh, Langston Hughes. Yep. Well, those were and all- paraphrase Martin Luther King. And Martin <laughs> Those were all the points I was going to talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you admit you were talking about, and we don't need to go back there, CW, but you were talking about how people, you know, are focusing on the looting and and the, and the damage done and kind of, you know, focusing on, the, on, on, on a small piece of something that has nothing to do with the other things. Whereas... You know, going. I just couldn't help, and I haven't seen this anywhere, so maybe this isn't not a very apt comparison. But you know, there was a guy in Charlottesville that drove his car over a woman, and you didn't see everyone focusing on that troublemaker and lumping everyone else there in with that asshole. Exactly. Uh, but yet. There's, you know, these huge forces of people on their feet peacefully, and you're you're associating that much larger group with this much smaller questionable group, and it just seems it just seems like oh, news alert! People are hypocrites. Uh, okay. Uh, well, let me say this: I don't know what you guys talked about, and I'm just going to assume because I know Tut. And I think I know you well enough, CW. It was good stuff. So I would just like to say this to kind of close out on. I want us, uh, the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, to be very public about where we stand and on what side of history we want to fall on. Um, It's not just enough these days. I read this somewhere earlier and it kind of struck forward. It's not just enough today to not be racist. It's... At the at this point in time, you have to be anti-racist. Yeah, anti-racist, and you have to and you have to call shit out and help when your friends are trying to call things out and put people on blast who have hurt them or who are out there hurting people. If you have a platform or a voice to help them, then uh, you're weak sauce. If you don't, so um, I'm. I, I hope that this was something that was good for UCW. I hope that, um, I know it was good for us. Like I said, we, we talked about Gurkha for a while, but let's be honest. There's a big difference between four white guys sitting around talking about these issues and kicking two of those guys out and having you come in here and bring in, you know, this is personally, this is, this is affecting your life. This is going on right now. Uh, especially as far as social media and, how things can go sideways fast. And I thought you brought a really interesting, unique perspective to it that a lot of people probably don't get to have someone explain it to them and what, what it feels like. And I hope that, you know, I appreciate that you did that for us. Hey, well, I appreciate you having me. You know, the one thing about it is I always say that, you know, your actions talk so loud. I can't even hear what you're saying. 
You know what I'm saying? A lot of people talk, but I always say, what are you going to do? You know, the way that you guys have come at this is that you put me on the show and you wanted to talk about it. That's action. And to hear a different voice. So I, I respect that. I, I thank you for having me here. It's been fun. And, you know, I hope the more of these conversations go on across the nation, I think they will. Some of the stuff is raw, man, when you talk about it. You just got to push through it, you know what I mean, and, and get to a better place. I think that if things continue on the trajectory that they're going out of these, out of the unrest and things that are taking place, I think it's going to put America in a better place. I really do. And I really do. I really do too, CW. And, and it's got to get there. You know, if we can do whatever part we can to, especially in our little our little subculture of the universe, premium yeah. cigars, if we can help, you know, pull some of the bad weeds out and throw them in the trash, uh, that just makes room for the, the beautiful flowers. That's it. Uh, and I want to ask you guys, so you guys watch a movie. Yeah. Do your thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh. I'm gonna recommend a movie on the wild sometime. I was gonna yeah. ask you like what kind of I was like our, I know our our viewers are going like hey isn't this a movie podcast I'm like all right well we need to tie this well, in what kind of movies do you like real quick technically like I said before CW gives his recommendation we are doing Arnold's Raw Deal tonight where he plays a Austrian FBI agent who infiltrates the Chicago mafia you live in Chicago have you not seen Raw Deal CW I have seen Raw Deal. Absolutely, right. yeah. of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. yes. And honestly, CW, you would have just as good a chance infiltrating the Chicago Mafia as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> how yeah. they how they let the six foot two, two hundred fifty pound Mister Olympia into the Chicago Italian Mafia? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, in that case. I'm just I like, like you. I came from I came from your neighborhood. <laughs> No, I was thinking about the ones that are really here. I think that, uh, you know, it was funny. I moved to Chicago 23, 20, I think about 23 years ago. And there was a mob pit when I got here. And, you know, it's like, are they still doing this shit here? Apparently. <laughs> uh, so. uh, I, think it'll, uh, I don't think they're, they're certainly not as strong as they used to be. But uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go get us some Calazones. <laughs> Calazones. <laughs> What movie you got for us? You know, I was just thinking about my old man, bro. Now, I could say something to say, you know, <laughs> I don't know what your viewership would do, but I would say I, I, I'm a big fan of Malcolm X no. um, and Denzel and Spike Lee's, but the one that I was thinking about, I was just watching that the other day, and I think that, you know, he's always maligned so much. It's good to see what he really was. I'm, I'm not lying. I was watching that before I, I turned on tonight. Is that right? He's yeah. not, he's I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Malcolm X and Denzel and Spike Lee's version. It's, he's, he's not, it's great. If you watch our last episode, CW, this is before all this happened. I don't know how. Oh, I think it came up because we are talking about Spike Lee. Yeah. And um, Tut was, was, had way more experience in the filmography of Spike Lee than I did. He went off on a 10-minute Malcolm X uh, <laughs> soap, soap, soapbox. I was one of the I was one of the middle class uh, white kids growing up at deep in the heart of East Texas with the autobiography of Malcolm X in my backpack. But but he was going off on yeah. uh, Tut was going yeah. off on you know she's got to have it and this yeah. and that and I I was so I was so ashamed because I'm not gonna say it uh, you you can go watch that the only, the only Spike Lee movie I have any real connection to a memory is is it Girl Six or Girl Eight. That's like the worst one to me. I love that movie. I, I can imagine what you think of Spike Lee's movie. 
but it was it was entertaining, but it wasn't like directorial wise anything special. So I never watched any of the other stuff. And Tuttle's like, you gotta watch this stuff. That's not that's not my favorite. I don't know Tuttle. That's that's probably the, the one that I don't like. But Spike is just the thing I love about him. And then I'm gonna give you the other recommendation I had. I just you know he has his own style. You know he'll go down. I think like the Scorseses and different people where when you see a Spike Lee flick come on, and if you don't know it's a Forty Acres on a Mule, you know it's him. The music. Uh, mostly by uh, Terrence Blanchard, the colors and stuff like that. It's like, or certainly when they do spy cam, when the guys are walking and they're not moving and it's doing the walk. Yeah. Or it's coming at some point. I just appreciate his artistry and I appreciate it more and more um, as I get older. The movie I was going to say you guys to check out, have you ever heard of the movie Southern Comfort? No. no I was and David Carradine. Oh my God. Uh, hang on because I know we need to get Cade back in for this because I think he has seen it. All right, CW, give it to us. Keep in mind, while we're watching, while we're talking about these films, we're drinking a lot. So we try not to do anything too heady, but we have on occasion surprised ourselves with by how intellectual and fancy we can sound talking about a really good movie. So come at me. What you got? What you got? So understand that you guys are fans of Powers Booth. I was telling Tut that a movie I uh, recommend for you guys is Southern Comfort. Are you familiar with Southern Company? I get <laughs> National Guard under attack. I have I have had two years in a row we were gonna do that film pairing, of course, with a Southern Draw cigar. There you go. And both times I went another direction. It is streaming free on Amazon Prime right now. Come on. It is a phenomenal movie, and I'm not passing it over this year. There you go. We're doing it. That is this, this is funny. Now, this is funny. I'm a spiritual guy, right? I'm a spiritual guy. I believe that different impulses and things come to you. And I was telling Tut, I said, I don't know why I need to tell you guys to watch this movie. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I love the movie. It was one of my dad's favorites, uh, God bless him. Um, and I, I still love it. But something was like, tell them to watch Southern Comfort. And I think it's just really that is confirmation that you guys need to watch it because you've already been, you know, considering it. So Man, there's confirmation I, that it needs to be watched. It is. On, it has been on my list for. Well, it wasn't available for a long time. You couldn't stream it. You could only watch it on disc. Mm, and, okay. And then, like about a year ago, or a little more, it, it it started streaming on Prime, and you know, directed by Walter Hill, who you know created no, co-created no. Alien, Forty Eight Hours, Last okay. Man Standing, the most underrated Bruce Willis movie ever. Hey. Uh, I mean, Powers Booth. Oh my God! Yes, I, I can grant that wish right now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen it. I, as much as as much as I like Powers, I, I haven't seen it yet. So okay. I'm looking forward okay. to it. Uh, well, we sh- well we shall do it. Um, well, CW, best of luck, man. Let's just I think we're we're on the same page. We want to see this country uh, come out in the next few months a better country. And I think we're capable. Of, I think we're capable of it. And of it. Yes, even are. a even a nihilistic kind of bastard like me who who doesn't see the, the good in things often. Um, I know enough people who I trust and I respect who do that. I'm going to just latch on to them and assume they know what they're talking about. And thank there, you. There's, thank you. Yeah, I, I was talking to CW, not you. Oh, you're, okay. you're more you're more pessimistic than me. Uh, but no, you know what? Um, 
dude, you, you're just a solid guy. Best of luck. Hang in there. Keep fighting the good fight. If there's Always. if there's uh, certainly more to come in this story, uh, you know where to find us. And yeah. um, I just uh, I just can't say thanks enough for getting on here and just kind of exposing yourself and being open with your with your life because that's that's just not easy. So thank you. you know what is I, I felt um, that was something I should do. That's what my instinct said, and I'm glad that I did it. I've enjoyed you know having this time with you guys. I thank you for having me on. It's been fun and. That's the whole thing, you know, we talked about some serious stuff here. I don't think anybody held back anything, you know, and that's just something that more needs to happen in this country. And, you know, I think that it's starting to. I think that maybe in this kind, sometimes, you know, social media has been both a uh, gift and a curse, if you will. <laughs> Even with some of the things, you know, I, I still enjoy it. I don't care what that dude said, man, you know. Well, there, is, there is still something just uh that can never be replaced about a face-to-face conversation. Oh, well, question. Well, and and now, especially nowadays, when face-to-face means me staring at squares on a screen, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's still it's still actually it still is important and it still has oh. a really deeper resonance than anything you can type and and communicate, you know, in, in the written question. word. Uh, so just sitting here talking to you, I, I got a a more of a sense of kind of what's going on with you and how this kind of did than, than anything you could have written. So uh, this was, this was important to me and I respect the hell out of you for saying yes and doing it. And you know what, maybe we'll do it again sometime under on the other end of the, the rainbow. We'll, uh, we'll get you, we'll get you out of that basement out on your deck. You can have a cigar and a beer. Yeah. We'll celebrate. Yeah. I know to do that next time. I should have been thinking better of that and maybe been outside or whatever, but we'll make it happen. We will. Uh, hey, thanks, partner. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate that. We'll catch up. And, you know, shoot me a uh, message. If I don't see that you guys are watching Southern Comfort, because I'll definitely uh, be around for that one. I will. Oh, and hey, right. say, since you're here, you want to give a plug to your business? If you're in oh, Chicago, yeah. if you are in Chicago and you are looking for the best of the best, here's where they should come. Yes, for uh, branding and multimedia marketing, we connect your brand to your target audience. We tell your story in its most authentic, powerful, effective form so that the people who need to hear your story and understand your brand are connected with it. We do that through building websites, through social media, through blogging, just really getting your brand out there and getting it in a way to the right people. That's what we do. So that's CW here in Chicago. CWHairChicago.com. Maybe some. And by the way, not just Chicago. Our last uh, client we just picked up this week is a law firm in New York City. Well, there you go. <laughs> Damn. Maybe, all over the place. Maybe some uh, European cigar makers should hire you to teach them how to navigate, <laughs> navigate, you know social, I, navigate I, social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely uh, needs somebody to counsel him on uh, what to do and what not to do. Uh, wouldn't that be the ironic twist, CW, if he ended up hiring your firm and you actually changed him? He actually, you, 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 you actually took him under your arm, like Finding Forrester or one of those feel-good movies, and, and, <laughs> yeah. you, and you, you turned him into a decent human being. Wouldn't that be special? Yeah, you know, and there, there's room for people to change, man. You know, there, there's room for people to see the light. Yeah. Some people seem like they fight it, <laughs> but... Yeah. 
You know, there's been people who've had to change the heart. I certainly could do that, you know. I don't know about Denmark, but uh, America is certainly the country of second chances. So uh, anything is anything is possible. Uh, powerful stuff. So who's ready to smoke a Gurkha cigar? Do I need a lawyer? Or do uh, we need a lawyer to smoke? Trying to sound. Uh, for the record, I, I purchased these for the show uh, quite some time ago, uh, completely oblivious to anything that's going on with uh, the owners twittering, tweeting, whatever. Uh, the dweeb. It is. I knew once when the day would come where we would be doing another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and this is the Governor's Private Blend by Gurkha. It is a 7 by 55 Churchill, Ecuadorian Habano wrapper with Dominican binder. The filler, I couldn't really get any clear information. I know there is some Colombian tobacco, which is a, a rare one here on the show, and some Corojo tobacco of undisclosed origin. So I don't, I'm not too sure on the filler other than some Colombian and Corojo, but it is a uh, Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Dominican binder. I will save the price point till last. Um, and that's all the info I've got on this cigar. Like I said, I, I got him a while back before all this nonsense. And uh, hey, Arnold Arnold was a governor. It's the governor's private blend. Whether this pairing plays out nicely or not remains to be seen until we light these motherfuckers on fire. So let's do it. As we do it, uh, boys, Yaks, what else do we do here on the show? We do stuff. Other things. Lots of it. Oh, here we have a delicious, hopefully delicious, now questionably delicious, of course. No, we will not let today's today's news influence our opinion at all. I just lit up this whole thing's crap. It should be like a dollar. Did you hack away at the cap? I sure did. It begins... All cigars matter except this one. <laughs> no, no, we'll be completely unbiased. Uh, yeah, because we also uh, we also drink beers, right? We have we, we we hopefully have a delicious premium cigar paired expertly with a hopefully delicious craft beer, and which of course tonight we don't have to say we it hopefully will be a a cinematic jewel. It is a cinematic jewel. So that one's already taken care of. There's just no way for me to say this movie's going to be crap. It's going to be fantastic. It's a badass Can't movie. And, uh, well, let's start the beer. Let's see what everybody's drinking tonight. As usual, we usually pair a specific beer. The four of us gather here where I am in the Corner of Hope. We all drink the same beer and compare notes, pairing notes and scar. We can't really do that right now via uh the coronavirus so we're all buying our own beer and doing the best we can pairing wise uh or just whatever fucking beer we can find in the store these days i what am i drinking yet you have the Alyssa ipa from saint arnold brewing saint arnold uh, they are, saint arnold no 
no, not named for our beloved Arnold. He hasn't yet reached sainthood yet. He will. But he, this is for St. Arnold, patron saint of brewers. Uh, they are uh, founded in uh, Houston, Texas in 1994. They are the oldest Texas craft brewer. Uh, the Alyssa is 6.6 uh, .6 ABV and uh, 60 IBUs. Uh, if you ever get a chance to visit the St. Arnold Brewery, I highly recommend it. It's, it's uh, fantastic. It's when I was living in Houston, it was literally a couple taps uh, in the back of a loading dock in a warehouse uh, where they could rent out for private parties and whatnot. And now it is a monolith. It is a huge play. I mean, yeah, yeah, a thousand people out there. I mean, it's just enormous uh, brewery and beer garden and um yeah, they've just exploded. Um, I'm hit or miss with St. Arnold's. To me, Yax, this is one of those IPAs where they, they've done a lot to it to make it not taste like an IPA. Or at least or at least maybe accidentally they did that because I'm not getting a lot of IPA characteristics from it. Uh, it is growing on me after the second one, but um, yeah, it's got more of a... It's, it's very low bitter. What's the bitterness on this one? Uh, 60. 60 no. IBUs. There's no way. I put it at 45 tops. Uh, mm. But it does have a nice aroma. It is uh, somewhat refreshing considering it's 100,000 degrees in Central Texas right now. So uh, I'll keep drinking it and, I'll, and I'll, I'll report back. Sounds good. What's the doctor? All right, who's next? What's the doctor drinking? The doctor is drinking the deep Ellum IPA. No fancy name for their IPA, just Deep Ellum. Deep Ellum Brewing, uh, located in Dallas, Texas. In, of course, Deep Ellum, which is in Dallas, which is a, I guess I would say it's a, a, a revitalized neighborhood. Uh, happened here within the last five to 10 years. Uh, Deep Ellum actually makes a lot of uh, wonderful beers, uh, if not for the IPA, get their Dream Crusher double IPA, which is phenomenal. Okay. The the Their normal IPA, it's a 7% ABV and 70 IBUs. So, Doctor, is your diagnosis 70 IBUs? My God, Cade, it's a tasty beer, but no. Uh, it's a uh, it's got a nice uh, floral lilt to it. Very easy, very easy, uh, good tasting for seven ABV. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy the seventy. Uh, could you it's... knock, could you knock back a six of these on the golf course easily? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially now. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're enjoying it, uh, Doctor. Uh, while we're doing these, these Zoom uh, video episodes, the Doctor uh, unfortunately cannot join us from his office in the cigars, but uh, doctor, don't worry. I will have your Gurkha and possibly, I got some other Gurkhas I'm gonna just give to you. Uh, I'm gonna have a whole bag of Gurkhas coming your way once we meet again. 
I could potentially do the show from out on the Lanai, but uh, unfortunately, we are in that time of the year you mentioned where it's about uh, 9,000 degrees outside, so uh, it's just not feasible, but uh, I'm sure you guys will let me know. Uh, we will. Uh, there was some uh, real chocolate bar on the cold draw on the cigar and some sweetness on the foot when I before I lit up, um, and then once I lit it up, pretty much I'm getting, uh, it's got, it, it's got a nice aroma. I'm getting uh, it, it smells nice, uh, but right now I'm really just getting pepper, uh, black pepper on the nose, and I'm not quite sure what I'm getting on the draw yet. I was about Sounds to like say, my PA. Uh, it's weird because I didn't get any of that. I got I was like on the cold draw, and especially the smell, I was getting almost like floral sensation, like a floral note. Uh, and then when I lit up. I'm not getting the black pepper. I'm not getting the pepper on the nose. I'm getting like a, I, I, not not even a breadiness. Uh, really? It's something soft, but I'm not getting any. I, I'm still searching for it, but but it could be this beer just kind of blasting away. This cigar is not holding up to the beer so far. What is uh, Yak Boy? You're lighting up your stogie right now. What is Tut drink? Tut is having the next coast. IPA from Goose Island Brewing. They are out of uh, Chicago. Uh, the Goose, the the next coast is a seven percent ABV, uh, forty IBUs, so it comes in a little bit lower than the rest. Uh, Goose Island, of course, um, uh, is very good, but they were one of the ones that uh, Anheuser Busch snatched up and they're grabbed by all craft beers. And they had unfortunately taken a hit from that, but I think that, I think some of their selection has bounced back, and they they've cared about the quality. So I'm surprised to hear that this is 40. Uh, we've done we've definitely done some beers on this show that's like our IBUs are 125, and this is this is more bitter than some of those. You're saying it's fake news. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> uh doctor you might need to change Tut's meds a little bit sad thing is i didn't have him on any i think it's time to get him on some though <laughs> you gotta loosen the headband Tut, let's get an appointment going yeah that that headband looks very constricting let's let's get you let's get you on something yax you lit up are you getting breadiness on the nose and floral like tut or are you getting black pepper on the nose and just some very kind of flat coffee and maybe a little cocoa on the draw like me. The prior to light up, the cold draw was just like a, a combination of chocolate and like a, almost a fresh cut hay. Hmm. It's really what I was getting. Now, when I lit up, I got a little blast of spice and I'm not getting any of it right now. It, it could like disappear. Okay. So hopefully that will come back. The bready component, I, I'm i getting some flavors here, but I, I can't classify it as bread. I'm still thinking it, it, it falls more within the, the hay earth component. Now, yeah, you said fresh cut hay. So you're not getting like hay that was cut yesterday. This is hay that was just cut like within the It apple. literally rolled into this five minutes ago. I watched the guy. He's over here there in the corner. Okay. Uh, well, we got one more beer. What Dude. are you? Yours. Oh, mine. Of course. 
And of course, unlike the rest of you, I decided to go non-IPA. Russian Imperial Stout. No. Oh. I was I thoroughly scanned the store hoping to find a Joseph IPA Brenner, but since they didn't make that, I went with a Hefeweizen. Oh. I wanted to try something a little bit lighter because I figured, oh, something named the governor is going to be strong and bold. Yeah. I don't want anything to conflict with that. <laughs> I, I think I might have made a mistake. And so. Maybe you should have gotten the blonde. Oh, no, I uh, went with Hefeweizen from uh, Live Oak, of course, in honor of oh, yeah, yeah. Austrian Oak. Oh, oh. Austrian Oak. There you go, Yex. Good man. Good job. Uh, Live Oak uh, Brewery is out of uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, they started back in 1997. Uh, fairly old, just like uh, St. Arnold back in the 90s. Um, they have, uh, luckily over the years, uh, grown and continue to grow. They're uh, here in uh, 2015. They just opened a new brewery tap room and beer garden uh, on 20 acres uh, over by the uh, airport. 20 acre beer garden. Good God. Well, I mean, not on 20 acres, I mean, but it, they, they got a, a little chunk of land. So whenever they need to hopefully expand in the future, they'll have it. Uh, they have a bison. Uh, it's very good. I'm liking it very much. It's a 5.2% ABV and only 12 IBUs. Hence why I picked it because it's, I was thinking there, you know, it's not going to have anything to conflict. Yeah, the, the, cigar, cigar, but. the cigar looks intimidating, but, but it's not, uh, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a kind of an oily, darker wrapper. It's a big, hefty size, but boy, there's just not a lot of power. I, I was about to say, it looks great, but it definitely looks like it's supposed to be a lot stronger than it is. There's, and I'm not saying that as a knock on it. It's a, uh, I think there's some subtlety there. I think my beer's blasting it the crap away, but well, I don't know. It's it's uh, I don't I don't want to steal the doc's line. Uh, perhaps you which, should. Perhaps you should. The, I have a vice. Which, by the way, Doc and I are rocking sevens. I just wanted to point that out. Rocking sevens. What does that mean? Seven percent ABVs. Oh. You're you're swinging. Not, not that I'm turning it into a contest all of a sudden. You're swinging dicks now, are we? But I, but I am. Hey, by the way, where, where's where's tonight's movie take place in? Chicago. And where does this take get brewed in? Cody. Um, some place that might sound like Chicago. It is Chicago. Oh, we got uh, a Chicago beer. So I I've got the St. Arnold from Schwarzenegger. Uh, Yaks got no, his didn't make any sense. Uh, yours, he had uh, the Austrian oak, yeah. The Austrian, the Austrian oak. oak doesn't oak make sense. Oak. Yours is brewed Chicago. Out of here, I, I can't stand this anymore. So, uh, doctor, you're the, you're the loser in this round. Well, I just assumed that the deep bell, you said the deep bellum IPA would represent deep thinking. No, we're gonna have some deep conversations tonight, which we've already had. And Arnold was deep undercover. Arnold, Doctor Arnold was deep undercover in this movie. Nice save, Cade. I guess it's not as hackneyed as saying your phone was hacked, so I'll play along for the time being. 
Actually, my little Zoom, my little Zoom window was hacked. I didn't say that. And by the way, Todd, if it's ever too early to tell, you just got to say so, brother. All right. Okay. All right. You guys missed it. Doctor, you misconstrued the words I just said, and you heard exactly as they were said. (laughs) Spoke like a true American, sir. Okay. We drink some beers. We'll check back in with the cigar. In our third thing, a movie. Uh, Tonight, we are doing the most in my opinion, for years now, the most underrated Arnold Schwarzenegger film in his entire filmography. That's bold. A personal favorite of mine that gets no love. It never gets mentioned on anyone's top five Arnold movie list except mine, 1986's Raw Deal. Raw Deal. Definitely underrated for the 80s. They gave him a raw deal. Nobody gives him a raw deal. Nobody. Written by Luciano Vincenzoni, Sergio Donatari, Gary DeVore, and Norman Wexler. (laughs) (laughs) Hey! Who of those dudes have Italian names? That's pretty good if we're going to watch a mafia movie. That's a good sign. Uh, And directed by John Irvin, who would go on a few years later to direct the Vietnam flick Hamburger Hill. Ooh, very good. Nice. I never saw it. And the Patrick Swayze classic, Next of Kin. Oh, very nice. We need to do that on the show. Come on. I never saw that one either. Listen, you're selling yourself short by not listening to Liam Neeson with a southern accent. Are are you shitting me? cinema gold. Uh, hey, he's another guy that got into trouble for saying. I think my thing was just hacked. I, I this is, it's, it's just getting out of control now. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think we're allowed to talk about him anymore. He, he got into some trouble. Uh, uh, did he? Yeah. yeah Let's redirecting slightly. I like how if Cade hadn't seen the movie, it's immediately dismissed. Like Tuts, oh, Hamburger Hill is. I never saw it. Moving on. I said the Patrick Swayze classic next of Ken. I gave it the classic based on how much you guys have. I can't believe you haven't seen that. I thought that that would be like... I like Swayze. I should see it. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. I like it. It's fun. There was actually a movie that we were... I wanted... There was a cigar that we were going to pair it with, and we never got around to it. I, we'll get on the show. We'll get on the show. It's uh, fun. It's fun. Well, can we get it on the show now? Oh, boy. Are he... Are Patrick Swayze and Liam Neeson, are they lovers in that thing? No. They're brothers. 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 Which once Come again, on. There's uh, contradictions throughout the film. That- Come on, Cody. How are we going to do them over here? Oh, God. That's how they that talk. sounds just like him. It's eerie. <laughs> I guess I do need to watch this thing. Uh, tonight's <laughs> film was produced by legendary producer Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, and, yes. And his wife, Martha De uh, Laurentiis grandparents obviously of the smoking hot celebrity chef Giada De Laurentiis. Am I allowed to say that? Am I in trouble now? A little seen. bit. Just a little bit. You'll be fine. Do I need to get a lawyer? Now. Dude, Giada. Oh man. That is one beautiful woman. Yes. And you know what, doctor? The day we can't say that, let's just hang up our hats and go home. That was the 80s. Well, we're all stuck at home now. I guess that's not really a threat. I'm going home. Oh, yeah. Um, 
this was Arnold's third film for Dino De Laurentiis. He, he produced the first two Conan films, which kind of was his obvious big Arnold's big break. Uh, I'll, I'll never, I love the story of when he first went in uh, to meet Dino De Laurentiis for Conan and Arnold walked into his, uh, he's one of the biggest movie producers in the world. And he walks in kind of like Joey Pre Brenner when he walks in to meet the mob boss in the movie tonight, you know, try to try to stay humble, try to, you know, this guy has a lot of power, try to stay reserved. And the first thing Arnold says when he sees this little Italian guy, why does such a little man need such a large desk? <laughs> and because of that, what's his name said, uh-uh, that's not Conan. I'm not putting him in my movie. He almost messed himself up. Almost messed himself up. But much like the mob boss in this movie, didn't care. He gave him the job anyway. Uh, all right. Well, are you boys ready to dig into the beautiful, majestic glory that is 1986's Raw Deal? I can't wait. I do have to admit that uh, I, I saw this. The last time I saw this uh, was a couple of months ago. And it was actually the first time I have saw this. And now it's funny because we've talked to Arnold all this time and I've, okay. I've talked with, I've talked with Kate and I know I've talked with Cody and I've been like, Oh yeah, raw deal this raw deal that. And apparently like I had seen like maybe a scene or two and thought I would watch the whole thing. So I was just like, you know what? I haven't seen raw deal in a while. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. I never seen it. I had never seen the whole thing. And I was just like, this movie's fucking great. That's how I was with Ice Pirates. When I sat down and we were going to do the show on that, I'm like, this will be fun to revisit. And then about 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this. I could have sworn. Sure. Uh, well, Touch, shame on you, for one. Um, I thought I'd seen all of them. Uh, it's an easy one to slip through the cracks. It wasn't one that was played on TV a lot, probably because it's one of the bloodiest um and kind of bad language I and mean, this would be a hard one to cut for tv um the the deaths are pretty damn gruesome uh kate was this a theatrical release or was this like an hbo movie uh this, this was theatrical my friend my uncle bill took me to see this in 1986 on the opening okay. i was visiting him in atlanta georgia and he knew what an arnold fan i was and my Uncle Bill's the one who got me into bodybuilding and weightlifting. So I got off the plane and he's like, guess what we're doing tonight, buddy? And he took me to see this movie. And I'll, it's one of those three or four theatrical experiences as a kid that's locked in my memory. Yeah. It did not do well, but it was in the theaters. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let me uh, take a quick sip to wet my whistle. I always like to know, I always like to know, like especially when we do one of these '80s, '70s movies, uh, how they actually did in the theater. Because there's like, after all this time, I'm like, oh, it was such a good movie. Obviously, it did good, and it's like, no, it was really pan. I always like learning stuff like that because you think post Terminator that it yeah. would have been a lot better. Um, but you gotta admit, and we'll get into this. It, on paper, it's a it's a pretty hard premise to to buy into. Sure. Uh, in the 80s, you uh, bought into things a lot more. You, you certainly did. <laughs> As the film begins, we see a bunch of mob hitmen arriving into Chicago by Amtrak train, helicopter, and boat. They say nothing to one another as they eventually all converge together in a Chevy station wagon and drive out to the woods. 
All this is set to one of my favorite scores from any Arnold film. It's a mostly synth guitar drum score performed by a collective unit of musicians known simply as Cinema Score. But I love this score. Yes, I, I, had, I had this score on cassette tape, and I would listen to it over and over. It's it's perfect, and it does exactly what it needs to do in every scene. Some scenes you don't even notice it. It's just carpet. Other scenes, it's thudding. It's driving. Uh, it's intense. It, it's just perfect. I love this score. Um, yeah, and it's pretty much with in the modern day of a synth, a new synth wave and new retro wave and all that stuff. They're modeling their stuff after this score. It is just that, that on point. It really is. It works throughout the entire film. So these silent mobsters creep through the trees where they quietly assassinate, direct long distance shots straight to the heart with uh, rifles with silencers on them. These boys are good. They kill several federal agents that are patrolling the grounds of a log cabin where a key government witness, a former gangster named Marcelino, is being safely tucked away prior to giving some uh, damning testimony in court. Well, I said safely, but doctor, there's nothing safe about this safe house, is there? Uh, not really. Uh, they've chosen a rural location, but uh, um, obviously, you know, somebody had to inform on it. But no, it's not. It's not too safe. And for the most part, the federal agents inside are just eating burgers and playing board games, like. I was surprised we didn't see like a keg of beer in the corner. They're just a chili <laughs> They're eating pretzels. They look like they don't give a shit. Well, they they took the most in the place or not to belabor it. They're like way like far away. Most completely indefensible location. We're surrounded by these dense woods and trees and le I was waiting like you know for you know, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator guys just to come <laughs> sliding down and like just start blowing everything up because you're like there's no way how are you is there anybody out there i don't know we can't see anything well within minutes the mobsters blast their way into the cabin they shoot the feds full of like a thousand rounds of bullets and then they drag poor old marcelino in front of a mirror so you want to be a witness huh witness this and they make him watch as they blow his brains out in the mirror uh, that was a pretty good little scene that, that's one reason why this thing isn't on amc every other saturday night the other reason is because you have my heavyset boy over there holding a uh a gun by the weird angle of his stock and it's like oh that was the best part because here comes a guy he kicks in the front door and he literally like every bullet out of and he's holding an uzi and every bullet out of his uzi hits a target and he's just like waving it back and forth <laughs> crazily but like five dudes, one shot in the chest each. There was no, there was no gun training at all on this movie. It in the 1980s. Sebastian Bach would have been proud. <laughs> one of them was wearing white boots. Uh, it was a bloody massacre. I mean, there was not one federal agent that had less than 50 holes in him. Doctor, did you recognize the big burly mobster? Well, yeah, we've known this for a while, haven't we? The big, the big tall guy was George Wilbur. He played Michael Myers in Halloween 4, our, our favorite Michael Myers. Uh, and a renowned stuntman, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you know what he also was? I didn't know that until doing some research for this show. He was Arnold's co-pilot in Running Man in the helicopter. That I did not know. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. Yeah, that's Wilbur uh, flying the helicopter. 
Okay, I kind of see that. Is he the one that Arnold punches in the face? I think he gets in the back of his hand. Ah, okay, good, good. Um, I've always wanted to do that to somebody. Not punch him in the back of the hand. Just uh, later that evening, as law enforcement has arrived on the crime scene of the cabin, we find FBI agent Harry Shannon kneeling down on the floor next to one of the dead agents. It's his son, or it was his son, Blair. Harry mutters that in 27 years in the Bureau, he's never got so much as a scratch. And here's his son lying in a pool of blood looking like a block of Swiss cheese. Well, he doesn't say that. Um, a very unsympathetic agent barks at Harry to get up as the corner workers need to zip up Blair's body bag. Hey, Harry, you speed it up. Uh, they want to get out of here. It's getting kind of late. What a dick. Like, dude, it's his son. Give him a minute, asshole. Also, yeah, mention- but- is it's Kolchak the Night Stalker? I'm sorry, Doctor. Who is playing Harry Shannon? The one and only Darren McGavin, legendary yes. actor. Uh, he is the Night Stalker, as Yak said. He's, He's Billy- the dad from the Christmas Story. He's Billy Madison. Yes. He's the. Top- There's a reason why uh, the dad in Christmas Story is one of the top five dads in cinema history. It's because of Darren McGavin. The guy's awesome. And, and he gives his all in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. He's not like, oh, I'm in an Arnold Schwarzenegger mob movie. Like, no, he gives his all. He does good. You're going to shit on the mem- late memory of the late Darren McGavin. I totally am. You I'm sorry. Your son is la- your son is laying there in a bunch of Swiss cheese blood. And you're like, eh, it's my son. 20 years on the force. Not a scratch. Didn't deserve this. Oh, he, he was internalizing it. He couldn't. He couldn't break down in front of his coworkers. And okay. I don't think that's an accurate representation. All right, I will. I will give this one a pass, but I reserve the right to come back. Fair enough. Harry tells the dickhead who told him to hurry up that he wants a list of everyone in witness protection program and everyone who could have possibly known where Marcelino was being kept, from the police commissioner all the way to the district attorney. Everyone. Whoever the rat is, they're dead. They're dead. Whatever it takes, they're dead. I don't care what did any by any means. The guy's like, we get it, Harry. They're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell you right now. E A D. I'll tell you right, goddamn now, what it's gonna take. Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and we'll join the governor. Like tonight's cigar. Uh, see what I did there? As he's in hot pursuit, 117 episodes, I've said hot pursuit in every single one of them, of a speeding motorcyclist through the beautiful North Carolina countryside. Arnold's character, uh, Sheriff Mark Kaminsky, is driving his Jeep through lumber yards, cornfields, all over the fucking place, chasing the police. Well, you're off and running. Through a great, great Ricky Skaggs soundtrack. I'm sorry, if... If you t- if you turn on Raw Deal and you're watching Arnold Schwarzenegger in hot pursuit in a chase scene in an open air Jeep set to Ricky Skaggs and you don't know that you're about to have the funnest time of your life, just uh, get out of here. I don't. I, don't, I, get, I can't Wonder talk to you. Rider, riding down the road, do, 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 right it, beside you, everywhere Todd goes. Sorry. You got to catch those. Good job, Doc. Uh, 
Yeah, but here's the thing. He's chasing this police imposter. It's, as you guys have said, set to the toe-tapping country tune One Way Rider by Ricky Skaggs. You have to admit, though, on the surface, though, if you're an audience member, and I didn't really dawn on, I've seen this movie a hundred times. This never dawned on me till, till preparing for the show. You're seeing Arnold in a Jeep dressed in jeans and like a jean jacket, no siren, no lights, chasing a police cop on a, on a cruiser, a, motor, a police motorcycle all around. I guess you just, we always assume Arnold's the good guy. I don't know what he did, but he deserved it. But it looks like a civilian's chasing around a cop on a motorcycle. That cop must have deserved it. If he's yeah. being chased by Arnold, I mean, come on. But it's just, uh, on the surface, it makes no sense at all, kind of like this whole movie, but it works. <laughs> I had a great time I, the, through the entire sequence. Uh, attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Dr., you've got a very Ricky Skaggs-esque uh, aura about you tonight. Um, I'm working up to a karaoke show once the coronavirus is over. Of course, of course. Doing karaoke. No, I, I love. I will that. get. I will get my tickets. The song. Tut has Ricky Skaggs ever said some questionable things on Twitter that we need to be aware of? Man, not that I know of, because Ricky Skaggs is salt of the earth. He is pure as the driven snow. Have you, have you met Ricky Skaggs? I have not. <laughs> and for the longest time, I thought that was Eddie Rabbit. I can see oh, some Eddie Rabbit in there. No way, man. That, Eddie Rabbit. I learned here of my ways. They couldn't afford Eddie Rabbit. Ricky Skaggs' opinion only comes through the banjo, through nothing else. And another mandolin. That man is one playing son of a gun. He is just a musician's hoss of a musician. Hey, uh, last night I've been made aware that my banjo made some comments. Uh, my Stacked. banjo. My banjo, my banjo was hacked. Um, I'm so sorry. Banjo was hacked by the piano. So eventually, uh, they're, they're driving all over the place, chasing each other. So eventually, Kaminsky decides to head the perp off at the pass, as they say. Uh, so he gets ahead of him, and he pours a trail of gasoline across the dirt road. Then right before the motorcyclist drives through it, Kaminsky takes a huge puff on his giant-ass stogie, throws it down the gasoline. <laughs> it erupts into a giant fireball with the explosion knocking the dude clear off his motorcycle and tumbling to the ground unconscious. You know, there's a lot of talk in the news these days about questionable police tactics, but I think we can all agree that pouring a lake of gasoline and lighting on fire to stop a, a fleeing. So it's unconventional at best. That shit wouldn't fly today. No, it wouldn't, but Arnold. I the brutality of it, the environmentalists going, you dumped gasoline in a forest. You could have caused a forest fire. Hey, you know but what? I've had the proper training. It was unorthodox, but you know what, guys? It was also the 80s. That's, uh, that's I'm surprised that you know he didn't just have like a chainsaw on the back of his jeep and he's just cutting down trees, <laughs> falling on the guy. Falls down like 20 trees and <laughs> across the road. Uh, no, guys, I, I think the answer is it was the 80s. Uh, after Sheriff Kaminsky drops the perp off to be booked at the small town's police headquarters, he heads home to his modest house in a quiet little neighborhood. 
he walks in the kitchen where he finds his drunk wife. Hey, our first drunk wife. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, no, no, she literally is. She, uh, Amy icing a cake while very loud classical music blares from the record player. She says they're having a party tonight. Is anybody else coming or just us? Oh, just us, silly. What are we celebrating? Not celebrating, she slurs, commemorating. Commemorating five years in exile. Five years living in a town where we haven't been able to find anybody who can talk about anything except crops and the weather. Oh boy, he sees where this head, his head is so he goes into the fridge for a cold old Milwaukee. Now we've seen our first drunk dad, or our next drunk dad. Yeah. I was just waiting. It would have been. Love to see it had he walked in like, "What's for dinner?" And she has to put up that finger while she's chugging the, the bourbon down. <laughs> that's that's the scene I wanted. That is the scene that I wanted. I wanted the whole. Did you get the feeling that four out of five days of the week, this is what he comes home to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. recognize Amy? Oh yes, absolutely. Mm -mm. Actress's name is. Oh Anna come on. Baker. Yax, you know where she's from? It's Jenny. It's the Molly older Ringwald sister from Sixteen. Yeah, from Molly Ringwald's older sister from Sixteen Candles. Yeah. She plays the one that gets married. Yeah. My, you know what? I'm just going to talk to the doctor now because apparently we're the only ones that have know what's going on here. Is that the movie with Long Duck Dong? Yes. I never saw it. She's Molly Ringwald's older sister that's getting married. And in an interesting bit of trivia, Kate, her <laughs> mother is the actress Carol Baker, who uh, was a very attractive woman in, uh, in the 50s and 60s. She plays Richard Tyson's mother in the Arnold movie Kindergarten Cop. Oh, she's great. Okay. Good job, well, Doc. It's all, it all ties together. Good job. Oh, you should recognize Blanche Blaker from uh, 16 Candles. Uh, it, I honestly, I have seen it. It's been a while. Um, and she's clearly, but you know what? She's not battled here. I probably would. If I'd seen 16 Candles recently, I would hope I would have made the connection. Very attractive woman back in the day. Really? Am I allowed to say Long Duck Dong anymore? Is that no good? No, no. That's that's a name. You can say it. Okay. Well, she's it drunk. It is a name. <laughs> Amy is drunk and pissed. She tells him that he could still be with the FBI and they could still be living in New York. He could have fought the charges. This is all very vague. We'll find out what all this means shortly. But Kaminsky says he would have lost in court that he wouldn't have been able to get even this shit job. He takes a sip of his cold beer and asks what's for dinner. It's a big mistake. And she looks down at the gooey blob of a cake featuring at least 10 pounds of chocolate icing. Look pretty good to me. Just this, she says, just this. This is going to make us fat. She laughs at him. You think because we're in shape, we're not already fat? We're just like all the cows they raise around here, stuck, victims of circumstance. And you know what a cow's biggest contribution to society is? He kind of looks at her. And she holds up the cake, and in white icing on top, she's written the word shit. <laughs> and then she throws it at his head. He dodges, and it's... <clears throat> great fart noise all over the cabinet just chocolate icing everywhere you should where we get to see those lightning quick reflexes and then give me my line you should not drink and bake i'm gonna get that put on a shirt don't drink and bake yes. it, 
It is a great. And you're right, Cody. It needs to be on a shirt. I'd buy it. It's a great scene. And it, and, it, and it gives you some insight to a miserable guy. Why would he engage in what we're about to see him go into? It's anything's better than this shit at home. You know, exactly. I, you know re, rewatching this, you know, it just made me like think about like, you know, the movie The Last Stand with Arnold. Like this is his sheriff's character, his early story. Take yeah. away the mob stuff. This was him. Yeah. This was wife number one of four. <laughs> but, but they all kind of played out the same the same song and dance well later yeah, that- I, agree, I agree with cody the only thing that that would have made this great scene better would just been the uh the the drink from and then that would have been it otherwise this is a great scene well, later that night did you guys notice this is probably me just I've seen this movie so many times. I was looking for new things, and I, this was one of them. When he pulls up to the house after a hard day at work, and she's in there drinking and baking, the house didn't have a garage, and there was no other car in the driveway. So I got the feeling she's trapped there all day. Like she had no car. That's why she's drinking and baking. But like she had nothing else to do but drink and bake. Like, dude, buy her like a little mid-priced sedan and let her go out in the. Plus, she's from New York City. She's only been there five years, so she, I, I'm sorry, Sally Joe and Mary Beth, they're not coming over to have girls' night yet. I thought it was a really effective scene. Later that night, Kaminsky picks his drunk wife, wife up off the couch, and uh, she gives him a little kiss, like half asleep. So, you know, there is something there. I thought it was actually kind of tender. It was. It was. And I never actually... I've seen it a hundred times. Doctor and I used to watch this movie during our summers when we were kids, religiously. I never really noticed that before, but you kind of need that little moment to make it seem why he wouldn't, throughout the movie, bang other yeah. and even come back to this psycho. Uh, th- there is something there. He puts her gently to bed. Just as he's settling into his favorite chair, kicking his feet up with a glass of schnapps, the phone rings. It's his old boss and co-worker, Harry Shannon, Harry Shannon. Harry Shannon. <laughs> Doctor, please jump in at any time. You do the best Darren McGavin voice I've ever heard. Well, you're the only one I've ever heard, but you do a really good uh, It's Shannon, Mark. Harry Shannon. It's, Harry Shannon. it's defeated from the minute he speaks to him. It's Shannon, Mark. Harry Shannon. <laughs> this guy's such a sad sack of shit. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine if I called you, Doctor? Like, hello? It's Cade, Doctor. Matt Cade. Hey, Doc. Matt This is, is going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to hear what you guys got to say. It starts it's like being on the phone, being on the phone with Eeyore, <laughs> or like Debbie Downer, or like <laughs> it's Tuttle Cade, Jason Tuttle. Like oh I understand you've said your own name a million times. You can't really get excited about it, but you can at least fake it. Uh, yeah, we've been like. Hey, Mark, it's Harry. It's Harry Shannon. No, it's Shannon, Mark. Harry Shannon. (laughs) Harry can tell by Kaminsky's voice that he's seen better days. And he tells him, if you'd like to see them again, we should meet tomorrow. Talk about fantastic timing, right? Him and his wife are talking about the old days. All of a sudden, his buddy Harry calls and says, you want to see those days again? Everything's working out pretty good. Here comes the hook. You want to see him again? Meet me. 
I can't tell you how many times I was having a shitty night or a shitty week, and I just hoped and prayed and hoped that one of you guys would sense my despair. Pick it didn't up a, come. Pick up a phone and call me. It must be nice to experience that. I imagine. I don't know. Actually, every time I call, I'm getting like just drunk bottle sounds. It's Cage, that Cage. <laughs> then I end up depressed. Hey, unlike you guys, you know what's never let me down? What's that? Glad you asked, Todd. That's right. I'm talking about the sweet, smoky aroma of a Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve barrel fermented cigar. King of the cigar. Barrel fermented cigar. It's a cigar, Mark. Barrel fermented. It's a cigar. It's a cigar. <laughs> the Pappy Van. No, no, I'm not going to. Uh, the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve barrel fermented cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica Dura State in Estudio, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes or bundles of tobaccos uh, to you noobs, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Those are the best kind of barrels. Water is then added while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two to three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. We've seen this process in Kentucky at the barn smoker. It's amazing to watch. It's a true art form. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. There's nothing like it. The Pepe Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick and mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. Seek it out. Let us know what you think. Speaking of cigars... We haven't heard a lot about tonight's cigar. Uh, I, for one, am a professional. I'm not letting the uh, current climate of Gurkha cigars influence us. I'll just be honest. I'm get, it's kind of an open draw. I'm getting a lot of air air in the draw. It's a little bit open. Yeah. So I, I'm still being very, I'm very muted pepper. The aroma is fantastic. Uh, the, the smell coming off this thing has been really, really nice. But I'm still just getting a little kind of muted black pepper and just a very flat kind of coffee and earthiness on the draw. I'm just not getting a lot of flavors out of this. No, uh, I'm still kind of indistinguishable with my flavors other than their pleasant flavors. Like the retro hell is very pleasant. And there's a, I mean, there's just like a hint of graham in there. There's a, just a, uh, but but they're not but it's not strong enough. I mean, none of the flavors are pronounced enough to make it go pop. There it is, pop. There it is. It's pleasant. It's not a bad cigar. It's just it's not the 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 flavor profile is just not strong enough to where it can compete with. Uh, what was this like? Five IBUs. I mean, if it's not competing, if it can't hold its own against this, what can it hold its own against? It was 12 IBUs, Todd. 12 IBUs. Um, okay, so I'm getting just some flat, kind of a few basic flavors. Uh, you're getting little hints of more exciting flavors, but not enough of it. And Yax, you're getting... I'm a lot like you. I'm getting the muted pepper, getting a slight... I'm just little bit a little still a little bit chocolate the hay flavor i had initially is gone um some almost i'll, I'll classify it as that that earthy leather but 
very, I mean, that's nothing like just punching me in the face. It's No, I'm kind of flashing back to our last episode, Year of the Rat, where the flavors were so pronounced and just, yeah. and in that final third, when there was some cinnamon and some things, we all got, there was no denying what that was and what, you know, we were experiencing. And uh, this is, this is a very ambiguous cigar. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's Cody's influence, uh, d- descriptive influence, but uh, that earth, yeah, I can, especially across the palate, I can kind of pick that out now. I, I actually uh, said earthiness before he did. I, 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 I didn't hear it. Doctor heard me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Staining from the conversation title. It's a relatively slow smoking cigar. I'm not even halfway into this thing, so I'll, oh, I'm blazing through it. I'll come back to it if you guys get yeah. any. If you guys get anything exciting, jump in and let me know. Um, yeah, it's how you are. You're hacking away at that thing. I think I've also got some it's air. I've got some, I got a fan coming on because it's like a blazing hot in here. So. Um, Doctor, my account, my account's been hacked. Doctor got the hacking away reference on me. Um, the next morning, Kaminsky. Oh, and by the way, uh, my beer is uh, not doing anything to help or hinder the cigar. Um, and it honestly, whatever the process they did to make this IPA different, rendered it unmemorable. Um, it's not that distinctive a hot profile or, or a different hot profile. Um, it tastes good because it's hot as balls right now and it, yeah. it, it's doing the trick but uh, probably wouldn't go here again Doctor you look like you are enjoying the hell out of your beer it's a beer Cade it's a beer <laughs> uh, it, it's working it's working alright okay. remarkable about it but it's it's tasty yeah I'm going to give it a B so, I mean, it's not it's not blowing my doors down but you know it's it's okay hey b's passing yeah. and yaks your hefeweizen is doing the trick it's fantastic i highly recommend it to everybody i actually think we did that on the show the live oak you might be right maybe we'll check. i don't think it was i don't know if it was the hefeweizen the station break all right well, one thing that is working for everyone is the movie, so let's get back to it. The next morning, Kaminsky meets Harry in the marriage counselor's office at a federal building, the nearest big city. Kind of a bizarre but apt choice of meeting places, right? Because you know both of them have noticed this place. Uh, they, they've all been there on just private matters. Uh, why the hell's there a marriage counselor's office in a federal building? Anyway. Harry tells uh, Kaminsky that he's not there on FBI business. No, no, no. This is all me. And he immediately starts playing the old friend videotape footage of a recent mob trial. There's the alleged mob boss, Luigi Patrovita, his underboss, uh, Paulo Roca, and they're both being drilled by special federal prosecutor Marvin Baxter, who's the same asshole that told Kaminsky to resign or be prosecuted when he was faced with brutality allegations five years ago. Here's where we find out what Amy and him were fighting about, what ruined his career in the Bureau. You see, Kaminsky beat the shit out of a child rapist and murderer and brought him in 
to custody with half the bones in his body broke. And I guarantee you, in his entire career, this was the hardest line for Arnold to ever deliver. You remember the case? He molested, murdered, and mutilated her. So many M words. <laughs> I know the public wasn't too keen on heavy handed cops at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, that's fine, but. Yeah. <laughs> Five years ago, you could just bring a sack of bones into the jail. Who <laughs> uh, brought in a suspect with every bone in his body broken? Any prosecutor in the country would not sound like my half doc, half Gavin. Uh, doctor, half the bones in your oh. body broken. Could, could you repair a man from that? My God, half the bones in your body broken? I don't even see how it's possible, Mr. Cave. The pain he must have been would have been immense. Off the charts. Off any chart I got in my office. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly sounds painful. I really uh, just wanted Arnold to be like, you know, look, I punched the guy a few times. What do you expect? Like he literally, no, we didn't get that. Uh, he gave him one of the. Well, besides, Harry says. Baxter is now giving Petrovita and the mob way more shit than he ever gave Kaminsky. But Arnold's livid seeing this prosecutor guy that ruined his life. So now I know the who's who of the Chicago mafia. You're the one still in the bureau. What do you want from me? He actually thinks he's like, I'm just a small town sheriff. What could I possibly do? Like, dude, obviously he didn't bring you here because you can have some weight in the law enforcement world, you know, this podunk town. No, 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 no. Do you remember my my son? Sure, Blair. We went to some ball games together. How's he doing? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> Dead. I don't think we're supposed to be laughing at this part. He's dead. Dead. Uh, yeah, Blair's dead. Uh, but. Harry has come up with a foolproof plan for revenge. This sounds easy peasy on paper. He wants to self-finance a mission where Kaminsky, you know, the six foot two, 250 pound Austrian seven time Mr. Olympia winner, will infiltrate the Chicago mafia and tear it up from the inside. And if somehow they accept this mountain of a man into their highly secretive and protective fold with few questions asked, and if he's able to kill them all and destroy their entire operation that's been running smoothly for over a century, Kaminsky can look forward to possible reinstatement. There's a real chance, Mark. Hey, but if you want a pep hey. talk, is there a better pep talk than this? I want Petrovina. <laughs> Dude, possible reinstatement? You've got a good shot, kid. You've got a good <laughs> shot, kid. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, he could have. He was like, you know, what? What can't these twenty-two inch pythons not take care of? Well, he but thinks that's why really it's just, a raw deal. Kaminsky thinks about it for a half a second. Do, do you think I'll still pass the physical? <laughs> that's a great line. So, whoever greenlit this film with Arnold in the lead has some major fucking balls because on paper. <laughs> The absurdity of all this is just, as the doctor would say, off the charts. But somehow it works. So wait, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, the the Conan guy, he's gonna infiltrate the Italian mob. Yeah, that's what we're doing here. Okay. And this guy who's in the FBI, who's been taken off a case, is going to finance an illegal case with his own money to bring in somebody else who's working on an investigation that is not sanctioned by the federal government and commit multiple felonies and murders in the process? Uh-huh. Lord, I sounds good, kid. Was I the only one when he was like, I'm a lifelong uh, FBI agent. I've been, I've been in the Bureau for 50, you know, almost 30 years, plus long. I have forty thousand dollars in savings. Like that's it? That's your retirement fund? Back in the eighties. I like blow and hookers, Mark. Well, he actually doesn't. He say I have twenty thousand more if you need it, but that that's a that that is a lot of money. No, I mean it was the eighties too. Like well, I mean, he is FBI. He's supposed to get a government pension. So yeah. this is 45000 that he saved on his own. Yax, Discretionary. Yax, you know who else was supposed to get a government pension? Blair. And Doctor, where's he now? Dead. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very conflicted. Or it could technically be blood money if the 45000 is Blair's <laughs> life insurance. Uh... Well, you know who else is bloody? Yeah. Doctor. Blair. Oh, sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I bombed on that one. It's too soon. It's too okay. soon. Okay. So that night, Kaminsky, in a not half-assed at all attempt to fake his own death, this dude does everything big, calls in on his police radio that he's investigating a break-in at the nearby petroleum plant, and then he blows the whole goddamn factory to smithereens. Well, first of all, the two giant 40-foot towers of naphthalene, I think though that's pretty much like if he had lit those, he wouldn't have had enough fucking time to ride into another county on that motorcycle. Oh, and how do you blow up a refinery, Cade, that easily, you ask? Well, he just goes in, he breaks it with bolt code, he goes in, he turns this huge uh, thing and just starts spilling all over the place, shoots a flare. I gotta give a little tap at the end. There you go, buddy. Spill on the ground. Wait, say what you want. It's an impressive as hell explosion with the motorcycle oh. driving away from it. And everything. It looks really great. Uh, he's got to do what he's got to do to be completely off the grid for his mission. He's got to make everyone think Kaminsky's dead. But I have to speak for his character. His destruction to the environment is unprecedented. First I, five gallons of gasoline in the forest. Now he blows up an oil refinery. I wonder, though... If the FBI talk about the economic devastation, I wonder. Oh yeah, but to get his job back, he just cost like seventy-five dudes jobs at the refinery. I did what I had to do. Do you think Harry Shannon said like, just leave your car by a ditch and and then we'll meet you in Chicago? He's like, no, Harry, I have to do this the right way. So he blows up this entire chemical plant. My actions were misconstrued. I apologize. We need to get we need to get off of that tangent. <laughs> I wonder if the FBI is going to be willing to overlook that when they consider his possible reinstatement. You know, you just caused like ten million dollars in damages when you blew up that factory. I just, I, I just blew that up. Did you realize it caught the entire forest on fire? Oops. It's still burning. Night shift. Forty-six people working in there overnight. 
We let we let his organization. They were working the swing shift. You blew the ball to hell. Let me see. We let you go for excessive action, and now we're going to rehire you for excessive action. He's really showing that he's changed, right? Ted? <laughs> exactly. You remember those night shift workers, Harry? Sure. Yeah. Where are they? Dead. <laughs> you blew them up. <laughs> Possible reinstatement. <laughs> In his Chicago hotel room, Kaminsky listens to a micro cassette that Harry has given him detailing all the key mob players, including information on the new kid on the block, the 110-year-old Hammer Lemansky, who's been fighting off little pieces of Patrovita's pie lately. Harry tells him Lemansky's a good guy to cause trouble for if Kaminsky wants to get in good with the Patrovita crew. Harry's also given uh, him a fake ID and passport belonging to a career criminal named Joey P. Brenner. So from here on in the movie, I'll be referring to Arnold's Kaminsky as Joey. And there's 25 grand in cash and spending money. I think I should start with a few days reconnaissance in the strip clubs. That's what we would do. <laughs> Mark, Mark, they have no activity in the strip club. I just want to be sure. Uh, really need to work my way into the CD underbelly. Yeah, you gotta go slow, baby steps. Uh, no, 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 he didn't say that. Uh, and how is our favorite larger than life action star going to look like he fits in with all these mobsters, you ask? As he's listening to the micro cassette, he wets his hair and instead of combing it to the side, he slicks it back. That's how he's going to fit in. No uh, questions asked. Yeah. Boom. Different hairstyle. He's in. Like, we trust Clark this Kent Look with at his that glasses. <laughs> Clark Kent. Like, oh, that guy looks like somebody, but man, that hair. Joey's first attempt to make waves goes off without a hitch as he shows up at one of Lemansky's backroom gambling parlors and busts them for rigging the dice game. And then he starts a huge riot among the angry. Uh, gamblers he beats the shit out of all of Lemansky's soldiers in the process i thought it was weird none of the guys have guns they just it's all fist fights but man he just it's a good old-fashioned 1980s brawl but doesn't fun. it does not stop there oh no joey once everybody's ass is kicked goes outside starts up a giant tow truck which he proceeds to drive straight through the building completely destroying it all while wearing a giant shit-eating grin on his face. Hey, this has to be a lot funner than hanging out with drunk wife, right? Heck yeah. He's out of the house. He's having fun. He's uh, back in his element, baby. The next day... And I have, a, I have a theory that no matter how good your movie is, if you put an 18-wheeler or a big 18-wheeler looking tow truck in it, it's going to take it up. Just take it up a little bit. And a uh, pedestrian on the street tells him he forgot to turn his lights on. So he kicks on all the swirling lights. He hits the horn a couple times. Uh, well, he does thank him. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Now, new, uh, new slogan. Big trucks mean Hollywood bucks. I like it. I like it, too. The next day, Lemansky and Petrovita are meeting down at the docks because, as we know, that's where mob bosses meet to talk about stuff. Petrovita tells his former employee 
Lomansky used to work for him, that you're done. You got two days to close up your operation or you're a dead. It's pretty, pretty clear. Yeah. But this doesn't sit well with the 175-year-old up-and-comer. <laughs> He's new on the scene. He's 200 years old. And so Lemansky gives his men the little nod to take out Petrovita and his crew as they exit the meeting. As Petrovita and his men walk over to their limousine, a school bus slowly drives by with a Mac-10 machine gun sticking out of every window. They... <laughs> Creep slowly along as they unload a million bullets at the four gangsters they're shooting at, but somehow only kill Tony, Petrovita's favorite bodyguard. There's seriously no one else out here in the docks. They could have just parked and just shot till they were sure everybody was. <laughs> Here's something you know, I didn't you would think, think of. they'd have, spend have all this mob that. money on 80 Mac 10s, they would have just bought one grenade launcher. Here's something I never I never picked. No one thought this school bus from the boys club was suspicious on this isolated dock where the mobster's gonna do business. It's it's parked right down there. This is where they go where there's nobody around. Yeah, there's some construction going on. This is where we go to dump bodies in the river. Doctor, doctor, this was 1986. Michael Jackson's yacht was parked down at the end of those docks. Oh, very good, sir. Very good. Tracks. Uh, I, I like, it I like what, uh, boys club. Maybe he was there for the school bus. I like what Kate said. Just just stop the bus, <laughs> open the back. door, get out, pow, 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 and you're done. Yeah. This was not downtown Chicago. This was in a desert area. Just just stay parked there until everyone is dead. Um I don't know. Anywho, Petrovita, uh, Mr. Roca. By the way, Doc, uh, the reason why the bus wasn't noticed is that that was Joey's pro- that was a uh, Joey's job, and he got killed right away. So obviously, he's not as good as Tony. Tony, it, uh, it's all the same. No, it's not. But okay, they're all the same to you. Um, Tony, Joey, Zoe, Petrovita, Mr. Roca, and a red-haired Irish Italian American mobster all climb back in. <laughs> Fire red-haired Italian dude climbs back into the limo and it's all creaking and full of holes as they kind of slowly drive off. You don't think they would go back into the warehouse and find a phone and call to get a different car as opposed to driving the bullet-riddled vehicle back to the mobster compound? Maybe they thought maybe the bus would circle around and... I guess they want to get the hell out of it. Well, they took like five minutes to mourn the loss of Tony. It was a good kid, Cody. It was a good kid. You get a good replacement for him. I had high hopes for Tony. My thinking here is if they hired that red-haired Irish guy to be in there, then that that bears well for Joey P. Brenner maybe getting there. This is Chicago Mob. We care about diversity. We'll see. Chicago Mob's diverse. With the uh, early 80s animated movie Secret of Nim. Yeah. Okay, so Paul Shinar is the name of the actor that plays Roca, and he did, he voiced one of the characters in that. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's great in this. I, I love Roca in this. Yeah, fantastic. I, I don't know why he's even more stuff. Well, he died. Yeah, he didn't live very long. Yeah, no, he, he passed away mid, was it mid 50, early 50s? Uh, of AIDS. Yeah. Um, 
So while the mob bosses are busy exchanging bullets at one another, Joey is downtown where he jumps in a limo belonging to Lemansky's young blonde girlfriend and steals all her jewelry. Come on, hurry up or I'll mess up your hair. <laughs> he says here. What a prankster. Again, he's got that mile-wide smirk on his face. And I think Arnold is just so, in this movie, goddamn happy to not be playing a cyborg or a loincloth-wearing, you know, barbarian. And it just, he can't help but for his natural charm and his kind of silly sense of humor to kind of come through. That's what I've always loved about this movie. It's one of the most Arnold movies, as far as, like, if you know Arnold, the, the, the real person, I see a lot of Arnold's personality come through in this where you don't get that in the Conans, the Terminators, all the other, you know, just very cold read performances he had to do. He actually got to loosen up a little bit in this thing. And he's a very engaging, you know, presence. And it, this was the first movie where you actually got to see that. And you know what else I picked up on too is that uh, even though he's in his late thirties, it's still really early in the Arnold filmography. You got started late. Yeah, and so you can tell as as engaging as he is, number one, um, he was still improving his English even at that point. It's gotten a lot better. And two, uh, just his his delivery. I mean, the guy worked at it, and his his delivery and his ability to pull off lines. Well, there's not really anything to make fun of here. You but, can see how and mutilated her. That, but there's another one at the end where he says something. I will get to that later, but uh, towards the end of the film. But the, you can tell it like his ability to deliver totally American screenwriting really continued to improve over the years. Oh yeah, I mean, there, it, it, it's still rough around the edges here for sure, but, it, yeah. but it's uh, certainly enough to maybe raise some red flags, or at least for the gangsters to comment on it at some point. But no, they never do. Uh, yeah, but if you're a capable guy, you're gonna you're gonna get hired. You might not be made, but if you're capable, you're gonna you're gonna do it. I just, I just to go back, his personality comes through in waves in this film, and that's what I've always loved about it. Uh, well, like we said, the movie didn't particularly do well at the box office. It certainly shows a completely different side of Arnold in his screen presence than anything that he had done before. Much like decades later, he would show us in Maggie. Yeah. Very true. Very I mean, true. What, what? Over 30 years later, or 30 years later, he would do it again. He would be like, guess what? You haven't seen everything I've got yet. And I mean, the guy just keeps kind of reinventing himself. Not him. He keeps showing us there's more tools in his acting toolbox than we thought he had. Why? Well, we. I give him the I think he's got it, but he, he just keeps kind of just surprising us with choices and with his performances. And I, I kind of equate this with Maggie as one of those signature. I also put Last Action Hero in there because I think that was the perfect balance of his real life persona and his on screen persona and just kind of the melding of the two. I mean, the guy's done some really phenomenal acting in movies. And it all started for me with Raw Deal. I'm not going to lie. I have said it back then when I saw the movie. I'll say it again. I think the the fact that Maggie didn't get any type of Oscar uh, mention 
for him as an actor in that is a travesty. Uh, the guy went way, way beyond anything we have ever seen before. And that's always what the Oscar buzz is. Oh, he went so far out. Matthew McConaughey, he wasn't just a heartthrob. And you know I love me some Matthew. But that's what it was. Matthew dropped away. And all of a sudden, he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe Matthew did this. That's what Arnold did. I mean, Arnold went completely outside of his character, his stereotyped range and delivered and was excellent in it. He should have gotten a nod for it. I'm sorry. Uh, and that's why I kind of like this movie. Of course, with me watching it, it's a little bit different because I've seen that personality come out. I've seen the last action hero. I've seen the true lies. I've seen you know him being playful. Uh, but I can imagine you coming off of Conan, you're coming off of Terminator, and then all of a sudden this, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. This guy, this guy's... We hadn't thought about him in this way. Uh, it was kind of the same thing I had with Kindergarten Cop. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. This guy's funny. And this guy's like a, a great cinematic chemistry with kids. Like, like, he just has a lot of those those moments in his, you know, filmography. And this is definitely one of them. Uh, Tut, I just saw, I know you're a huge fan. I'm sorry. I just got a thing here on Instagram. Uh Matthew McConaughey just posted "All Lives Matter" on his on his page. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, are you shitting me, Clark? Yes, I'm shitting you. Okay. Again, he's one of those dudes where if that happened, you'd give him the benefit. Like maybe he was hacked. He seems like a pretty reasonable sound guy. You know, you know, my cynical ass will believe anything. I'm gonna, like, eh, we probably yeah. did. Okay, that's why. That's why I don't count on me to alert y'all if y'all been hacked, because I've been like, well, you know, there was that time. Kate, uh, this is this will be shocking to some. I had I had it for me. I was there in hour five of Golden Monkey. <laughs> oh God, Golden Monkey. <laughs> We should maybe do some preemptive work there. Uh, yeah, they, that requires work. Okay, we're not about that. As I hold my 26 pages of raw deal notes. That night, Joey heads over to the swanky Allerton Hotel where Patravita runs an enormous high-dollar casino in the basement. Where Lemansky's dice games were in the back of a tiny Italian restaurant, this operation is impressive. Swank. Swanky. This is like, like some Harlem Night stuff right here. Yeah, it but is. Joey <laughs> drives the elevator attendant to take him down to the basement, which is rather easy. I'm not the cop. Take me down to the basement. Sorry, pal, there is no basement. I'm not the cop. I'm a player. Okay. Here, have a dollar <laughs> bill. Thank you. Who's this guy turning away? Nobody. Nobody. Also, you have to ask the question in this day and age where it's you basically just push your own button. Why is there a guy standing in the fucking elevator? It was the Allerton. It's pretty, pretty high dollar. Well, he's not. He's not dressed like an elevator operator. It's not like a little crank model, little sliding cage. Why is there only an elevator attendant between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m.? 
Now, why is there a button yeah, with a T on it for basement? Yeah, you uh, huh. C for casino. <laughs> illegal gambling operation. Oh, this is what you want. I'd like <laughs> to go to the illegal gambling operation, please. We don't have one of those here. Oh, come on. I'm not a cop. Okay. And he does bribe He does bribe him. Yes, he does. And the, the elevator reopens. The guy's all smiling. He's all, all right. Oh, yeah. No, Harry's a big tipper, or uh, Joey's a big tipper with Harry's money. <laughs> I would be too. Yeah. I was about to tell the guy that I blew $1,000 at the strip joint. Well, I'll be good. There's a good chance I might get fucking killed doing this shit. I'm going to go ahead and spend all this fucking cash while that. The worst thing Harry ever said was, there's more if you need it. Okay. Okay. I need it. Uh, If it had been us, you would have seen Harry in some swank strip club, Joey in some swank strip club throwing money around like, I'll I'll go to work tomorrow. (laughs) These $2,000 silk suits, they need extra material for my biceps. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I can't slick my hair back with cheap Walgreens gel. I have to do it with the good stuff. <laughs> well, Joey lights up a huge stogie, announces to the room that he's the pain in Lemansky's ass. And just like that, a guy in a tuxedo shuffles him off to a private office to meet Mr. Roca. Roca is well aware of Joey's hijinks, although he thinks taking Lemansky's girlfriend's jewelry did make a lot of sense. Make him know that nothing is safe. Yeah. Uh, Ro- uh, Ro- Roka's right-hand man, Max Keller, is also in the room, and he is played by the one and only Robert Davey. Yes. We drooled all over this guy when we did No Contest with Andrew Dice Clay and him. He was the crippled, the crippled cop with the cane. Every time Robert Davey pops up on screen, whether it be Die Hard, whether it be Expendables 3, whether it be anything, he just has a screen presence that is magnetic to watch. I Even love the older Fratelli's brother. He's Come good. on. Fantastic. Should I watch that? Is the Goonies any good? You son yeah, of a bitch. Yeah. I've seen it. Uh, Max says, Robert Davey, that we don't need any help. I'm the best at taking care of things. But Joey looks at him and fires back. Max if you were the best there is, the wheel would have never been invented. Come on. I didn't man. understand that one. And Roka gets a kick out of it. Roka laughs. Like, Cut, <laughs> he's saying, Max, if you're the best there is, we'd never have things like the wheel because you're an idiot. All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let that simmer a little bit. Uh, Let's go back to the thinking cap back on. The back and forth. Loosen up that headband, will you? Uh, the back and forth, though, throughout this film between Joey and Max is worth the price of admission alone. It's like, on point. I like it. Arnold and Davey going at each other is just awesome. I love the fact when it was like, well, everybody makes mistakes. And then Davey's not, a, it was not more than once. I never make the same mistake twice. I just love that stuff. Uh, they're great. Uh, Rocco, he's heard enough. He gives Joey a thousand dollars in chips, and Joey goes out to the casino and sits down at a table next to a very attractive blonde woman named Monique. She's lamenting about how losing at uh, the card games builds character, and Joey says, "You know, 
Girl Scouts build character. A lot cheaper, too. But you hey, if you pester me, I'll have you thrown out of here. I know people. I envy them, he says, as he slides all his chips over in front of her. Yax, am I right that that smooth move not only makes her jaw drop, but it makes her panties wet? Am I right, Yax? You are indeed correct. He because just, she can't keep her eyes off of him as he walks away. Again, it's never addressed. He's a six foot two, seven time Mr. Olympia. Like, you'd expect at least someone is maybe like, did you see that cover? Like, are you sure he's supposed to be here in the Chicago mob casino, Dan? I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm fitting in. If you want to moisten some panties, can you do better than the mid-1980s Catherine Harold? Oh, man, that was a sexy one. She's got oh, yeah. that. She's pretty nice. She's got that cigarette-smoking voice. Uh, she's got the low-cut, you know, evening gowns. We're going to get more into her in a little bit, Doctor. Uh, but Catherine Harold makes a very convincing femme fatale in this thing. It's very much a 1940s femme fatale kind of role. Um, you don't know really where she stands. She's cold, but she has just the right touch of buried humanity in her. I, I thought she nailed it. I thought she really nailed this character. I did too. As Joey leaves the hotel, three of uh, Mr. Roka's goons follow him into an alley and Joey pummels them with his fist and his kneecaps. This might be the first movie where Arnold developed his signature move of grabbing dudes' heads and smashing them into his kneecaps. The knee smash? I love that move. That knee smash, I mean, he did it, I think it, it reached its apex in Total Recall. I think he did like 15 kneecaps. <laughs> you, my knee, right there. Your he does it times here, Push though. It against my knee. I think in think this, about that. He grabs, grab a dude by, the, by his hair, bring his head down as hard as you can as your knee's coming up and smash it into it. I think this Also, he, that one poor bastard, he literally just does that classic... It's not even a full punch. It's like literally he uses the back of his hand to punch the dude in his kidney. Just like, here, take that. You just see him flail like, ah, my kidneys. Dude, I think it's our first Arnold kneecap uh, bashing. And that's kind of, I mean, it's worth uh, celebrating. Um, So he pummels them to dust. One of them manages to pull a knife out on him. Come on, come on, this little weasel. And uh, just then an undercover cop car drives down the alley and shows up. So the gangsters scatter off like rats. Detective Baker steps out of the car and asks Joey for some ID. And when he asks what the P stands for in Joey P. Brenner, the big guy looks at him and responds with a smile. Pussy. Baker Get chuckles. out of here. Baker chuckles. See you around. And Baker this is guy. Ed like Lauder. And I will say Ed Longer was totally underutilized in this film. I'm, I I almost suspect oh. that he had a bigger part that got cut in the editing. I think he was in it just the right amount. He's great every time he's on screen, but I mean, we're not here to see Ed Lautner. No, yeah, he, I, I think he I think he could have added to it. Doctor, where where would we know Ed Lautner from? I mean, you can go back a long way. You can start with him as the. Uh, the prison guard who quarterbacks the football team against Burt Reynolds in the longest yard. Longest yard, man. Um, man, a ton of other stuff. I can't even think. He's been so many things. Yeah, he's just a, a working actor. He's just been. A he play. Player. He plays this the head CIA goon in Real Genius with Val Kilmer. That's right. He's in. He's in 
That's right. Yeah, he's running the CIA and Real Genius. Uh, one of his later roles was in the movie with Clint Eastwood, where they're baseball scouts. He, uh, he passed away a few years ago, but a uh, great character actor. And uh, Kate, I got to agree with you. Uh, Tud, I, I think the fact that he's on the sidelines as an ancillary supporting character, it really just works out. Yeah, they did a great job in the movie of surrounding Arnold with really great actors. From, yeah. from Gavin to the gangsters. Those guys are, were Hollywood vets. They've been in a million things. I mean, if you're going to give Arnold a different type of movie, you're doing him a disservice and you're handicapping him from the get-go if you don't surround this dude with pros. And they, they really built a great cast around him. Yeah, and I, I agree with that on, on just about anything, whether it's business or not. I mean, you, you feed, talent feeds off of talent. Yeah. Um, Whatever so you think of the script or some of the uh, more nonsensical aspects of the narrative given the 80s, this, this was a great cast. There's nobody in here that, that doesn't just just automatically or just doesn't pull their weight and do a fantastic job. And I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's very, very important because you can have that nonsensical script and you can have that just out of the world, just nonsense going on. But when you have like really great actors and just they're all just kind of jiving and they're going, it, it you can suspend all that disbelief and just enjoy the fun ride. That's what that's what this is, is that it's a fun ride. Very and, fun. and like I mentioned earlier, Arnold is still, despite his charisma and his presence, he's it's still learning. cutting his teeth. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's necessary to have all the supporting players be on hit like they were. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, y'all are, of course, y'all are far more knowledgeable on Arnold's career than I am. Before this was a... Uh, uh, Let's see, the, the Hercules, Stranger, the Conans. Uh, he was coming off of uh, Terminator. Yes, and no, no one's even going to remember anything until Conan. So you've got the two Conan films and Commando and Terminator. Really? Okay, so he, okay. Red so it's not, like, it's not like he's sitting there dropping dialogue left and right in any of those. Well, no, but I mean, he had some TV work. Uh, Film-wise, yeah, he had, uh, you know, the Stay Hungry, he had uh, Hercules Goes Bananas, and he had The Villain uh, with Kirk Douglas. But then he had the two Conans in 82 and 84, Terminator 84, Red Sonja 85. Commando 85? Commando 85, and then Raw Deal. And then after Raw Deal, because you're seeing him really hone his craft here, this is 80, you know, 86, yeah, you would see his greatest run: Predator '87, Running Man '87, Red Heat '88, Twins. Then jump ahead two years, Total Recall. Then you've got a few more years. You got Terminator Two. I mean, when was Pumping Iron? Oh, seventy-eight. Shit. Yeah, seventy-eight. Like he, really, all all the the pre pre Conan, no one really gives a shit. I mean, even though people said like he had a great screen presence with Pumping Iron, until Conan, no one right. really noticed. Then all of a sudden, Terminator becomes a smash film. Now people are taking notice. So it's still it's still kind of early in the Arnold Ouvoir of of this filmography. And like Kate said, it really takes off after that. So what well, is because I I don't think without Raw Deal we wouldn't have had this same Arnold in Predator, Running Man. 
because all the things you're seeing him develop here, the sense of humor started here. The the re, the relaxing, more 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 of a not. You walk into a room and holy shit, the specimen. He's really on this movie. You can see him trying to tone everything about him physically and personality down to yeah. to try to fit in a little bit. And if he didn't work on that in Raw Deal, which I probably think all these great actors he's working with helped that process to where he could go from this straight into Predator and then straight into Running Man. And let's face it, those movies worked because of his self-awareness and his humor and everything that he didn't show before Raw Deal. This movie By the way, was- one of the one of my most I think it's one of the most underrated lines in uh or it's it's notable, but I think it's notable for the wrong reasons. Uh, in this early time frame, as coming into Predator, is the uh, CIA got you putting too many pencils? I like that line because that's actually—I mean, that's not a—that's not a snarky one-liner in terms of a kill shot or something like that. It yeah. was actually two friends meeting in this jungle, and it was—it was buddy talk. It's busting balls. It's busting balls, and I like that. Yeah. that that's that's. Well, you know, in a very short time frame, because I mean. Let, if you look, if you go back to it, I mean, Arnold really, like, you know, you say you, his big break in film is Conan and Terminator, but what was he portraying in those? In Terminator, cyborg. An emotionless robot hiding in human form, which, I mean, if you think about it, he really did a phenomenal job. Go back and look and you say, like, all this stuff's going on. There's these action scenes. There's this all these explosions, gunfire. He did. You know what it takes for your face to be emotionless while you're trying to fire even a fake gun? Yeah, it takes a lot of skill. I mean, that's that's Hollywood lore. Uh, is when you know they were considering Arnold for the Reese character in Terminator, and he kept telling Jim Cameron, "Okay, well, whoever plays the Terminator, they got to lead with their eyes." They've got to, and at the time they were looking at, you know, Lance Hendrickson, OJ Simpson, crazy choices for the Terminator. But he had all these thoughts on how a robot would would move and act. So eventually James Cameron was like, well, fuck, just you do it. Uh, well, yeah, but, you know, Arnold had comes in that from the, that's still an acting, an actor processing what's going to be seen on screen and the best way to move and the best way to emote and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Arnold Schwarzenegger is the greatest actor in the history of cinema. But I'm saying he does understand and he's always understood how the audience perceives characters on screen. And whether it's him or whether it's the people that he's the, the un, the un, nobody else is putting Jesse the Body Ventura in movies. Nobody else was putting Richard Dawson green lighting, you know, because Arnold at that point had he had to sign off on everybody in his movies. He would make the most crazy character choices casting wise. And he just has a knack of knowing what's going to work on screen from a character standpoint. And you could see it in those early roles develop. And it's just kind of an awesome, I I just, I, I do. I think he's highly underrated as a performer. He's not just a dumb action star who relies on explosions and special effects. A lot of guys have made a lot of movies with explosions and special effects, and we're not talking about them. Uh, and I, and again, for the, I won't say it again. 
all that kind of gen that genesis started with tonight's movie. Um, before we move on and uh, finish out tonight's movie, I think we're all enjoying our beers for the most part. But uh, you're almost cashed out on your cigar. Uh, Yaks, you look like you're about me in last third. Should we talk about price point? Price point is always interesting with Gurkha. That's kind of what they're known for is uh, what their MSRP is as opposed to what you can actually purchase them for. Uh, so this should be interesting. Uh, I'm going to start with Cody. Well, not taking into current events, I'm going to say this bad boy is going to run 12 bucks. 12 bucks. What made you pick that? It's big, but I'm going to assume even they've got to know that it's not bold. They are, we hope, have people that, you know, craft their cigars that they call master blenders. 12 bucks. And I have seen, I have seen shorter cigars priced much higher. I, I, I will give it this, despite the, uh, the hard time discerning flavors and whatever, it is smoking for a very long time. Correct. So, uh, all right, 12 bucks total. Okay. So, you got a beautiful band. Uh, it's a very pretty band. Gurkha uh, is very big on their ornate decorative bands. And, and it's it's and, a good looking band. And boxes. I mean, they're, they're cigar boxes. Some of them are... are That's why I, I, I typically don't rate them off. Gurkha has always made very pretty yes. cigars. The cigar is very pretty. The smoke profile on this thing was rolling and smoking. It was very good. Uh, the cigar itself is very beautiful. Uh, I am going to say, and I will say that the uh, the strength profile picks up. It notches up a little bit in that last nub. Uh, uh, my nose is starting to pick up a lot more of the spice. <coughs> Excuse me. So much so it's making me sneeze. Price. I'm going to I'm going to say the MSRP on this is thirty six dollars. And then I will say the cigar is eight fifty. Okay. Well, you're both wrong. What else is new? I'm very confused by the whole MSRP and selling price concept. Every cigar, when it's released, uh, is given a MSRP. What retailers are told the the price of the cigar should be. Uh, tonight's cigar MSRP is eleven dollars. So you're saying I'm right? No, because is the case with most Gurkhas. I picked up a five pack of these for sixteen dollars, which makes it three dollars and twenty dollars twenty cents a stick. That's a good price point for the stick. Yeah, a little over three bucks. Jeez. You remember the governor's cigar? It's dead. I'm trying to forget. <laughs> hey, Harry, uh, what's the deal with the MSRP on this? Dead. Dead. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks me up so damn much. Gurkha has $100 cigars, but you can find them for 10 bucks. A pack of cigarettes is $8. It's not a $100 cigar. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, the MSRP is forty billion dollars, but I'll give it to you for twenty-five cents. 
Oh, it's that's a, a good deal. Ploy, X. It's a marketing ploy. Well, they were saying when uh, uh, Kazad, the the owner, when when he announced his resignation, they're talking about him selling his stock shares. They were going for you know two hundred dollars a share, but you could get them for six bucks. And they throw, and they throw in a decorative knife and a backpack. <laughs> That's harsh. Accurate, but harsh. Yeah, they they're, they're very big on knives and uh, whatnot. Yeah, so then I got these for three bucks a stick. Uh, and for three bucks a stick, that's it, actually a good price for this cigar. It is a good price for this cigar. It's a great price. Yeah. So you're telling me this cigar is the same as like what a factory smoke? A little more. In <laughs> uh, yeah, I tell you this for three for three bucks, I'm buying this cigar. Yes, it's a it's a, it's a good every if you if you're always like man, I just want to know what what my everyday smoke should be. I don't want to spend a whole bunch. You're not going to spend much less than this, and it's good quality for three bucks. Well, you know what, Gurk is there. Dollars smoke for two hours. Exactly. They're and, uh, and yeah, the the flavors are muted across most of it. But I mean, I was comparing this to like premium cigars. They're, they're mar- it, it is a premium cigar. Their marketing <laughs> techniques are so head scratching at times, and also you hear things about like if you order. <laughs> certain of their cigars from online retailers, because they're real big on the online stores with Cigars International and uh, Cigar.com and all that, uh, that if you get like one of their most popular ones, the Ghost or the Cellar Reserve, which are a lot that you see in brick and mortar shops, that those actually taste different in blend than if you get them in bulk from online shops. There's a million. Gurkha's has always been very kind of mysterious in how they they market and sell their stuff. I don't know anything to even get into that. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought that might leave y'all's head spinning a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a scratcher. Well, Detective Baker may have cut Joey loose in the alley for a good reason. He's got to get up at the butt crack of dawn the next morning. Because they're leading a high-profile raid on one of Patravita's money laundering operations. The cops swarm a house out in the middle of the suburbs, and it's filled to the ceiling with cash and drugs. Almost $100 million worth. That's a lot of money, right, Yax? You would think they would want to move at least some of it outside of this 32, because there's not really a lot of room in there. I mean, it's literally stacked, at maybe it's back to the ceiling. 19, 2,000 square feet. The backyard looked nice, but, you know. Uh, they got guys, like, shoving it in the doghouse. Did y'all, uh, notice the, did y'all notice how easy it was to direct the fake money? Like, it was totally, like, Monopoly money and fake <laughs> no. cash. Oh, I, I picked it up this time when Ed Lauder goes in there. It's, like, totally fake money. It doesn't even look at it like real dollars. Well, the Detective Baker looks around and he's like, hey, we should call the president. I think we just fixed the national deficit. Like, he probably would have. Uh, well, guess who's not happy about this turn of events, Willis? That's right, Petrovita. From high atop his skyscraper office, he tells Roca that after this morning's raid, Lemansky will now be able to come in and sell his drugs at bargain prices and steal a big chunk of their business. Rocco tri- Roca tries to uh, calm him down. 
We can make up the money in a couple of weeks, he says. But Patrovita didn't get to where he is by calming down. More importantly, he didn't get to where he is by taking shit and lying down. He wants it back. The cash, the smack. I want it back. That sounds crazy. The cops have it. I want it back. Roca, uh, Roca thinks it's crazy too. But his boss says they know somebody on the inside. Their mole, the same one that gave him the location of the witness in the opening scene to kill him. And he can tell us where it's being kept. When we start thinking there's something we can't do, something that's too big or too messy, then we ought to get out. Petrovita lectures. This is like wrestling. It's rigged and the cops always lose and they know it. He's just laughing his ass off. Oh, and he also asks his underboss uh, if he's found a replacement for dead Tony yet. And Ro uh, Roca says, I'm looking at somebody, check him out. Cut to Roca's office at the casino where he's called in Joey for another meeting. How the hell is it that you never did any time in the joint? Roca asked Joey. I'm smart, unlike somebody we know. And he looks over at Max. <laughs> Roca says that Max doesn't trust him, but Joe is Joey's going to be temporarily brought on board. But if Max is right, very temporary. It's nice to be one of the family. Joey says on his way out, just like that he's in. And not just in, like top five dudes in the crew in. We've seen in countless movies and on the greatest TV drama ever made with Sopranos just how hard it is for guys who've been street soldiers for decades, low-hanging fruit. It takes them so much to move up the ladder. And here comes this Austrian hulk of a man. He's in. Especially if you're if you're kind of like, like I think all of us are, I definitely am kind of a historian of the old New York mob. Yes. And... Nothing, this would have been so absurd. I mean, when you watch these monster shows, the old five families that were running New York, I mean, it was a family business and you came up through the ranks. You that started, was, that was you came out through the neighborhood. That was you started, right, you came through the neighborhood, Tut. You started out as a foot soldier. You had to commit some petty crimes. Then if you did enough, you earned enough money, you got busted and did some time. Then you kind of move up to be a maid guy. But yeah, you didn't just walk right in. <laughs> that's that's for silly. Well, it's crazy. And I mean, that's what that whole movie, The Irishman, the reason he wasn't fully accepted into the, the fold was just he was Irish. And then you got fucking Arnold. I'd like to be <laughs> I'd like to be in the mafia, please. All right, get in, kid. Good. It's the same thing with Goodfellas, right? The character that uh, that uh, Jimmy Burke, the one that De Niro plays, is supposed to be, again, a, a, an Italian guy playing an Irishman. The whole thing was he couldn't be a made man yeah. uh, because you, you, you can make money, you can be part of the crew, you, but you're, still, you're not going to be a made guy if you're not Italian and you're not part yeah. of the whole Cosa Nostra. So, but yeah, like Tut said, you came from the neighborhood. You you started out as a low level guy. You 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 did you committed crimes. You ran numbers. You got arrested. Didn't rat on people. You earned respect, and then you then you went up the ranks. Yeah, there's a process uh, that that Joey just drives a tow truck through. <laughs> as Joey waits for his car outside the valet station, smoking a stogie, tonight went very well. Monique and her bouncing boobs saunter over to him. She flirts with him a little bit. God, those boobs. It's a good-looking woman. 
Not bad. Not bad. So she flirts with him enough to where when her cab pulls up, Joey gives him a thousand of Harry's dollars and <laughs> we don't need you. You're a real take charge kind of guy, she says, and cue the sexy saxophone music. Cut to Joey's apartment where they're sitting on the living room floor and there's already several empty bottles of champagne on the table. I don't know why they appetize all these sleeping pills on television. An intoxicated Joey says, I mean, chemicals are no good for you. A couple bottles of champagne knocks you right out. And dude, he's giggling. And she's just like, dude, she's been hanging out with Max. Anything's better. That's one thing that I like about women's t-shirts. There's usually boobies in them. <laughs> I think I think Tud's in some kind of trouble. It's a brazier, Mark. It's <laughs> a brazier. Tud, Tud, did we miss mishear your words? Yes, I was hacked. You were hacked. Uh, I think he's so happy to be away from drunk wife. She's so happy to be away from Max. They're, they're just giddy to be around anyone else um are you saying that you're ready for bed she purrs because that sounds like a great idea to me i think so they laugh and giggle so. and she tries oh valiantly to help his 250 pound body up off the floor where they've been canoodling yaks did i use that term right canoodling you did indeed Excellent. It was a canoodling to be reckoned with. It was a hell of a canoodle. Uh, you know what I like about bedrooms? You can almost always find a bed in there. Jokes are priceless. Just as she tosses his big ass down on the bed, she and her two boobs plop down next to him on the mattress where he instantly passes out, TNCC style. <laughs> I've always felt a kinship. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like Arnold. I am just like Arnold. Just like him. Just like him. And she didn't give a shit. She's there. He's there. He, he's snoring. She rips open his dress shirt and takes one look at his pecs and is like, oh my God. He's literally okay. the perfect maybe, man in the universe. He's maybe the- I'm not just like Arnold. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that when someone's ripped open my shirt, they haven't uttered the words, oh, my God. <laughs> hey. God you bless you, Tut. <laughs> you won those Mr. Puniverse trophies. Legit. Those are yours. Nobody can take those away from you. No chemicals. I was. It was all me. It was all natural. Uh, man, she is so disappointed that he's not going to – make love to her that night but get this it turns out our boy joey is just fake snoring because as she leaves the bedroom he creeps up and eavesdrops on monique as she calls max and gives him joey's personal information his social security number stuff like that max is going to wipe out some of her gambling debt for any intel and dirt she can give him on joey she's working it Uh oh but she's a good actress because we still kind of like her. She's got a, just a, she's got it. I'll that, tell you this, boys. Why I, would she uh, think that a bottle of champagne would in any way affect this 250-pound slab of muscle? There was four bottles of champagne on the table. 
But even then, I mean, you I know got, if he's a drinker or not. I, I'll t- I'll tell you this, boys. I, I'm not as uh, I, I'm not near as y'all's level, but I've been in the game a while, and usually you can recognize the tropes right off the bat. You know, oh, this actor usually does this type of role. This actor usually does this type of role, or you need this type of role here. Uh, I I was kind of clueless with her. I was like, she could either be the love interest, I'm going to help you out, or she could be the femme fatale. I, that's it good. Was, it was very on the fence there. But dude, that that's great. If her I know. If her performance made you not know where her motivations were, she did her job. Especially yeah. because I think her character is actually supposed to balance that tightrope. Like we really don't yeah. know. Like you get the feel like that scene. If he's not, if he's awake, if he doesn't pass out. She's not calling Max. She's going to fuck him. I mean, so, so she's balancing that tightrope, but she likes this dude. Like you said, she's been getting flirted by with Max Keller. She likes him, but she also has a gambling debt. So it's a, it's a complex performance and she nails it. She really does. Um, Can you imagine going from screwing Robert Davy to Arnold? It's not something I thought about it. It's a rough world. Her libido's dead, Mark. Dead. All of a sudden, just when you said that, I'm picturing Lopan coming in his wheelchair. That happened on us. Surely you know the differences between men and women. Come on, Monique. You can't find somebody better than Robert Davy to fit the bill. All right, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Robert Davy to Lopan. <laughs> sorry, Robert. Sorry, Robert. The next evening, Max takes Joey along for his first official night on the job. First stop is the gay bar Kinks, where they're going to collect some protection money. The club owner tries to run from them through the club, but they catch up to him and they toss him through the dressing room door where a bunch of transgender strippers are getting ready to get on the main stage. You've said to me a couple times, you always wondered what happened in these back dressing rooms at the transgender strip clubs. You get to see it here. Max, that, mu- that must have been somebody else because, I mean, I, I know what happens back there. <laughs> you did not get that. Uh, Max pulls out a switchblade to uh, the club owner's face. He's about to slice him up for paying Lemansky instead of them. But Joey steps in. He's still a law enforcement guy at heart. He doesn't want to see this guy get hurt. So he slides him down the, the dressing room uh, countertop there and shoves him against the wall. Throw some red fingernail polish all over his face. This is what you're going to look like dead. Stop paying Lemansky or else. As they walk Another up. red flag, maybe? If you're Max. Yeah. I'm about to cut this dude's throat. and This guy's supposed to be a criminal. He's got a problem with me slicing this guy's face a little bit. Max tells Joey, if you get in my way again, I'll kill you. And Joey says, Max, I hope you're not your mother's only child. <laughs> That's a fucking great insult. Great line and expertly delivered. And it actually, it put it back into my head. That's one I've always wanted to use on someone in my lifetime. And I'd forgotten about it. I was back in there. One one day soon, I'm going to get into it with somebody and I'm going to drop that off. Yeah, but you're going to get into it with us. I was about to say, I'm going to be hurt. I don't talk to any other humans than you guys. You Trapped <laughs> in this goddamn cube. You already had your perfect I'm opportunity. Write that down on my note. Just wait till Kate says this line to me. Hey, yeah, that guy, that, guy that criticized you for walking on the grass. Yeah, 
Well, they run into Detective Baker in the gay club on the way out. I'm sure he just happened to be there on official business. He's up at the stage with dollars in his hands. Woohoo! But as usual, guess what? They just roughed up the guy and cost he lets him go. That's kind of his thing. He just lets him go. Get out of here. Meanwhile, on the golf course, burgeoning young 199-year-old gangster Lemansky is profit <laughs> Joey for all the trouble he's caused their operation lately. Not Worst to, golf game ever. Not to mention stealing well, his Gumar's uh, jewelry. Did I use that term right? That's his Gumar, right? His mistress. Yes. Well, if he had a wife, uh, we don't know if Lemansky has a wife. We assume he does. Yeah, no, she actually He's had several wives. Let's look at him. He's so young. His wife died in 1982 at the age of 140. So, uh, as I understand it, Kate, the Gumar was the term for mistress. Yeah, I believe that's his Gumar. She's 23 with a smoking hot body. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure she loves him for him, though. Of course. Well, it, it certainly wasn't for his sand trap ability. No, it was not. He's a horrible shot. That was that Well, was you know, he is so young, he just took up the game. Good shot, Mr. Haversham. He's I'm got sorry. he's got years to learn the sport. Uh, first of all, Tut, kudos on the reference, and secondly, you're right. I, I started when I was 16. He's got a long way to go. Nancy <laughs> yeah. tells his men they need to take Joey out and make it messy. Send a message. You know what's not messy, Phil? What's that? That's right, Todd. The construction on an expertly rolled Happy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar from Drew Estate. This unique stogie is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small croquettes, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added. Well, immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. Can you imagine that? Railroad jacks. Not car jacks. Not cracker jacks. Not Wolfgang jacks. Railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. The total artisanal process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at every brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailer everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig-sized Vitola the Pappy, you haven't smoked a Drew Eight State Star until you've had the pig. the pig. I have not. That pig adds a whole new element to the scene. Head over to pappyco.com as that's the only place you'll find it. It's exclusive to Pappyco. We encourage you to go try it and then report back and let us know what you think. Wolfgang Jack? Railroad Jacks. Wolfgang Jack? Wolfman Jack. Wolfgang Jack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that like a cook that spins records on the side? I mean, he gives you some bruschetta and he plays some shanana. <laughs> He's amazing. <laughs> I know it. I'm going to cook you up some good food and play some tunes. There's nothing I can't do. Well, except stay alive. I'm dead. I've been dead for several years. We join Joey and Monique as they arrive at a massive party being thrown at Patrovita's mansion. Joey tries to breeze 
dude, on their way in, she's like, I don't know about this. I've never been to one of these. Hey, you're with the main man, baby. Like, he's brimming with confidence. Main man. They walk in and they breeze past a drunk Max, but Max insists that he and Joey pose for a photo together. Hey, I'll send you a nice eight by 10. I'm not sentimental. Yeah, I didn't figure you were. But there's a reason he had that picture taken, isn't there? Well, you're with the main man. I've been here two weeks. <laughs> I just old- love that. I mean, the 80s had that main man. That is, that's, that's, a, that's a time capsule right there. That's all he had to do is grab that Sugo. The main man. Mr. Uh, Roca leads Joey into Patrovita's study. The boss is ready to meet him finally. As Patrovita opens up the humidor and lights up a stogie, I love watching him with his cutter, his soft flame lighter. You see the humidor open with the Cuban cigars. Like, that's a nice, it's a nice little setup. He asks Joey immediately if he's ever killed anybody. Three. You want names and addresses? Nice. Smart, I like. Smart ass, I don't. And then Joey just gives him a like a shrug, like he's not playing this cool at all. Like he's just I don't get where I'm having some doubts about Joey at this point. I just asked you a very arrogant. He's so arrogant, and I'm really sensing that maybe he's getting a little bit lost in this character. All right, get out of here for the party. All right, so he tells, dude, despite that horrible introduction, uh, Petrovita tells Roca to keep him, keep Joey on board for now. Because you know what? If he doesn't work out, we'll just bury him in the gravel pits. He doesn't say, this is the first time he's met the new guy, Joey. He doesn't say one thing about his massive size. He doesn't say one thing about his horrible, broken English accent. Damn, you're a big boy. He doesn't question any of that. No red flags, no nothing. For a guy that respects smarts so much, I like smarts. How do you know? But I'm stupid. How do you not ask about, like, where do we find this giant German superhero? Like, nope, it's all right. I haven't really seen this Brenner kid now, around the block. So, uh, it's also fair to say that Italy and Austria border each other, so there's got to be some crossover. Just saying. Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe they... Okay. I don't yeah. trust them Germans. While this introduction was taking place poorly, Max corners Monique to see if she's dug up any more dirt on Joey. He has a thing for her big time. He, he loves Monique. And he doesn't like her getting this close to Joey. When he asked her to dig up some dirt, he didn't know it was going to go this far. After all, he tells her, you could just sleep with me and all your debts would be forgiven. But she ain't willing to do that. So wait a second. I want you to take him back to his apartment and dig through all of his stuff. But I don't like you getting close to him. It's a great line, though, when, when he says, you come home with me, you owe nobody nothing. She's like, I owe you, wouldn't I? Well, you wouldn't It is great. And you oh. just can hear the music in the background. Wah, wah, wah. Well, I think maybe he, actually, he was thinking, you know, it's like TNCC, like, all right, take him back to his place, 
give him three tall cans of steel reserve. And when he's passed out in the bushes by the mailbox, then you give me a social security number. Like, I think that's what you're thinking would happen because that's what would happen with you. I don't know. It kind of speaks. Yes, up. yes, it would just I, happen with him. I saw looks of familiar nods by the other two knuckleheads here. Yeah, I'm, I'm admitting it. <laughs> look at look at Yag Boy, Mister. Oh, I could drink three tall boys of steel reserve and still get an erection. What'd you find out? I don't know. He calls himself Doc, but he's got no actual medical association cards in his wallet. This takes care of a thousand of my OU. Eh, 50 bucks. His <laughs> uh, diploma on the wall was signed by Doc McStuffins, the Disney character, for God's sake. All right, this knocks off 25 bucks of your 10. <laughs> uh, remember, guys, do you remember those things called shopping malls? Of yes. Cut. Yeah, those were a thing once upon a time. Wonderful. And we now join Joey. They actually really were. Yeah, they were. I've seen them. And we now join Joey and Monique as they're at one, this shopping mall place, shopping for new cocktail dresses for her. But their fun time is cut short. Uh, Joey was just about to buy her a couple dresses. And all of a sudden, three of Lemansky's thugs are walking by, and they see Joey in there, and they move in. One of my, Doctor, you and I have, we have made fun of this scene so much. It is the ultimate dick gangster move. When you walk into a store and throw your food court hot dog and soda into the water fountain. For, first of all, it just makes What I love more than anything else is the water fountain is inside the store. Yes. It's, a, it's a swank store. A nice like, store there, there, there are some nice malls that have that in the swank store. But if, you're, if, if your job is soldier thug it just makes sense that they're tracking brenner and already's in here somewhere let's grab a hot dog and an orange julius before we figure out where he is and so when they show up dude Cade and i've loved this forever they show up they've all got their soda and their hot dog the trash and, can there's a trash can right outside the store or, or even just dropping it on the but floor. i really wanted that sir. even just letting it go on the I floor wanted it. They, just, they turn and look at the fountain and throw it in there I just wanted that third, like, like, like mafia thug to be like, but I just got these. I Damn just it. got these. Dude, not even finished yet. It is such a statement move to throw your fucking hot dog and orange Julius in the fountain. It's not a smoke. It's they each got a soda and a fucking hot dog. They, 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 they both they look at the fountain. They look at it and like yeah, this is good. Fucking fling it in there. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it Let's is. go look for this locomotive hitman. And buy some hot dog. You know what? I'm I'm starving over here. It's there he is. Shit. What am I going to do with this? It's a caramel corn, Mark. It's a caramel corn. There is no other move more gangsta in cinema history than them throwing those fucking hot dogs and drinks into that fountain. And then they look at uh, Joey <laughs> as he's admiring Monique trying on his dresses. And why not? Kiss her goodbye, shithead. And they all move in. And I'm not kidding you, dude. A fight breaks out, but it's very one-sided. Kneecap. He throws one dude. Joey throws one dude through the plate glass window in front of the store. Buries another dude in the fountain. 
Monique gets into it. She grabs a mannequin leg and is like swinging at one dude. It's. Do you remember? Do you remember from a from T two? One of our favorite scenes is he grabs one of the medical interns and throws him against the, the wall, and he looks like Beavis. It's like his head just snaps back. He looks like Butthead. And he headbutts this dude in raw deal. He turns around with his head going like, Ugh. <laughs> dude, I doctor. This is where our mind meld connection from being friends from third grade pops in. Hey, two half Nicole. I actually thought that dude that he headbutts in this movie in the store, when they show him, I immediately went back to T2 when he smashes that orderly space on the wall and he does it. I looked it up to see if it was the same dude because he kind of looks similar to him. I did. He had the same hairstyle. <laughs> it wasn't him. It wasn't him. But dude, Joey makes mincemeat of these assholes, and uh, these goofballs never had a chance. The coolest thing they did was throw those fucking sodas and hot dogs in the fountain. It was all downhill from there. And, dude, you're laying there, like when mall security shows up, not only did you get your ass beat, and you're laying there, like, bleeding out your ears from getting... But then the chick's like, oh, and they also threw all that shit in our fountain. There's a $50 fine on that. If you throw your shit in a fountain, you better walk out with a champion in that fight. <laughs> oh, by the way, the guy... Glittering sons of bitches. The guy over there who the, the woman knocked out with the mannequin leg, he's the one who dropped the slice of pizza. On the- <laughs> His Barbie sandwich is in our fountain. But I think it's great direction because they look at the fountain like, yeah, fuck you, and throw it in there. It's just great. This is nice. You know what? This is a nice moment for Joey and his girlfriend. Let's ruin it. <laughs> Later that night, back at the casino after closing hours, uh, Roca and Petrovita are sitting at the bar, and Roca is still trying to talk his boss into giving up this crazy idea of getting his confiscated money and drugs back. Fuel was added. His ass off. Yeah, big time. Fuel was added to Petrovita's fire as their inside source, the mole has told them exactly where the stuff is being held and that it's being moved to a federal repository for safekeeping next week. There's 50 cops in that building any hour of the day, Rocco yells. How are you going to get them the hell out of there? Give them tickets to the ball game? It's simply an impossible plan to pull off. Not if you're going to send them to see the Cubs. <laughs> Back then. Sorry, Ted. Uh, Sorry. Then a, then a voice booms from across the bar. It's Joey sitting there drinking a tequila sunrise. A bomb, he says calmly. Just blow the place up, Max says incredulously. But Joey's thought this out, he says. Make the cops believe the bomb threat is legit. Make them think someone's blowing up every police station in the city. Yeah, send some little bombs out to police stations. Then they'll have to evacuate if they get a bomb threat. I love I love the whole scene though that 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 underground Allerton bar is such a great setup, but I love the whole thing. Like, despite the fact that he's been led into this organization in a ridiculous fashion, you know I love this part of it. If we put that out of it, Patrick is sitting there waiting to be impressed. Uh, Paul Shinar plays Rocca is so great when he's like a bomb threat. It turns out, yeah, they get that shit all the time. You think they bite, you know? And that that whole that whole every every delivery in it, everything you get. And then when Patrovita, when he hears them, and you know, sometimes Kate, it's always great acting. It's done without saying any words. 
when, when he dribbles around in that stool, so Joey, so Joey can't see his little satisfied smirk because he loves Joey's idea, but he doesn't want he doesn't want the new guy to see how happy he is. You're right, Doc. That's acting with your face, and I don't know if that was the director telling him to do it, but he he nailed it. Fantastic scene. And you're right. Everything at the casino bar after hours, it, it's it's the What's the strip club from the Sopranos? It's the Bada Bing. Bada Bing. Bada Bing. Those scenes with them after hours when the real talking happens and all that. I mean, you know, you got the little immigrant going around with the vacuum sweeper. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's some out of all the crazy, ridiculous shit with this mob, those little moments ring true. I like them. So we cut to the 9th Precinct Police Station the next morning. God, these guys work fast with their plans. There's some shady vending machine guys come in and plant a small bomb in the soda machine. They got like a little watch timer strapped to a can of ginger ale. They put it in there. I'm trying to figure out how the wristwatch analog sets off the electrical. It just, it makes no sense because literally, here, take this Seiko. It'll be perfect. I think usually when you see a bomb like that with a detonator, the glass has been taken off and they put like like a piece of copper or something. So where the second hand, when it hits it, it, that's your connection. Yeah, they didn't have that. This is just a a Seiko wristwatch tied around a ginger ginger ale can. Uh, But guess what? They're not out of that building two seconds and boom, the lobby explodes. The plan is in motion, baby. The plan is in motion. And guess who shows up at the crime scene once the dust is settled? Who could it be? Our old friend, Harry Shannon. Oh, yes. He explains to the CSI guys that he's just there representing the Bureau to make sure some half-assed pro-life terrorist didn't have a hand in all this. But it doesn't look like whoever detonated the bomb meant to cause too much trouble or damage. I mean, it's a pretty small bomb. And then special federal prosecutor Marvin Baker, the rat, shows up. He finds it odd that Harry's there. And when Harry asks him how the case against Petrovita is going, Baker says, you got a few things in the works. And Harry says, so do I. What happened to keeping your big mouth shut? Nobody's going to know what I'm up to, Mark. Only me. He just, I've got things in the works too, Max. Jesus Christ, shut your mouth. (laughs) Many irons in the fire. We got things burning. Harry, we've got burning. Just let us let us do our thing. Well, Harry says, my guess is whatever you got working won't work. Look, Harry, we're both after the same thing here, right? Justice. Fuck justice. It's a little on the nose. See more disgruntled than usual. The sun died. Yeah, give him some slack. Real quick, uh, Doc, you missed the fuck justice. Uh, That's what we want, Harry, right? Justice. Fuck justice. Fuck justice. Uh, Toss to the door a third time. Fuck justice. Fuck justice. By the way, I still got I still got a beer to drink. So uh, after this one, so no worries. We're, okay, we're good. Uh, real quick, speaking of beer, Yak Boy, uh, we all kind of had some ho hum. We weren't, none of us were very enthusiastic about our beers tonight. 
Um, I have switched to a beer that we didn't officially showcase on an episode, but we did get a sixer and we fought over them because we love them so much. I have switched to the Goodnight from Oscar Blues, which I still say is one of the best. It's a red, it's a red IPA. Yeah. Very, very unique beer with a very unique story. Uh, I'm not going to, if you want to get into it, you can search back. Uh, I think it's our, uh, might be our bronzy episode, our death kiss episode where we fought over Probably. That. Yeah. Good yeah. night. Good night. Um, which, by the way, uh, today was officially announced, and then we're going to get back in the film. A new bronzy movie is on the horizon. It is called The Gardener. They released the poster today. It is bronzy with a gardening shovel over one shoulder and a gun in the other hand. And the tagline of the poster, your ass is grass. It would have been like 500 times better if he had like one of those leaf blowers. (laughs) He's just like blasting dudes in the face with it. Spoiler alert, we'll probably be doing an episode on The Gardener. Oh, I'm of the fan that if it's bronzy, we do the show. I'm here to plant your bronzy all the time. I'm here to plant your petunias. Now you're dead. I'm sweeping these leaves aside, and then I'm sweeping you into the grave. (laughs) Cody had the best one earlier. Now you're mulch. (laughs) Mrs. Thompson, I'm here to plant the Bermuda grass. Mrs. Thompson, I'm here to trim your bushes. (laughs) Oh, God. That's not a bronzy move. No, bronzy's not trimming anybody's bushes. Come on, Ty. Do you even know who bronzy is? Yes. And now you're dead. I've seen Death Wish 3. There was a love interest. You call that fertilizer? No, it's baked. Okay. They need, that was they, my bark. So we could go on and on. <laughs> they need full sunlight, unlike you. <laughs> now you're dead. You guys. Oh, photosynthesis, Bronzy. It's photosynthesis. <laughs> <laughs> you guys stepped on my perennials. <laughs> All it needs is McGavin. I think you look like an unhappy gardener. I can get you back into the guild. There's a chance. Uh, uh, Statement. uh, Your own landscaping crew. uh, Stay tuned in, listeners, because that's what you're going to hear on our bronzy episode. It's crabgrass. It's crabgrass, Mark. It's crabgrass. 4,000 yards mode, and I never got a scratch. <laughs> it's crabgrass, Mark. It's crabgrass. <laughs> it's termites, Mark. It's termites. <laughs> Back at the casino, Max is drilling Monique about how much tonight. Joey's, oh! Joey's, drilling. Oh, he's drilling her. Oh, no, we're not that way. He wants to know how many times a night uh, Joey's banging her. He wishes it was him, but she tells Max, the only way we're going to end up lying down next to each other, Max, is if we're both run over by the same car. 
Oh, great line. Damn, stings because I've heard it before. <laughs> I really wanted, I really wanted that that bartender to come over. You wanted some ice for those burn? Oh, I'm sorry, I've interjected. Just as he's about to nibble on her unwanting ear, Joey shows up and grabs Max by the collar. But before Max can pull out his gun, Joey already has his out. He even says, draw. Old West style. As drunk Max stumbles away, Monique tells Joey she's impressed. I'm hungry, he says. He's got to get a steak. Cut to a nearby fancy restaurant uh, connected to the casino where Monique tells Joey, I'm really into you. And unless you tell me that you're married or something, I'm not giving up on you. And his giant Mr. Olympia penis. She wants all of them. Been there. But Joey, in a somewhat surprising move, sheepishly tells her that he is married to a woman that lives far, far away. Monique, I did not see that coming. Monique is relieved briefly. She thought her and her fabulous boobs, or as she calls them, her great equipment, had lost their touch. But then she switches to pissed off mode big time, especially when he tells her those hurtful words, you're an important friend to me. Oh boy. If she wanted to make friends, she, she says if she wanted to go make friends, she'd go to summer camp. And you know what? She's actually flattered because she thought he was taking it slow because he cared about her. It's going to take me a long time, she says, to figure out who's the bigger idiot here, me or you. So she rips off the cocktail dress that he bought her at the shopping mall, right in the middle of the restaurant, balls it up and throws it at him. All the other couples sitting there look at him and he kind of sheepishly folds it up nicely and that's a great it's a great line it's gonna take me a long time to figure out which one of us is the biggest asshole yeah near you uh, it's a great line max is i also just want to state that i really want to go to the summer camp that monique was going to go to because <laughs> that's going to be fantastic yeah <laughs> i would just go to summer camp what Where's the address to that again? <laughs> Welcome to training for mid-30-year-old hot bitches. Uh, hey, get this. Because it's connected yeah. to the casino, Max is over there kind of watching it all with a smirk on his face. He likes that Joey's in trouble. As, on her way out, she grabs a champagne glass off a waiter tray, tosses the champagne in Max's face, and throws the champagne on the ground. That was a nice touch. She really thought Joey was different than all the other gangsters she dated. And she wasn't really wrong. He is very different. You're a friend. You're important to me. You're a really good buddy. Yeah, no, no, no nice tits. But uh, you were different with your massive pecs and well-sculpted abs. The three of you are very good friends. <laughs> um, as I go for my backup cigar here, uh, dude, hot women like Monique are not used to rejection, and I thought she handled this scene from relief to anger to questioning shit. Dude, she rocked. She she should have been in more movies. I really liked her. Doctor, did she do anything else? You know, I actually think she played a little bit of a sexy siren in some other '80s movies. I think she had a lot of TV. 
Yeah, and maybe some Skinamax. I think I think this was uh, kind of her heyday, but yeah, she 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 was fantastic. Perfect look to her. Uh, perfect age. She's she's close to Arnold's age. She's in her mid thirties. Uh, dude, just per perfect casting choice, and she just nails it. She's fantastic. She's great. Uh, well, we cut to the safe house that Harry set up, where he and Joey are meeting up for the first time since it's all started for an in in person progress report. Uh, dude, Harry's brought a six pack of Miller High Life along. Old friends. Yeah. Harry's down on him quickly. He's just sucking oh, him down. I'm drunk, Mark. I'm drunk. I'm drunk, Mark. I'm drunk. Joey tells him about Patrovita's plan to get his loot back, but they agree if they stop it, Joey will get the blame as the new guy. And after all, that's not why they're in this thing. So they let that go. After all, they're in this for Joey's possible reinstatement. Well, and, and for, from Harry's standpoint, you always have to question as we get deeper into the subtext, Harry wants revenge for his son. He, they even talk about when he's like, they're going to hit Lemansky, and he's like, well, as long as they keep knocking out the right people, he, Harry's like, fuck it, I don't care. And he could care less if Mark gets reinstated. He just wants people dead. And Damn. I would say, well, maybe you should have done it yourself, Harry. Like, because at this point, I think Harry could have shown up at the mafia's door and be like, I'm here. I want to be a member of the mafia. And they'd be like, okay, all right. <laughs> I've killed a few people. I've killed them. Where are they now? Dead. The story checks out. You're on board. You're second in command. <laughs> second. Joey tells uh, Harry, I almost called Amy last night. I feel like I needed to tell her I was still alive. Uh, Mark, you got to be careful, buddy. Are you going to stick? They're in deep now, and Harry wants to know if, if Joey's into this. As Harry cracks open his third high life bottle in ten minutes, would you say they're in deep, Elam? My God, Tuttle, it's a fantastic question, but I think, considering where the narrative is headed, it's just too early to tell. I think he's right, as always. Are you going to stick to which Joey says, this Joey has a pretty good life. Expensive clothes, nice job, lots of money and free time. Lots I've, of your money. <laughs> I've never had it so good. Joey smiles. Uh, just don't let it go to your head, kid. Yeah, why the hell would he want this to end? I think I need another three months to get to the bottom. And another another $20,000? Yeah, I was going to say another $20,000. That's so bad. I don't have a wife that's wasting baked, baked goods on me right now. Look, this, this scene works because of Darren McGavin. I mean, he's so damn good in this. And it really made me think about him in Christmas Story. And just, like, you take him out of that movie, it's... Okay, the pink pajamas and the BB gun. But that dude is the glue that makes that movie work. Like, this dude is just a treasure. Let's go back to one of his greatest lines ever from Billy Madison. 
Well, Billy, I guess you got a big day tomorrow at Daiquiri's and Jack Off magazines. <laughs> Billy, Billy, Billy. I wonder if you'll ever find what you're looking for. Here's a nice piece of shit. <laughs> Speaking of Petrovita, he's lined up a big day's worth of activities for the following afternoon. Get this, while a bomb threat is gonna be called into the precinct holding all of Petrovita's goodies, Max and Joey are going to publicly assassinate Lemansky as a diversion for law enforcement. And when the precinct holding the loot and drugs calls in the bomb squad, he's got his tech guys scrambling the phone lines so the call be diverted to a phony bomb squad made up of mobsters who will then enter the building and steal the loot while the building's empty. You guys know me, I'm kind of stupid. But to me, this plan seems pretty fucking solid. It might just work. Oh, it will work. It's sophisticated, I'm on board. It does work. As Petrovita's bomb squad impersonator successfully steal back the money and drugs without a hitch. Well, let, let, let's not let, gloss over this great part. When they first call in the bomb threat, the desk sergeant answers the phone. And he goes back and he tells the, the captain, who's the old guy from Home Alone, the, the Ralph Foodie. It's the guy from Johnny. The angels with filthy souls. You filthy animals or whatever. It I is. was waiting for him to tell the desk sergeant. All right, evacuate the building, you filthy animal. Yeah, it was the guy from the Home Alone movie. Yeah, I did recognize that. Can we back up a step to the dude in the van who does the whole creepy stalker thing? You've got a bomb inside the building. He could have just been like, you got a bomb inside the building. you got a bomb inside the building. They won't be able to track you because you're using a cell phone that doesn't have anything attached to it. And, and doctor, when he's doing that, crazy boys in the van, all the other mobsters sitting across them, it's like a it's like a successful prank call. They're all giving him like well, the, You've got a bum. That's like that's like some of my prank calls. You've got a penis outside your window. <laughs> right now, it's a prank call, Mark. It's a prank call. Speaking of three cans of steel reserve, Doctor, we've made those prank calls. No comment. Uh, well, it turns out Max and Joey were going to assassinate. Lemansky as he walked out of a synagogue, but it was way too crowded. Max, don't you own a calendar? I bet it's a Jewish holiday. So get this. Petrovita had Irish guys working for him. He hired an Austrian dude, and apparently one of his longest-term guys was a Jew. So he's pretty progressive for an Italian mafia boss. He's hiring who gets the job done. Capable is capable. But it's too crowded, so they can't shoot him there. So what we see then is a very impressive shoot him up car chase as gunfires exchange right and left. The thing ends in Lemansky's limo exploding in flames. The up-and-coming rock star of the Chicago Mafia world, 210-year-old Lemansky is literally toast. 
This was an awesome car chase, though. This was this this rivals Steve McQueen's one from Bullet. I mean, this is an awesome car chase shootout. All the big time action in this movie, from the refinery explosion to this car chase, it's all very, very no dollar. You can't see like where they're cutting corners on budget here. Uh, it's good stuff. Well, the next day, God, these gangsters are busy. They don't have a day off. Max is having breakfast with a retired Florida police detective. He shows him the photograph from the party of him and Joey. And the former cop says, I've never seen that guy before, which is odd because three years ago, he busted the real Joey P. Brenner twice in two weeks. In fact, last he heard, Joey P. Brenner was in the Caribbean just hanging out. That seemed weird, like why he would keep How, the, how does the cop know that? Yeah. I found him there on my fishing vacation, son of a bitch. This is all sweet, sweet music to Max's ears. He's finally validated that Joey's bullshit as he slides an envelope full of cash across the table. The shitty former detective, who looks like he smokes two packs a day and drinks a bottle of scotch for lunch. I like this dude. He has to get back to Miami where he's playing in a charity softball game against the Dade County Sheriff's Department. Cops against cops. You'd leave me nobody to root for, Max says. Who the fuck is asking this guy to be on your softball team? <laughs> it, the, I, I love the scene to Todd's point. I love the actor. There's so many things that are 80s. I love Robert Davies saying, when's your flight leave? And he's an hour. It's like an hour. This is clearly 1986 because three hours before your flight you need to be there. He's sitting in a bar chugging a drink. Yeah. In County Sheriff's Department softball game in the morning. Like, you play fucking softball? You couldn't run to first base, you piece of shit. I just was like, love it. God damn it. If he's not here, we're screwed. Like, he's our shortstop, damn it. How are we going to win this game if we don't get that son of a bitch playing center field? We're finished. I just like it because he looks like he looks like the great stereotypical face of a turntail cop. I, I just, I like it. Again, great casting, but who the fuck is putting this guy on your roster hey we've got the cop who was paralyzed and in the wheelchair i'll take him and then you guys can have the uh <laughs> but then great line and great delivery by davy cops this is cops give me the one to root for it's a great little scene agreed um doctor i saw you uh you have followed up your beers with what oh you don't want to know show uh, us it's called the Keystone Light. I, I do have to work in the morning, so I finished my six-pack of Deep Ellum IPA, but uh, I've got another smoke and a 24-ouncer here in me. Okay. What, was your refrigerator hacked? Uh, you know what? I did not mean to have this Keystone Light in there. My refrigerator was hacked by me. Uh. I well, now that Joey's... Well, when I look at your Facebook feed, there's Keystone Light all over the place. <laughs> I have a Facebook feed. Somebody did hack that. I don't have one. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually, I actually had Yak Boy create you one. God damn it. It's called cybersecurity, Mark. Cybersecurity. <laughs> your life is over, Mark. Your life Identity is theft, Mark. Identity theft. Yak's Operation Penis Picks initiated midnight. Moving on. Uh, now that Joey's cover is blown, 
Pat Trevita arranges for an emergency meeting at a funeral home with his inside mole to find out how and why this could possibly have slipped past. And guess who the mole is, boys? The one who's been killed, the one who's been leaking shit to them the whole time. That's right, it's the bastard Baxter. Special federal prosecutor Baxter, also of Murphy Brown fame. I think he was like the weatherman or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hard-hitting hand of Chicago justice himself is the mole. And he's been selling secrets to the mob all this time. That he son of a bitch. He is a son of a bitch, Yax. He doesn't know how Joey got into mafia, but he does know that Harry Shannon, a rogue FBI agent, is up to something in his quest for bloody revenge. And he went through his case files, and it's unofficial. So if they kill him, it cannot be linked to Petrovita. What a fucking weasel. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're running an off-the-books... <laughs> You're running an off-the-books operation, but you're found out because somebody went through your files? It doesn't make sense, Mark. It doesn't make sense. It's called poor screenwriting. Couldn't they have just shown like a picture of of Brennan Kaminsky to Baker and be like, you remember this guy? Oh yeah, I shit canned his career five years ago. <laughs> no shit. I didn't think about that, but that's right. So it actually, as far as far as the stretches go, Davey's suspicious. You know his his character of Mac Keller suspicious, so he, he reaches out to this cop to try and get some information. Um, all he knows is the guy is not who he says he is. Yeah, yeah, uh, they, they do not know it's Kaminsky. The the mob, those guys, they don't, they're not trusting Baxter at this point, so he's not going to show him the picture. And it makes yeah. sense because what Baxter saw, he talked to Harry with the whole fuck justice. He talked to him at that point, so he knows he's up to something. So he goes to Patravita and tells him, "Here's this guy doing something, but it's not official." It got kind of, that, that part is not okay. Bad, yeah, all right, no, that's that's a good point. That actually worked for me because at this point, Baxter, they're threatening his life, and he's just got to throw them some kind of fish to stay afloat. Yeah, and he's deflect. And Patravita's like, "So we wasted his kid, and now he's 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 giving them something." Where if he didn't have the Harry thing, he would have no no worth to them whatsoever. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of weasels, suddenly Max creeps in the room and he suggests they get Joey to kill Harry. With a giant cigar. Dude, uh, Max was smoking Candela's. This was the 80s when Candela's were all the rage. Dude, Max, several times when he was smoking a long Candela cigar, a green cigar. But this plan to have Joey kill Harry is so convoluted and twisted, Petrovita loves it. He does that turn to the camera. Uh, Baxter then tries the old, well, it's getting pretty late. I better get uh, home to that. He's like, no. Petrovita's like, fuck that. You're staying with us. If this shit goes south, I want you here so I can kill you. He's like, ah, damn it. Because uh, basically... He's, he says, if, if this doesn't turn out well for us, I'm putting a bullet in your head. Which is kind of stupid because you're paying him a lot of money. He's actually got a pretty powerful position. Keep him around. Yeah, but you want to keep him scared. Though. Yeah, all right. Keep him scared. 
And if you're Baxter, like when at one point that you know Pastor Vita says he's in it up to his ass, he can't turn around and start naming names. He's got to see this through. Yeah, no. Had one or the other. They gave him a million dollars just to say where Marci Marcelano or whatever was holed up in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's. The match. Yeah, there's there's no IA investigating that million dollar. No, uh, did you guys notice Baxter just bought ten ski boats? <laughs> it's fine. Max shows up to Joey's apartment and tells him they have a rush job that Patrovita wants done right away. But on their way to the car, Monique shows up in the parking lot to apologize for her behavior the other night in the restaurant. How would I ever know how to deal with a real friend, she says. She's never had any real friends, and here's Joey was trying to reach out, and she realizes he has more to offer her than just his 250 pound penis no because if it had been four champagne bottles instead of five champagne bottles they'd have been doing some he and she in that night i'm just saying she sees past his enormous penis and i've been there how enormous was it after the performance enhancers Maybe not so large, but that's a story for another time. I'm sorry, Doctor. Are you a sports science specialist or a general practitioner? I I, th I thought you were more uh, general in nature. Um, I know a thing or two. I know a thing or two, Mark. It's called steroid, Dick. Mark. It's <laughs> called steroid, Dick. Joey gives her his car keys and says, go home, and I'll talk to you later. Take your pants off. I'm oh, sorry. And Max blares his horn incessantly. He wants to get going. She gives Joey a deep kiss and whispers in his ear, watch yourself. Don't worry. Should be good enough for her. All right. Max drives Joey out to a cemetery to take out a cop. What kind of cop? Just a fucking cop, Max says. And when they walk over to the old man kneeling down by a grave, it's, of course, Harry. Panders respect it's his son Blair's tombstone. Joey's shocked. He had his gun pulled. It seemed like if it wasn't Harry, he was, <laughs> was going to kill that damn cop. I'm going to blow this fucker, Harry. Hey, this guy's got nice suits. I'm enjoying the strip clubs. I kill cop. It's okay. All of a sudden, my Arnold is Joe, uh, John Travolta. It's okay. It's okay. I got, I got a lot of suits. I go to the African Hotel, you know? I mean, give me a fucking magic marker. Todd, a black magic marker. Harry, uh, he, I, he, Harry I just killed a cop. It's so weird here. He, yeah. does, he does point the gun, and <laughs> Robert Davy kind of looks at him like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. He kind of can interpret it as he's going to shoot the bad guys no matter what. It just, it just seemed to me that if it wasn't Harry, at this point, Joey's on board. He's just going to do whatever he's going to do. Max orders another gangster who's been hiding behind a tree to start shooting. So that guy shoots Harry. Harry pulls his gun and shoots that guy. Joey shoots that guy, the other guy, and Max. And then Harry shoots Max. And basically, after a minute of everybody shooting everybody... Everybody is bloody as hell except for Joey. We got 20 minutes left in this film. Arnold can't get shot, so 
he we made have it only slow how, motion. How would the bullets penetrate his muscle? It's so thick and and manly. I know. I've had my doctor tell me the same thing. Like if the shit goes down, you you, you have you have an advantage. Not once, never. <laughs> Harry, Harry tells uh, Harry, <laughs> Harry tells Camus, get out of here, kid. I'll be all right. Oh my god, this is the best damn thing. He's been shot in the chest. He's flayed out. It's like, oh, it's okay, kid. Get I'll be, out of here. Get out of here. I'll be fine. You gotta start from the beginning of this scene when he's all, Harry, I didn't know it was you. And very casually he's all, Oh, it's all right. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. Fifteen malt liquors I drank earlier. They deaden the pain. That, that would be better if there were a bunch of steel reserves around him. He's like, yeah, I'm all fine. I'm fucked up, Mark. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> uh, Mark tells Harry, Kaminsky tells Harry, Harry, just stay alive. He needs Harry to stay alive because if he dies... How the hell is Kaminsky going to explain this cockamamie scheme he's involved in? He'll lose his chance to be reinstated. This was the perfect scene. This was the perfect scene in which he could say, Harry, you have to live. Otherwise, this is just a raw deal. Uh, If you die and I get cat, they're going to give me a raw deal. But Harry, Harry knows it's a... If I die, he'll be years explaining this. Things are out of here. I'm sorry. I love how nonchalant he is about it. I mean, he just took a full shotgun to the chest. I mean, yeah, that's all right. Get on out of here. Years. Cade, well, we've seen this movie 150 times. Did you know this is one other thing I noticed for the first time? When they first start the shooting, the Catholic priest in the flowing robes. He jumps into the empty grave. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Dude, he, he as soon as the bat, they're all, ah, he like he takes a nosedive and just jumps in the grave. <laughs> well, hey, suddenly Monique shows up in Joey's convertible Cadillac to whisk him away to safety. I guess she eavesdropped on what was going down. He drops her off at her apartment. And he tells her to pack up everything that she can't live without, her boobs, and to meet him later at a nearby small airport. What are you? <laughs> What are you going to do, she asks. What an old friend asked me to do. Knock him dead. We then cut to Joey's apartment where he slowly towels himself off after a hot shower. All hands on deck. If you're going to walk into a bloodbath and kill a thousand mafia members, you want to be clean. You, you want to be. You really do. Want to smell, unnecessary. You want to smell fresh. Uh, he also is listening to Harry's micro cassettes again. For you younger listeners, these were like cassette tapes, which you don't know what those are either, but tinier. Uh, it's like a CD, only different. Harry's describing the ground. Well said, sir. Well said. <laughs> Harry is on the micro sets describing the gravel pits where Padrovita buries all his victims. And that seems like as good a place as any to start de- destroying shit. 
at this point, that's what Kaminsky's about. I'm just going to start blowing the world up. He has such, I don't know why he went in there the way he did. He already knows how to blow up a factory. I'm going to just open this little tube up, toss a cigar into this flaming pit of hell. I'm going to watch it all burn down. The gravel pits don't have a big petroleum pipeline he can just unleash. Come on, as, as we're looking they at, run the big machines. As you tell me. 80s stuff that, you know, when you look at now and you think how gloriously wonderful it all is, not only does he have these awesome suit bags filled with ammo and all these guns, which is just fucking awesome, but he still has to take a shower and look cool. Yeah. The wife beater tank top, and then he puts on that awesome sleek black leather jacket. Here's where we're at, folks. In all its 1986 glory, we get an amazingly fantastic sequence here. It's at least two minutes long of Joey getting dressed in all black leather and and packs up all of his guns. It's easily maybe three-minute montage of him just gearing up. Boner alert. I got montage. Montage. It's a montage, Mark. It's a montage. It's one after another when it's all done, 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 done. He's just two words, montage. It was like it was like when Yax opened that leather bag in in Hipster, and it was filled with Hans pills. He opened that same leather bag just with belts of ammo. It's a boner, Mark. It's a boner. I've got an erection, Mark. It's an erection. I've come on myself, Mark. I've come on myself. <laughs> Her- Harry, take it easy. It's pretty hairy down there. No, your name is Harry. I'm I'm Harry and horny. And I'm so drunk, Mark. Well, right as he puts on his belt full of shotgun shells and his leather jacket, as you called out, he's in full Terminator mode now. Leather jacket, shotgun shells, and guess what? That sexy saxophone music kicks in right at the end. He looks at himself in the full-length mirror. If he's going to kill a bunch of dudes, he wants to look good. He gives himself a little nod, and that saxophone blares. Good job, Cinema Score. Boom! What a montage! Like, if you were going to... If you had the job to do in reality... You wouldn't, you'd be like, I'm t-shirt, jeans, whatever's comfortable. No, he slicks the hair back, puts on the wife beater, puts on that awesome leather jacket, a smooth jacket. He's got the, he's got the suitcase behind him full of guns, the double bag full of ammo. It's time for some ass whooping. Oh, it's time, doctor. Just outside the perimeter of the gravel pits, Joey shoots out his windshield of the Cadillac with a machine gun then grabs the stock of his shotgun and bashes it out of there. He pops in a cassette tape, full blast of the Rolling Stones' satisfaction. He wants them to know that hell is coming their way and it's going to have fun killing them. And I'm sorry, I've seen a million movies, but this is one of the best music choices soundtrack-wise. That couldn't have been cheap getting the Rolling Stones. No. no. It's so unnecessary that he plays music at all. <laughs> but he's, Every <laughs> good hero needs his theme music. 
And at this point, our hero, Mark Kaminsky, our hero, Mark Kaminsky slash Joey P. Brenner, he doesn't fear bullets. He's already faced drowning because he was drowning in pussy. <laughs> we could He's been. going on to just fucking kill everybody. Yeah. I love I love kill them all, Brenner. Like, dude. But I really think by that music choice, he wants him to know that it's not like he's playing like a march of death or like some I want you to know I'm I'm driving in there guns blazing and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. It's the great- one thing that the one thing that I do like about the 80s action sequences in this case is that it's not like the aughts and now to where it's like you got your brooding hero he's like I'm just I I'm not coming back from this. I'm not coming back from this and I'm just I'm doing this because it's right and I'm not coming back from this. Yeah. No, he's like, we're going to fuck some shit up. And he knows he's coming back. He knows he's coming back. Tut, tut, that's one of the best calls you've made in a long time on the podcast. There is no doubt in Arnold's mind that he's not dying. He knows he's going to defeat all these dudes and kill a million fucking mafia soldiers and win. At no point do you see any kind of stress or like, shit, I'm a little bit over my head here. No, he knows he's going to win. This and is it, what helps that, Cade, that we Arnold, saw this movie. And Arnold sells that every sense of the way, which just like Stallone in Rambo 2, just like, you know, Seagal in Hard to Kill or whatever, those, those quintessential action movies where you're like, Dude, he's going in there because, and the only reason he's gonna pull this off, there's 30 dudes with machine guns. The only reason he's gonna actually walk out of there, the last man standing, is that confidence. And it, it's beautiful. What were you gonna say, Doc? Uh, just that this is where it helps that you and I saw this movie 50 times before we were 16 years old because we just don't question any of that. Like yeah. it just it, it, he's we, we think oh my god he breaks the window open he's got these guns he puts the stones on it's fucking badass like now you look at it and you can be kind of cynical when you're watching this when you're 14 you're like fucking a I, well, of course that's what he does but doc that's what's so fun about revisiting these movies that you and I just relished in when we we're younger. I, I was able to watch this with a whole new set of peepers tonight. And yeah, we we gravitated towards the, the balls and the, the just the, the the grandiose explosions and everything. And but when I watch it, you know, as an adult and I watch it, you know, three times to do tonight's show, I caught so much shit that a movie that I had seen a hundred times that I didn't catch. And that's what's really kind of beautiful about what we do. It brought a lot of more layers into it. But at the same time, at the end, it's Arnold driving around in a convertible, shooting a bunch of fucking mobsters. And that's kind of all this movie is. Yeah. That's all this movie needs to be. We can talk about his wife giving him a smooch as he drug her. <laughs> uh, 
we can we can talk about Petrovita's uh, slowly subtle acting uh, turns as he's dude. This is just a shoot 'em up movie for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Put and the it, stones in, smash your window out, and kill some bad guys. That's what it was when we were kids, and it still is that today. But as a more nuanced uh, cinemaphile. You do see little things that actually add some flavor to it. And that's a cool thing. That's a very cool thing. I'm not kidding you guys. Doctor and I have watched this movie a hundred fucking times. At least I have sat there next to the, on the couch next to the doctor in our teenage years and younger. And we've literally watched this movie a hundred times together. I'd say did, I'd say did. between Halloween four and this, these are the two movies we watch the most. Those were the only two videotapes we had in 1988. Seriously, like we, there was one summer. There, Cade and I have a Halloween four summer, where we watched that like every day for like 20 or 30 days, and we had a raw deal summer. I had a VCR, and I had like three tapes. I had like I had Star Wars, A New Hope, that, and I had Raw Deal, and Cade had Halloween four. We watched it. We watched it. We like you know we're a couple of kids. We didn't have cars. We couldn't get any beer. We're, we played video games. It was like, raw deal? Okay. You know, two days later, raw deal? Okay. We saw this as fucking shitload of times. Just like you guys, I had a Star Wars, Predator, and Emma Otter's Jug Bang Christmas. I think maybe the only movie we watched more than this in uh, Halloween 4 was Cloak and Dagger, the old Henry Thomas. Uh, yeah. No, because that was one of my other three videotapes. Uh, we watched that. <laughs> Okay, so Kaminsky drives into the dusty gravel pits and starts shooting everyone and everything relentlessly. All the sentries that were perched high in the gravel pits uh, to look out for trouble, they die quickly. And we see them scream, ah, as they all fall uh, into the rocks. Was I the only one? Was I feet in the air, and he's only... He's moving at incredible rates of speed. Was I the only one who wanted to see uh, Ice T's construction workers with the construction hat? <laughs> Just Ice T signing some uh, POs. I wanted to see that. <laughs> 100,000 bricks of marble. Fucking shit, man. Uh, so he's killing everybody in sight. He even does a couple drive-bys of the, you know, the constructors have that office that's like a mobile home. He drives <laughs> up and down that and shoots the shit out of that thing, uh, taking him out of all those fools. He's killing every Italian, Irish, Puerto Rican, Colombian, Italian mafia member in sight. That is until his car runs straight into the business end of a giant bulldozer. It crushes it. And right before that bulldozer... <laughs> to crush the caddy against the front of another giant dump. They tried to sandwich it. Joey and you jo- know what this gets used as later? About four years later? Well, three years later. Tango and cash. cash tango and, and cash. Cash and tango. Tango and cash. Where yeah. they needed two, you only need one. Yeah. Very good call, Yax. Very good call. Wasn't uh, me. It also gives. I don't, us- I don't know what it was. He knew what it was. He I knew. I'm telling you, big trucks mean Hollywood bucks. And it also gives us one of our very first Arnold. Ah, wow. Ah, wow. Ah, wow. Ah, wow. 
I think the first one was when he bites that bird. The that, bites the bird on Conan. On Conan. I think that was his first. But this because he was literally choking from fake feathers. When he when he jumps out of the Cadillac here, it's a good one though. So he resumes then, he's out of his car, so he has to kill dozens of chumps on foot now, which is easy for him. Which is just even worse because he's literally firing shotguns in their face. Everyone is dead quickly. Joey then enters the office, the uh, mobile home, and takes a long look at the stacks of cold, hard, untraceable cash on the table, and he smiles. At this point, I'm like, do we finally have a TNCC hero who's like, you know what? I've been through some shit. Retirement, baby. Retirement. Wouldn't you have at least grabbed like a stack or two? These well, these leather yes. jackets don't have pockets for no reasons. He does, but we'll see what a real hero does with it, unlike you degenerates. Back You're the, the one who suggested it. I was, I, I was missing. I was hacked. It's called hacking, Mark. It's called hacking. At least we have an excuse. We're always drunk. <laughs> I, tell, I, I, I told a friend of mine, I was like, there's a, I was describing this podcast, and I was like, there's, there's a couple of things I'm probably embarrassed about on this show, but I'm not embarrassed about our sincerity, and I'm not embarrassed about our politics, and I'm not embarrassed about our opinions on stuff. It's just, I mean, because if you look at the thing, our heart's in the right place. I mean, sometimes we go a little too far trying to get a laugh, but it's not out of malice. There's, there's never been a time on this show that I've been like, holy crap, that was, that was me. Well, except for Cade and Gnomes. I mean, that's, that's just mean, dude. They like to be called trolls. I am sorry. Yes. There's no malice and there's no miscontent. We, we'd like to have fun. And yes, it's always a reach trying to make people laugh. And it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's, what, you know, what we do in Scar Media is different. We're, we're, we're not searching for respect us for our knowledge about tobacco leaves. We're searching for respect us because we can take your mind off shit for three hours. And, and you, you said it, you said it right on the butt. I mean, if, if you overstep, own it. You know, it was you own it. Uh, and I think that's what kind of pissed more people off than anything. It's just the lies. Uh, don't don't lie. Just be honest. Be sincere. If you fucked up, America's a country of second chances. Just say, give me another chance, and I'll, I won't I won't make the same mistake twice. And you're Davy probably, style. You're probably going to be okay. Or won't I? Or won't I? Tune in. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what kind of just the the, the, the you know uh, what did uh, doctor what did uh no, you know. I'm here I'm here I'm here <laughs> he's back Roger Clemens got busted uh, I think Andy Clemens one of the pitchers was like yeah Roger Clemens told me he did all this stuff and he was like. Well, I think uh, Andy might have misheard. It was like a new word that didn't yeah, exist. Yeah, no, Andy Pettit said it, and Roger Clemens said he misremembered. Yeah. 
misremembered. And you, you, you misremembered it. And, and I think that that one single phrase might be why it's not in the Hall of Fame. Everybody's like, well, that's not a word. It's not a thing to misremember. Like, uh... And he should be in the Hall of Fame. There's my platform. Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. So should, he should. So should Mark McGuire and Pete Rose. Mark McGuire, Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens all should be in the Hall of Fame. But that's another topic for another time. They're Hall of Famers. We'll save that for our big baseball episode. If they ever, Major League? If they ever play again, we'll... If they ever play baseball again, we'll talk about that then. Back at the casino, uh, Patrovita, Roca, the Weasel Baxter, and all the other Italian, Irish, German hillbillies and Polish mafia soldiers are holed up together watching the news about... It's a very eclectic mix, these... Uh, Italian mafia members, they're all watching the news about the grapple pit master. I swear to God, when they were paying across all these gangsters, I saw, remember that uh, redneck bartender from Roadhouse that was skimming off the top and he was like the bad oh, guy? Oh, really? He's wearing a three-piece suit. He's in there. Sven Olthorsen's there. They obviously let him know. Sven was there. The newscaster blames it all on a mob war, but Patrovita knows damn well it was Joey P. Brenner. Mob war by ass! Roca says from the look of the footage, Brenner has to be dead. Baxter turns, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. I'll go home. He's dead. He's got to be dead. Which prompts Patrovita to finally pull out a gun himself and threaten Baxter. If Brenner's still alive, then you're dead. And just like that, they all look to the security monitors. Oh, shit. Joey shooting out all the cameras one by one with the shotgun. Yeah, Terminator, Terminator style. Terminator style, man. Two guns, one, just blowing shit up left and right. Just that sawed-off that sawed shotgun, man. I was like, Terminator. Patrovita gives the marching orders. All right, boys, let's get him before he gets us. That's his one attempt at like leadership. Yeah. And everyone's but dude, it works. Everyone starts tossing guns to one another. And it's like hot potato. Like one guy tosses a shotgun and he tosses it back to him. Like they don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh when an elevator dings that it's a rock. You go kill him. Well, he just killed all those other guys. When an elevator dings that it's arrived on the casino floor. The mobsters unload a billion bullets into it, but that's right. Joey's not in there. Our hero leaps out of an air conditioning vent and proceeds to kill them all. Knock them dead. Perfect. Shootout scene. Now I have a machine gun too. I could go into every (laughs) detail of this shootout and you would enjoy it, but basically... He kills every single last fucking one of them, and it's all glorious. Nobody dies with a single shot. Everybody dies with 20 rounds to their corpse. It is just a bloodbath of exploding bodies. And it's awesome 80s stuff where he never gets shot somehow, or maybe he takes one in the elbow at one point, but otherwise people shoot a million rounds at him. He never gets shot, but he kills everybody else. 
Doctor, you mentioned Sven Thorson. He gets it worse than anybody. He gets like 50 shots to the face and then he takes down a whole bar with him. It's essentially the mob movie version of the ending of Rambo 2 and Commando, where you got the hero just wiping out. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of like a, a foreign army or yeah. a Vietnam army, it's he's wiping out 50 fucking mobsters. And I'm like, this is in an enclosed space. You would think a, a, a stray bullet would catch him somewhere. Somewhere, no. The entire time uh, that Weasel Baxter is crawling around on the floor behind the bar, whimpering, he's covering his ears, he can't take the loud gunshots. Uh, what a slimy little vermin he is. He does a good job in this. He does. He does a really good job. Uh, Patravita and Roca pin themselves up the stairs inside Roca's office, and they leave one poor sap outside the door to defend it. And dude, he takes on that chore like champ. Come on, Brenner. Show yourself. Excuse me, man. Excuse me. He's at the top of a staircase, no cover. So Joey just puts his gun around the corner and <laughs> a thousand times. Uh, yeah, he gets blasted to pieces. Brenner then kicks in the office door and shoots Roca before ditching the machine gun for a shotgun and firing a half dozen shells into the back of Petrovita. Who's screaming, dude, irony, call the cops. Somebody needs to call the cops. You got a mob boss saying, call the cops. But now it's time to deal with Baxter. Which would have been interesting because he could have said, you know, he had this legitimate business. He could have actually said, Who, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Who, who the hell is this? Who's the hell is this dude? You know? I'm sure they didn't have uh, Joey sign any like 401k stuff and uh, healthcare closure agreements. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Joey looks down at Baxter. I guess this is what they call poetic justice. Joey says as he looks down at the shriveling excuse for a man who's been scampering around, he's looking for any gun that still has bullets in it. Because of you, a lot of people are dead. Now it's your turn. Joey grabs a revolver off the ground, puts a single bullet in the chamber, and hands it over to Baxter. Resign or be prosecuted. Any way you want it. Turns his back to him. Of course, Baxter picks up the gun, goes to shoot Joey, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He circles around because he's incapable of being shot by anybody. He's on Schwarzenegger, and he blows Baxter to Kingdom Come. That is poetic justice. Absolutely. While the cops try to clean up the bloody mess at the casino, when Detective Baker sees Baxter's Attorney General Baxter's or lead prosecutor Baxter's dead body, he assumes the department's leak has been plugged. Joey is arriving at the airport to give Monique a duffel bag full of cash and a fresh start. He did take the cash from the RV, and he gave it to her. I mean, I can see giving some of the cash to her. It's cool. I would have have kept at least a quarter million for myself. This is one of the lines in the movie where you definitely see Arnold learning because he gives her a Humphrey Bogart line. God of options, sweetheart. It is the ultimate Humphrey Bogart attempt, Donald. 
<laughs> We're out of excuses, sweetheart. There's a quarter of a million dollars in the bag. Win or lose, it's your choice. Now get out of here. That that money will be blown in some seedy casino within the month. It's a gambler. It's going to be gone in two weeks. He's going He's to lose gonna... it literally in three days. But, dude, that's where Arnold uh, does his Humphrey Bogart, but he adds the Arnold thing. It's all here, sweetheart. Hit the road. Your choice. Now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> be a bitch. Uh, once he assures her that he'll be okay, they hug. She gives him a smooch. Dude, I love her character. And that's that for the Monique storyline, which really worked for me. Mm-hmm. As she takes off in the plane, just then Detective Baker arrives in an, on the airstrip in a helicopter. He walks over to Brenner. I'm glad you didn't make me chase you. Too damn tired. Well, that figures. You did 100 years of police work in a single afternoon. Oh, so police work is just shooting everybody full of holes? And now you're under arrest. <laughs> Timely. Uh, dude, no. When he says that, you did 100 years of police work in one day, Joey gives him a mm, little shrug. You. <laughs> I always figured you were one of us. Baker says. Fade to black and then fade up on a physical rehabilitation facility where a nurse is attempting to get Harry to try to walk on his crutches for the zillionth time. He was really, really shot up at that gravesite. You couldn't tell. But the stubborn old bastard has no interest in being an accomplished cripple, as he puts it. So she can either take him back to his room or push him out into traffic. I don't give a shit. Will me out of traffic, I don't give a shit which. That is until Kaminsky shows up. Old Mark shows up, his best friend. Things not so good, Harry? I've seen better days, Mark. Want to see them again? Harry can't help but smile a little bit as he realizes they're repeating their conversation from just a few short weeks ago when they started all this craziness. It won't happen from down here, I'll tell you that. Do you remember two weeks ago when I infiltrated the mob? It was just right then. It was right there. I literally became a top soldier in the Italian Mafia in three days. Like a week, a week all this shit happened. It's called a poor story arc, Mark. It's a poor story arc. Kaminsky tells him that his reunion with Amy was a <laughs> smashing success. What does that mean? Such a success, you're right, Doctor, that when she heard he was back in the FBI, she made love to him for the first time in five years, and she's pregnant. And they want Harry to be the godfather. Because if something happens to Mark, we want an 80-year-old man to take care of our, our child. He lost, he, lost his, he lost his own son. It's a thank you. Be godfather to my my child because you no longer have Blair. I think you're right, Doctor. I think you're right. Kaminsky pulls the wheelchair out from under Harry. I don't need to walk to be a godfather, damn it. No, but you have to try like hell. I can't. Did you ever quit on Blair? Eh, hold on, hold on. Oh, ho, ho. 
I'll say yeah, Doctor. Ready? First, let me start. I don't have to walk to be a godfather. No, but you have to try like hell. I can't. Did you ever quit on Blair? <laughs> and guess what? Just like that, Harry starts to walk. The nurse starts to cry, tears of joy. Harry clicks his heels, and the old friends embrace him a giant hug. Cue the sentimental freeze frame, and cue the soft, gentle, tear-inducing orchestra music as they hug the end. You know, that's called tut. It's called acting. It's so good. It's so good. My God. Right there. This movie is package. So good. Do you guys have any other underrated Arnold movies that nobody ever talks about? No. Every Arnold movie. I don't think so. I think think there's like five or six that get all the love, but I think there's a lot of kind of. I know the hipsters like Last Action Hero because it's so meta now. But I would say this, I would say as far as another movie like Raw Deal, where he does a lot of kind of subtle stuff and nobody ever brings up this movie when they're talking about great Arnold movies, Eraser. I was going to guess that. That is a phenomenal Arnold movie. It was post heart surgery. He was kind of coming back, you know, um, end of days was kind of his big comeback after heart surgery. Uh, eraser was before that but nobody talks about eraser like they don't talk about raw deal so much good stuff in eraser eraser was phenomenal yeah it literally if if you want to say like hey what element should i have in an action movie it literally runs down the checklist it has first of all arnold going against Khan. i mean that's that's pretty fucking epic right there. Yeah. James Conn is phenomenal in Eraser. He's a great he's a great foe. Plus, you throw in the 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 the, the variable of James Coburn. Oh my god. And but just that the just Arnold stuff in that is so good. It's, it's kind of him just fine-tuning his action hero stuff and kind of trying to bring it into outside the 80s and 90s over the topness it's so good and i I, i'll give tut uh some props here uh last stand as far as just i was i was gonna say that as far as him coming back after eight years it was eight was it eight years of governor what's a governor term two four years i Uh, think it's like four years him coming back and i love the fact that he was cussing there's a, there's a scene last stand where he like kills some dude and they stomps on him. He's like, motherfucker. And it's like, dude, you're just governor of the, <laughs> the biggest state. And it's like, you're still, I still, I still have problems with the movie. They didn't smoke a stogie out on his deck when he's chilling. But, he, but there's a lot of little things in that movie that work. Uh, since then, he's done some shit with some just really bad directors like Sabotage. And stuff that he he was great in, but the movies themselves suffered from poor filmmaking. 
I but, still think that, like I said, I, I, I expressed, I expressed my view on the underratedness of Maggie. Uh, Aftermath is one of those interesting films to where I, I don't think it was as good as Maggie in terms of him acting, but I still think that it was, it was a pretty nice stretch of him. It wasn't something that was an Arnold. It's not an Arnold movie. Uh, and, and as the world's biggest Arnold fan, I have to admit, I still have not seen Aftermath. It's I, not I, an it, Arnold movie. But I love what Raw Deal did. I love that this was the stepping stone to Predator, Running Man, and afterwards. Um, man, I think we did justice my boys. I think we... Uh, poke fun of it where it needed to be poked fun at. We gave props where it needed to get props. I think we, uh, I think we dug into this thing the way that we do uh, really, really well. So I can check this one off the list. We showed raw deal love, and that makes, that makes me feel love. That makes me feel happy. Agreed. Agreed. It needed to be done. Um, give us some links. All right, so if you're going to be on Twitter, hit us at TNCCCast. If you're going to watch us on YouTube, which I highly suggest, uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, if you like pictures, hit us up on Instagram. Cade's kill, killing it on there. It's at TNCC underscore podcast. Now, here's the thing. Father's Day is coming up. Go over to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You want to get your father some cigars, hit the Famous Smoke Shop banner. Click on that, and guess what? If you spend $100, it's automatically going to fill in the TNCC20 code, and you're going to get $20 off. If you spend $100 and you get $20 off, that's 20% off. That's a pretty freaking good deal. And by the way, if you don't want to buy your father cigars, I don't see why you wouldn't, but if you're going to do some other shopping, go over to uh, TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, click on the Amazon banner, and then do your shopping from there. It kind of helps us keep the lights on. Those are good links. Uh, I try to update our Instagram stories daily, uh, let you know what we're up to, or at least what I'm up to. Um, and then Instagram is is definitely the place to check us out. We're most busy there. Uh, we still post a lot on Facebook. Uh, I'm not a fan of Twitter, so we don't do a lot over there, but check us out. I know Tut would appreciate that. But uh, as Todd said, buy your cigars with that promo code. It is the best in the business. And thank you for choosing to spend a couple hours of your quarantine lockdown. Or maybe one of those assholes who's going out every night and eating at restaurants and living the life. Swimming and partying. It's the act boy. Sorry. sorry. (laughs) Who's done with it? Uh, he he is the sole reason for the next wave of coronavirus, and he does not give a shit. I saw that photo, I, I, and I was like, "You glorious it, bastard!" It was all hacked. This is hacked. It's it's lies. It's all lies. I do. I'm with Tut. I saw a picture of you on Facebook with some chicks in a hot tub. Normal <laughs> <laughs> pool. Thank you very much, you guys. We're not six feet apart. I, I mean, that never happened. You had no mask on. Were you hacked? Did I you- just I just saw that smile on your face and I was like, my man. Ah, uh, yes.
We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll all get back to that. When my kids can't go to school next year, I'll be like, let me bring over Uncle Clayton <laughs> to tell you why. <laughs> the grown-ups just couldn't be grown-ups and do the work. You're dead. <laughs> you're dead. Now you're dead. Uh... I hope I hope you enjoyed the party, folks. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, I love talking about movies, cigars, and beers with these boys. Uh, y'all's beers? Yeah. Yes, my beer was fantastic. I loved it. I highly recommend it. On the deep I Super. drank enough of it, so I'll, yeah, there you go. Cigar. What time it does just get positive? I'm gonna give. Are this- you saying the good night was crap? What? Uh, the St. Arnold was. Oh, okay. Memorable. The good night is always a good night. Boom. Um, the Gurkha cigar was not memorable by any means. Even for Except, three, you know, for three bucks, it's it's okay. One bed, but uh, I'm not going to recommend it. And what was an MSRP of 180 billion dollars? I mean, we can expect good things. Oh, I'm, wait, you said $3. I I was so confused. I imagine there's some cigar manufacturers out there who aren't dickheads who sell $3 cigars. You could probably go seek those out. Yeah, but they don't have this nice knife. Or the tactical backpack. We got backpacks? Son of a bitch. Tactical. Tactical. It's kind of like what Kaminsky loaded all his shit in, only not better. Not better. Now I kind of want that. Uh, well, maybe uh, episode 118 will be brought to her by our new sponsor, Gurkha. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> we can only pray. Oh, wait, we shouldn't have done that. We were hacked. It's called a bad business decision, Mark. Jerica, we need we need a minimum of twenty five thousand dollars started. I need to buy at least a two thousand dollars silk suit. We will and then another twenty thousand just in case. Hey, we cannot be bought. Jerica could offer me a hundred million dollars to sponsor the show next week, and I would tell them to go. In other news, uh, Kate has been removed from the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. And, uh... See you later. All right. First of all, we're not cheap, but we can be had. <laughs> I can be hacked and had. Boom. It's called selling your soul, Mark. Selling your soul. Selling your you soul. You all sickened me, Mark. You all sickened me. Just like my shirt, my soul is blue. Let's just hope your cash is green. I am at this point, finally, after 117 episodes, breaking any association with this. <laughs> uh, it was a good time. Doctor, I think you've been hacked. You're saying some crazy stuff. I miss you guys. Doctor was there beside us the whole time. He told us to say everything we've said tonight. Oh, dude, we just blame it on the doctor. It's perfect. Fuck. It's the perfect crime. Oh, God. Yeah. Remember uh, when we were talking about the uh, casino after hours and I mentioned the immigrant vacuuming? Doctor told me to call him that. 
We love you, doctor. We love you. I guess I don't need to get up early anymore tomorrow because I no longer have anything to get up early for. Uh, I'll certainly be censored and then let go and then be unemployable. So jokes on you, Kate, I will be living in the corner of no hope from now on. You're going to at least tell me that motherfuckers. Uh, any, anyway, sorry. May the wings of Liberty <laughs> never lose a feather. Hey, did the movie Miami connection teach us anything? Friends till the end. True friends. Fight the ninja. Sorry. Fight the ninja. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. We'll see you in two weeks. Hang in there. Be safe. We love you. Thank you. Bye. To learn more about the time I attempted to infiltrate the Irish mob by walking into their local hangout wearing a cute little leprechaun outfit and carrying a tiny pot of chocolate gold coins, well, it's actually a very violent, sad story that didn't end well for your buddy Keith. They spoiled me lucky charms, and I soiled me pantaloons. What an ill-conceived mess that was. Anywho, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit... Nah, we don't want to give those clowns any free publicity. Sorry, not sorry, Gurkha. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Sleep out.